corroborated, ever validated, yet it was used, used to spy on an American citizen associated with the presidential campaign. He told us there was no proper predicate for opening the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Maybe most importantly, he told us the FBI, the FBI, the preeminent law enforcement agency in the world, failed. Failed in its fundamental mission of adherence to the rule of law. And unfortunately, I think once again, the Democrats will say, we don't care. It doesn't matter. We're never going to stop going after President Trump. In fact, Eight days ago, we saw how far they are willing to go with the indictment of President Trump. But frankly, this shouldn't surprise us. They told us their objective. In fact, it was an agent on the case of Crossfire Hurricane who told us what their objective was. We all remember the text message from Peter Strzok where he said, don't worry, we'll stop Trump. It started with the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Mr. Durham has told us how wrong that was. Now we have an indictment of a former president who's winning in every single poll by his opponent's Justice Department. And in between those two events, we had the Mueller investigation, we had impeachment, we had 51 former intel officials falsely, falsely tell us the Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. We had a raid on President Trump's home, and of course we got Alvin Bragg's ridiculous case in New York. Seven years, nothing has changed. Don't believe me? We interviewed Stephen D'Antuano, former head of the Washington field office when the Trump classified document case began. Mr. D'Antuano told the committee, interviewed him just two weeks ago, two weeks ago today, Mr. D'Antuano told the committee that when he asked the Department of Justice, why is there new, no U.S. attorney assigned to the Trump classified document case? Headquarters said, because we're running it. He suggested the Miami field office to do the raid. Instead of sending the folks from Washington field office down to Miami, how the folks in, in the Miami field office do it? Headquarters said no. He suggested there shouldn't be a raid. Instead, they should continue to work with President Trump's lawyers. Once again, headquarters said no. Mr. D'Antuano even said, how about when we get there? When we arrive at President Trump's home, we then call his lawyer and we do the search together. Again, headquarters said no. Another interesting fact, the lawyer who turned down Mr. D'Antuano's request happens to be the same person who is alleged to have pressured the attorney representing a Trump employee about a judgeship. Nothing has changed, and frankly, they're never going to stop. Seven years of attacking Trump is scary enough, but what's more frightening, any one of us could be next. In fact, it's already started. Parents at school board meetings are terrorists. Pro-life Catholics are extremists. Even journalists aren't safe. Federal Trade Commission, 13 letters. One of those letters to Twitter said, who are the journalists you're talking to? Think about that. They named four people personally. Two come and testify in front of this committee. While they're in front of this committee, Democrats are asking them to reveal their sources violate First Amendment principles. One of them, Matt Taibbi, while he's sitting at that table testifying to the Judiciary Committee, the IRS is knocking on his door. Parents, Catholics, journalists, but guess who gets it the worst? Guess who gets it the worst? Whistleblowers. If you dare come forward and tell Congress what's going on, look out. 
They will come for you. They will take your clearance. They will take your pay. They'll even take your kids' clothes. Just ask Garrett O'Boyle, who testified in front of this committee as well. Over the next few hours, we're going to hear the facts and details about the whole false Trump-Russia narrative, the crossfire hurricane investigation, and hopefully, hopefully it will help change things at the Department of Justice. But regardless of what the Biden administration and the Garland Justice Department do, I know what Republicans in the House are committed to doing. We will work to dramatically change the FISA law, and we will do everything we can in the appropriations process to stop the federal government from going after the American people. Now recognize the ranking member for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. On June 8th, a grand jury in Miami indicted former President Trump on 37 counts related to his mishandling of extraordinarily sensitive national security information, including information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack, and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. According to the indictment, the unauthorized disclosure of these classified documents could put at risk the national security of the United States, foreign relations, the safety of the United States military, and human sources, and the continued viability of sensitive intelligence collection methods. And indeed, the indictment goes on to describe how the former president made such unauthorized disclosures. Even if you believe, as Chairman Jordan claims, that President Trump has committed no crime, surely we can agree that it is dangerous and profoundly irresponsible to have taken these documents from the White House and left them unsecured in Mar-a-Lago. Don't take just my word for it. Trump's Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, said that the former president's handling of this information put U.S. service members' lives and our national security at risk. And Trump's hand-picked Attorney General, Bill Barr, with whom I agree on very little, hit the nail on the head when he described the former president's legal troubles as, quote, entirely of his own making. He had no right to these documents. The government tried for over a year, quietly and with respect, to get them back. And he jerked them around. When he faced a subpoena, he didn't raise any legal arguments. He engaged in a course of deceitful conduct. That was a clear crime if those allegations are true, close quote. The former president could have at any time for months simply returned the documents and avoided prosecution. But House Republicans do not want to talk about any of that. They seem incapable of assigning any agency or responsibility to Donald Trump for problems that are Trump's and Trump's alone. Instead, Republicans have planned this hearing and constructed an entire false narrative around this work of Special Counsel Durham in an effort to distract from the former president's legal troubles and mislead the American public. To be clear, the Durham report is by itself a deeply flawed vessel. After four years, thousands of employee hours, and more than $6.5 million in taxpayer dollars, Special Dur Counsel Durham failed to uncover any wrongdoing that Justice Department Inspector General Horowitz had not already found in 2019. He brought just two cases to trial and lost them both. Both defendants were acquitted in mere hours. 
The single conviction the special counsel Durham obtained involved a single charge of lying to the FBI, a case developed and handed to him by the Inspector General, and one resolved by a quick plea bargain. The report itself outlined some fairly glaring investigative missteps. The FBI apparently never even looked at a thumb drive of key evidence related to allegations of contact between the Trump campaign and the Russian government via a Russian cell phone. Nor, says the report, did the FBI ever examine questionable computer contacts between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, one of the largest banks in Russia. The report also fails to recommend a single remedial measure that the Justice Department or the FBI might take to address certain process-related concerns, largely because DOJ and FBI have already implemented the changes recommended by the Inspector General three and a half years ago. Now, I understand that, like the former president, many MAGA Republicans had a lot riding on the Durham investigation. I understand that they might be disappointed with where it landed, but that is no excuse for making things up. First, the Durham report unequivocally concludes that the FBI not only had the evidence to open an investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, but actually had an affirmative obligation to investigate ties between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. It is simply not true, as some Republicans have claimed, that the Durham report suggests that there should not have been an investigation. Affirmative obligation. Those are Mr. Durham's words, not mine. Second, the Durham report shows that the FBI began its investigation when an aide to the Trump campaign disclosed in May 2016 that the campaign knew that Russia had thousands of emails that would embarrass Hillary Clinton. The aide bragged about it at a bar. An Australian diplomat who overheard the remark reported it, and the investigation began. It is simply not true, as the most extreme voices in this room have claimed, that the investigation was somehow launched by the Clinton campaign. That particular conspiracy theory is off by several months. Nor is it true that the FBI was opposed to Trump from the beginning. For example, the Durham report tells us that the FBI encouraged a confidential human source to infiltrate the Clinton campaign, not the Trump campaign, and take steps to entrap, unsuccessfully, aides to Secretary Clinton. This story is right there on pages 74 and 75 of the report. I suspect we won't hear a word about it from House Republicans today because it does not fit the MAGA narrative. Finally, Nothing in the Durham report disputes the central findings of Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Namely, Russia interfered in the 2016 election. It did so to help Donald Trump, and the Trump campaign welcomed this interference. This last point is important because it tells us how Mr. Durham became Special Counsel in the first place, and it goes to the heart of the fully false narrative of MAGA victimhood. From the day that Special Counsel Mueller began his work, Donald Trump and his political allies have railed against an imagined conspiracy against the former president. The Russian investigation was a setup. It was a witch hunt. Obama did it. We need to investigate the investigators. Then came the Mueller report. The Mueller report was delivered to Attorney General Barr on Friday, March 22, 2019. The next Monday, Mr. Durham was in Barr's office. A week later, a colleague emailed Mr. Durham to ask about, quote, the project that Durham and Barr were working on. While we on this committee were fighting to get access to the Mueller report, 
Mr. Durham was already working on an investigation to undercut its central findings. A few weeks later, the Trump administration announced Mr. Durham's investigation into the investigators. And by August 2019, Mr. Durham and Attorney General Barr were on a plane to Europe, jointly hunting down non-existent evidence of Donald Trump's deep state conspiracy theories. If the duo ever found evidence proving that Donald Trump was right all along, that evidence certainly never made it into the Durham report. It has been alleged, however, that they found evidence implicating the former president in certain financial crimes during their trip. Incidentally, that information, too, is missing from Mr. Durham's final pages. When he could not give Donald Trump evidence of a deep state conspiracy, Mr. Durham gave him the next best thing, a public narrative with Hillary Clinton as the victim, villain. Over the ensuing years, Mr. Durham constructed a flimsy story built on shaky inferences and dog whistles to far-right conspiracy theorists. Although he lost both times, he took a case to trial. By prolonging his investigation, Durham was able to keep Donald Trump's talking points in the news long after Trump left office. With a loose approach to DOJ norms, protecting the reputation of the agency, and a cavalier disregard for the privacy and reputational rights of others, Mr. Durham's investigation operated as headline generator for MAGA Republicans. Less than half a year into his four-year investigation, Mr. Durham publicly disputed Inspector General Horowitz's conclusion that the FBI was warranted in opening a full investigation in violation of DOJ rules protecting investigations from appearances of political bias. Mr. Durham similarly flouted guidelines designed to protect third parties from reputational injury when he used his two indictments to accuse the Clinton campaign of a vast conspiracy to tie Trump to Russia. But at the end of the day, Mr. Durham never found what he was looking for. He cannot dispute a single conclusion in the Mueller report. He cannot prove a magnificent deep state conspiracy. And he cannot say that the FBI investigation into the Trump campaign's many ties to Russia never should have happened. And again, I can see why this would be disappointing to some. But instead of owning up to his failure, the Durham report doubles down on theories that lost spectacularly before two unanimous juries. The report also references classified material that has been called likely disinformation to lay out a series of accusations against the former president's perceived enemies. By presenting his so-called findings in this way, swiping a Republican boogeyman and hiding an inconvenient truth in footnotes, the Durham report gives Donald Trump one last talking point. It did not have to be this way. It may be hard to remember, but at the outset of the Durham investigation, Mr. Durham was a well-respected career prosecutor with a solid reputation. The Attorney General is supposed to appoint the special counsel to prevent the appearance of politicization in a criminal investigation. Mr. Durham could well have lived up to that expectation. Instead, what we got was a political exercise that operated with ethical ambiguity and existed to perpetuate Donald Trump's unfounded claims. The investigation failed in its political objectives, but did real damage to a department that is still recovering from the excesses of the Trump administration. And despite Mr. Durham's best efforts, a reckoning is well underway. Do not be misled. Former President Donald Trump is not a victim. He did this to himself. For all of its flaws, the Durham report does not show that anyone else is responsible 
for the president's legal woes, past, present, or future. Anyone who tells you otherwise is simply making it up. I thank the chairman, and I yield back. Without objection, all other opening statements will be included in the record. Today's witness is the Honorable John Durham. Mr. Durham was appointed as a special counsel in 2020 to investigate intelligence activities investigations arising out of the 2016 presidential campaigns. He's a career prosecutor, having served as the U.S. Attorney for the District of Connecticut and in various other roles with that office since 1989. Prior to that, he served with the Department of Justice, the Boston Strike Force on Organized Crime, and in various state-level prosecutors' offices. We welcome our witness uh, and thank him for appearing today. We will begin by swearing you in. Would you please rise and raise your right hand, Mr. Durham? Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you're about to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and beliefs so help you God? That the record shows that the witness has answered in the affirmative. Thank you. You may, you may be seated. Please know that your written testimony will be entered into the record in its entirety. Accordingly, we ask that you summarize your testimony in five minutes, but we'll give you a little extra time if you need it. Mr. Durham, you may begin. Hit your mic there, Mr. Durham, and just, just keep it on if you can throughout the, throughout the day. Is it on? Yep, it's on now. Thank you. And again, uh, good morning, um, <laughs> Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Nadler, and members of uh, this committee. As the committee knows, on May 13, 2019, Attorney General Barr directed me to conduct a preliminary review into certain matters related to federal investigations concerning the 2016 presidential election campaigns. That review subsequently um, developed into several criminal investigations and gave rise to my subsequent appointment as special counsel in these matters. Many of the most significant issues documented in the report that we have written, including those relating to lack of investigative uh, discipline, failure to take logistical, logical investigative steps, and bias are re uh, relevant to important national security interests that this committee and American people are concerned about. If repeated and left unaddressed, these issues could result in significant national security risks and further erode the public's faith and confidence in our justice system. As we said in the report, um, our findings were sobering. And tell you, having spent 40 years plus as a federal prosecutor, they were particularly sobering to me. None of my colleagues who have uh, spent decades in the FBI themselves. They are sobering. While I'm encouraged by some of the reforms that have been implemented by the FBI, the problems identified in this report, anybody who actually reads the report, the details of the report, the documented portions of the report, I think uh, we find that um, the problems identified in the report are not susceptible to overnight fixes. As we said in the report, they cannot be addressed solely by enhancing training or additional policy requirements. Rather, what is required is accountability, both in terms of the standards to which our law enforcement personnel uh, hold themselves and in the consequences they face for violation of laws and policies of relevance. I'm here to answer your questions. I appreciate the opportunity to. I'll answer them to the best of my ability and I hope to be of service to your oversight function. As I'm sure you know, the Department of Justice um, has issued some guidelines as to what I'm authorized to discuss and those things that I am not authorized to discuss. In this regard, uh, accordingly, I'll refer principally to the report. 
I do want to emphasize a few points at the outset, however. First, I want to emphasize in the strongest terms possible that my colleagues and I carried out our work in good faith, with integrity, and in the spirit of following the facts wherever they lead, without fear or favor. At no time and in no sense did we act with a purpose to further partisan political ends, to the extent that somebody suggests otherwise that's simply untrue and offensive. Second, the findings set forth in this report are serious and deserve attention from the American public and its representatives. Let me just briefly highlight a few of those. For one, we found troubling violations of law and policy in the conduct of highly consequential investigations directed at members of the presidential campaign and ultimately a presidential administration. To me, it matters not whether it was a Republican campaign or a Democrat campaign. It was a presidential campaign. Our team comprised dedicated and experienced prosecutors and law enforcement agents who worked day in and day out through the entire um, COVID epidemic in the office trying to interview people, all in an effort to try to get to those facts and ground truth. Uh, that such a group of people made these findings, experienced FBI agents, experienced prosecutors, not people by and large from Washington, but from other parts of the country. The fact that these people made these findings, as reflected in the report, um, is of concern um, and should be of concern to any American who cares about our civil liberties, the rule of law, and the just and proportionate application of the law to all of us. Whether we're friends or we're foes, the law ought to apply to everybody in the same way. During our investigation, we charged a former FBI agent who pleaded guilty to the felony offense of altering and fabricating a portion of a document used to obtain a court order, a FISA order, of a surveillance of the United States citizen, which in our view is a significant problem. Several of the relevant FISA applications at issue um, in the Crossfire investigation omitted references to what was clearly relevant and highly exculpatory information that should have been disclosed to the FISA court. Multiple FBI personnel who signed or assisted in preparing renewal applications for that same FISA warrant acknowledged that they did not believe that the target, Mr. Page, was a threat to national security, much less a knowing agent of a foreign power, which is what the law requires. It appears from our investigation that the FBI leadership dismissed those concerns. Another aspect of our findings concerned the FBI's failure to sufficiently scrutinize information it received or to apply the same standards to allegations it received about the Clinton and Trump campaigns. As our report details, the FBI was uh, too willing to accept and use politically funded and uncorroborated uh, opposition research, such as the Steele dossier. The FBI relied on the dossier and FISA applications, knowing there was a likely um, material originating from a political campaign, a political opponent. It did so even after the President of the United States, the FBI and CIA directors and others received briefings about intelligence suggesting that there was a Clinton campaign plan underway to stir up a scandal tying Trump to Russia. The accuracy of the intelligence was uncertain at the time, but the FBI failed to analyze or even assess the implications of the intelligence in any meaningful way. When the FBI learned that the primary source of information for the Steele dossier, which was basically the guts of the narrative about there being a well 
um, uh, coordinate conspiracy involving Trump and the Russians. When they learned that uh, Danchenko was the um, uh, primary subsource uh, for those reports, it was at the time when the FBI already knew that Danchenko himself had previously been the suspect of an FBI espionage investigation. He was suspected of being a Russian asset. Um, and nonetheless, they signed him up as a paid informant without further investigation of that espionage concern to say nothing of resolving that espionage matter before using Denchenko and Denchenko's information. And when the FBI and Special Agent Mueller's office learned that Steele's primary subsource likely had gathered important portions of the dossier information uh, during travels to Russia with uh, one Charles Dolan, it inexplicably decided not to interview Dolan uh, or investigate his activities. Finally, I'd like to add that although our work exposed uh, deep concerns, um, concerning facts about the conduct of these investigations, our report should not be read to suggest in any way that Russian election interference was not a significant threat. It was. Nor should it be read to suggest that the investigation, um, the investigative authorities at issue uh, are no longer serve important law enforcement and national security interests. They do. Rather, responsibility for the failures and transgressions that occurred here rests with the people who committed them or allowed them to occur. Again, to my mind, the issues raised in the report deserve close attention from the American people and their elected representatives here in Washington. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Durham. Uh, the, we will now proceed under the five-minute uh, rule for questions. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Durham, for being here today. This is much anticipated. We have lots of questions for you. I'll try to set the table here at the outset uh, from 20,000 feet. The American people rely on the FBI to abide by its guiding principles, and you know what those are, fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And we rely upon them to uphold the Constitution and protect the American people. Americans deserve and expect from our premier law enforcement agency to apply justice blindly, and that is without political bias or ulterior motives. However, your report now famously states, and here's the big quote, based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, you concluded that the DOJ and FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law. There's no, way to, another, no other way to put this. The report illustrates egregious actions on behalf of the FBI that have further eroded faith in our institutions. Mr. Durham, in your report, and again here today, you said that your findings and conclusions are sobering. Could you unpack a little bit more what that means? Why do you say sobering? Well, let me, let me um, give you some real-life um, views on that. I have had um, any number of FBI agents um, who I've worked with over the years, some have retired, some are still in place, who have come to me and apologized for the manner in which uh, that investigation was undertaken. I take that seriously. These are good, hard-working majority of people in the FBI decent human beings who swear to, uh, under their oaths to uh, abide by the law and, and the like. And uh, I think that, that uh, typifies, exemplifies uh, the, of the concern here. Um, there, is, uh, there are investigative activities undertaken or not undertaken here, uh, which raise real concerns about whether or not the law was followed, the policies in place, the FBI were followed. Um, you wrote in your report, quote, based on the evidence gathered in the multiple exhaustive and costly federal investigations of these matters, 
including the instant investigation, neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the crossfire investigation. To date, has any evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia ever been uncovered? I mean, there is, there is information, obviously, in the um, report that was prepared by Director Mueller uh, and whatnot. But as uh, to collusion or conspiracy, I'm not aware of any. And, and, when, and, and let me stop you. When the FBI opened Crossfire Hurricane, that's the issue at hand, it did not have any information that anyone in the Trump campaign had ever been in contact with Russian intelligence officials. Isn't that right? As we wrote in, as we wrote in the, um, uh, the report, we talked to the director of the CIA, the deputy director of the CIA, the director of NSA, um, uh, and people within the uh, FBI, and there was no such information that they had in their holdings at the time they opened Crossfire Hurricane. And, and you uh, detail, I'm going to go quickly here, I run out of time. You, you, and you detail how FBI personnel working on FISA applications uh, violated protocols. They were cavalier at best, as you said in your own words, towards accuracy and completeness. Um, senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor uh, towards information that they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons or entities. And you said, quote, a significant reliance on investigative leads provided or funded by Trump's political opponents were relied upon here. Among the most alarm alarming things that you referred to in the report is the impact of confirmation bias. And you said in your report at page 303, that's defined as, or it stands for, the general proposition that there is a common human tendency, mostly unintentional, for people to accept information and evidence that is consistent with what they believe to be true. But, sir, here, this wasn't innocent, unintentional, unintentional human tendency, was it? It was overt political bias, was it not? Peter Strzok, for example. There are uh, some in individuals uh, who clearly express um, a personal bias. Um, it's difficult to get into somebody else's head to see what they do. Unless we have their emails, right? If, had, if Peter Strzok, for example, pronounced host had pronounced hostile feelings towards President Trump, everybody knows that. Everybody in the country knows it. So he was in charge of this. He was the Deputy Assistant Director of Counterintelligence officially opened the investigation at the direction of FBI, Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe. He said horrible things about President Trump and all of his supporters, by the way. How could we say he did not have political bias? Yeah, I know that uh, it clearly re reflects a personal bias that, that he had. I'll leave it to others and the facts that are set out in the, um, in the reports, whether that's political bias, personal bias, but there's clearly bias. What we know now is the FBI and the DOJ have been turned into activated political weapons against citizens and even a former president because of their opposing viewpoints, sir. Um, they failed to follow protocols in 2016, and you suggested new protocols may somehow be affixed to this. How can the American people have confidence that if they didn't follow, follow protocols in 2016 that they will do protocols? And I think that's why um, I said that in the opening remarks, you know, this is not an easy fix. I mean, it's going to take time uh, to rebuild the public's confidence in the institution. The changes and the reforms they have made are certainly changes that are going to guard to some extent against the repeat of what happened across our hurricane. I'm out of time. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from New York, Mr. Mr. Durham. Can you pull that microphone real close so everyone gets can hear what you said? We appreciate that. Gentleman from New York is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Durham, your report reads like a defense of the Trump campaign and an attack on Hillary Clinton because that's exactly what it is. Donald Trump wanted you to investigate the investigators to show the deep state conspiracy, but you never found one. Instead, you gave him and his MAGA Republicans the next best thing, someone else to blame for Donald Trump's problems. That's why you're here today, because the chairman and his colleagues need someone, anyone, 
to deflect from the mounting evidence of Trump's misconduct. Let me remind you that Donald Trump was federally indicted on 37 counts for mishandling classified information. 37 counts. That's why you're here today, not because of anything that happened in 2016. Ms. Durham, your investigation cost more than $6.5 million, involved the work of dozens of FBI employees and federal prosecutors, some of whom resigned in protest and took roughly four years to complete. Is that correct? No. It's not correct. No, I mean, there were multiple parts of that. Did it take four years to complete? Correct. Okay. And with all these resources and all these people you, you were sent to help you investigate the investigators, you only filed three criminal cases. You only brought two cases to trial, correct? Correct. And you lost all the cases you brought to trial, correct? Correct. In fact, two juries acquitted your defendants on all charges. And the one conviction that you obtained, the defendant pleaded guilty to a single count that never went to trial, correct? Correct. I will note that in that case, the primary investigative steps were all completed by Inspector General Horowitz. Perhaps you were better when it came to your report. From my reading, your report did not make any specific concrete recommendations to improve DOJ or FBI policies or procedures. In fact, your report repeatedly references the recommendations made by Inspector General Horowitz, almost all of which DOJ and FBI have already implemented. Again, your investigation lasted four years. Four years in untold sums of money, and you still obtained only one conviction. You did produce a 300-page report, though, and that's given my Republican counterparts plenty of material to spin. Mr. Durham, George Papadopoulos is a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign in spring 2016. Isn't that right? Correct. And in May 2016, he told an Australian diplomat that the Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Secretary Clinton. This is a fact that came out during the Mueller investigation, and your investigation found nothing to dispute this fact, correct? There's more detail to that in the report. Did you find anything to dispute this report, to dispute this fact? No. Okay. On page 50 of your report, you wrote that, you, you wrote that on July 28, 2016, FBI headquarters received the Australian information that formed the basis for the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, correct? Correct. So this fantasy that some MAGA Republicans have created where the investigation was started for any reason other than a Trump campaign operative bragging to Australian intelligence assets about Russian dirt that would damage Hillary Clinton is not true. And when the FBI received that information, according to your report, it had not just the predication to investigate, there was no question, you wrote, that the FBI had an affirmative obligation to closely examine the Australian information. Isn't that right? The FBI had an obligation to examine That's correct. So the origin of the investigation was not the Steele dossier, it was not Alpha Bank, it was a Trump aide's loose lips about his campaign's advanced view into a hack that had a profound effect on the 2016 election. That information supplied by the Australian government gave the FBI predication to begin an investigation. I'd like to discuss one more false conclusion about your report that's made its way into the MAGA Republican talking points. Some of my colleagues across the aisle have started calling this the, quote, Russia hoax. It's the theory that Russia did not actually interfere in the 2016 presidential election. That is patently false. In 2017, during the Trump administration, the Director of National Intelligence declassified a report on Russian activity in the 2016 election. You're aware of this report, correct? Correct. And in this report, the intelligence community found that, quote, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. 
Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency. We further assess Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. Close quote. You did not dispute that Trump ordered an influence campaign to influence the 2016 election in your report, did you? As I said, there was a yes or no threat. No. Okay. Special Counsel Mueller indicted 12 Russian intelligence officers in July 2018. Isn't that right? Correct. The 12 intelligence officers were indicted for attacking the Clinton campaign. On page 55 of your report, you acknowledge that at a press conference in 2016, Donald Trump on camera said, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Is that correct? That's correct. And two years later, they'll think of your order. Trump told the press that he believed Russian President Putin over his own intelligence officials when he told them Russia did not interfere during the 2016 elections uh, season. I see my time has expired. I yield back. Witness can respond if he chooses to. Chair now recognizes the gentleman from South Carolina, Mr. Fry, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We are here today to provide transparency, finally, to the American people. Seven years ago, the FBI launched Crossfire Hurricane, the less brazen attempt to keep Donald Trump out of the White House. This federal investigation, funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign, caused Americans to believe that then-candidate Trump was colluding with Russia in order to win the 2016 presidential election. Mr. Durham has spent four years investigating this, 480 witnesses, 6 million pages of documents, 190 subpoenas, and executing seven search warrants. Less than a month ago, he completed this report um, that instigated a baseless investigation and launched a partisan attack on President Trump, despite having no true justification to do this. That was the FBI. Within three days of receiving the information from a diplomat in Australia, the FBI opened a full-fledged investigation into the Trump campaign. So, Mr. Durham, let's get into this. The FBI opened up Crossfire Hurricane without speaking to the people who provided the initial information. Is that true? That's correct. The FBI opened Crossfire Hurricane on a Sunday, only three days after reviewing that information. Is that correct? That's correct. So just think about that for a moment. An investigation, a full investigation into a presidential campaign over a weekend. Mr. Duro, the FBI opened Crossfire Hurricane without interviewing any of the essential witnesses. Is that true? That's true. And the FBI also opened up Crossfire Hurricane without using any of the standard analytical tools typically employed to evaluate that evidence. Is that true? That's true. So think about that. The FBI never talked to the people who gave them the intelligence information. They never examined their own witnesses. They never interviewed the witnesses. They never corroborated the dossier. Mr. Durham, if the FBI had done these things, if they had done their homework, would it have found that its own Russian experts had no information about President Trump being involved with Russian leadership or Russian intelligence officials? Yes. So then, was there adequate predication for the FBI to open Crossfire Hurricane as a full investigation? On July 31st, in my view, based on our investigation, there was not a legitimate basis to open as a full um, investigation. Um, an assessment is something that had to be looked at, gather information, such as interviewing the people who provided um, the uh, Papadopoulos information, checking their own databases, the databases of other intelligence agencies, and the standard kinds of things that you would do in an investigation like this. Mr. Durham, I think it's safe to conclude, based on that report, and anyone who has read it, 
they did not have that adequate basis, as you talked about, to, to launch this investigation. Let's move on to a second really troubling aspect of, of your findings. From the report, I gathered that key FBI leaders, all the way at the top, were predisposed to go after candidate Trump. This bias likely affected the conduct of FBI personnel in this investigation. Is that true? Yes. Can you describe that for a moment? How did confirmation bias play into this? Confirmation bias, as uh, was alluded to, uh, has to do with our uh, human tendency to um, accept things that we already think are true and to reject anything else. In this instance, there are any number of significant red flags <clears throat> that were raised that were simply ignored. If there's evidence that was inconsistent with the narrative, um, they didn't pay attention to it. They didn't explore it. They didn't take the logical investigative steps that should have been taken. Let's see how real this bias was. FBI, FBI Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok drafted and approved the Crossfire Hurricane opening communication. Is that correct? That's correct. And in your investigation, your office discovered text messages between Strunk and Lisa Page, who was a special assistant to the FBI Director McCabe, expressing strong bias against candidate Trump. That's true. For the record, let me read aloud. This, this was generated by, by staff, but this would, 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 would look their, like their text messages. On August 18, 2016, Page texted Strunk, Trump's not going to become president, right? Right? And Strunk responded by saying, no, no, he's not. We'll stop it. It's clear that there was no evidence of Russia collusion with the Trump campaign in 2016. The American people deserve the truth, and I'm proud to serve on this committee to uncover these, these lies that were perpetuated for far too long. With that, Mr. Chairman, with my remaining 30 seconds, I will yield to you. To the, uh, Chairman Young back, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait for my time. We'll now recognize the gentlelady from uh, California. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Mr. Durham, for being here uh, this morning. Uh, the ranking member uh, explored uh, an item that I wanted to explore with you, which is based on the uh, information provided to the U.S. government by Australia that a campaign uh, aide had told one of their diplomats that the Russians had dirt on Clinton in the form of thousands of emails that and this is a quote from your report, as an initial matter, there's no question the FBI had an affirmative obligation to closely examine the Australian information. So that's in your report. And I think the issue might be preliminary versus full because you agree that there was an obligation to look at it based on that. Is that correct? That's what you well, say. you say based on that, but some of the premises of the question are inaccurate. Uh, Papadopoulos did not tell... Uh, no, uh, the question is, do you disavow what you said in your report, that you had an affirmative obligation, the FBI, to look at that? The answer to that question, but they had to look at it, yes. All right. I want to take a look at some of the other things uh, that I didn't find in your report. In looking at the FBI's behavior, uh, did you find any uh, evidence that the FBI was uh, taking a look at the, at the hacking of the... Democratic National Committee and their investigation of that? And if so, where is that in your report? That was outside the scope of what I was asked to do. And, and in the Mueller report, we found, he found, that the campaign manager, Mr. Manafort, was giving inside information, private polling data to the Russians, uh, that there was a meeting in Trump Tower with the president's son-in-law and his son, 
uh, where the Russians had promised they had dirt and the email from the president's son was something to the effect of, so we love it. Did the FBI look at that? Did you examine that? And if so, where is that in your report? That is not something I was asked to look at, and we didn't look at that. I'm wondering, did you take a look at how the FBI evaluated um, the alleged ties to Alpha Bank? Did you hire uh, cyber experts to actually take a look at those potential or alleged ties? Yes. Well, I didn't hire them. They were FBI experts. And where is that in your report? Um, I can't. Uh, it's in there. I can find the page. My, my colleagues can find the page, but it is a entire section on Alpha Bank. Um, the white papers and the data that were provided by Mr. Sussman to the FBI, and then the subsequent you know, but My question was, did you take a look, did, did you hire experts to evaluate the FBI's evaluation? I did not hire okay. experts to let me ask handle what the experts said, no. Let me ask another question. You, I thought it was a, down a rabbit's hole, but uh, you and Attorney General Barr went to Italy take a look at some allegation about foreign servers, and, and Italian officials gave you evidence that they said linked Donald Trump to certain financial crimes. Did the Attorney General ask you to investigate that matter that the Italians referred to you? And, and if so, did you take any investigative steps, and did you file charges, or if not, did you file a declination memo for decision not to charge in this case? The uh, question is outside the scope of what I think I'm authorized to talk about. It's not part of the report. I can tell you this, that investigative steps were taken, grand jury subpoenas were issued, and it came to nothing. Uh, I'd like to yield the balance of my time to my colleague from California, Mr. Schiff. Mr. Term, uh, DOJ policy provides that you don't speak about a pending investigation, uh, and yet you did, didn't you? Um, I'm not exactly sure what when, when the Inspector General issued a report saying that the investigation was properly predicated, you spoke out in violation of Department of Justice, Department of Justice policy, to criticize the Inspector General's conclusions, didn't you? I issued a public statement. I didn't do it anonymously. I didn't do it through third persons. There were Nonetheless, you violated department policy by issuing a statement while your investigation was ongoing, didn't you? I don't know that. If I did, then I did, but I was not aware that I was violating some policy. Uh, and you also sought to get the Inspector General to um, change his conclusion, did you not? When he was concluding that the investigation was properly predicated, did you privately seek to intervene to change that conclusion? This is outside the scope of the report, but if you want to go there, we asked the uh, Inspector General to take a look at the intelligence that's included in the classified appendix that you looked at and um, said that that ought to affect um, portions of his report. And you thought it was appropriate for you to intervene with an independent investigation by the Inspector General because he was reaching a conclusion you disagreed with. You thought that was appropriate. That's not, as the premise um, isn't right. The Inspector General um, circulated a draft memo to a number of um, agencies and persons. Our group was one of them. We were asked to review that draft and bring to his attention any concerns that we had or disagreements. And when he refused to change his report, you violated the chairman, I insist, on regular order. Well, it's not even his time. It's, it's Ms. Lofgren's time. So the gentleman yields back to Ms. Lofgren, who's not here, so the time has expired. Uh, Mr. Durham, in the summer of 2016, did our government receive intelligence that suggested Secretary Clinton had approved a plan to tie 
President Trump to Russia? Yes. Was that intelligence important enough for Director Brennan to go brief the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the Attorney General of the United States, and the Director of the FBI? Yes. And was that intelligence put then into a memorandum, a referral memorandum? Yes. And was that memorandum then given to Director Comey and Agent Strzok? This was addressed to, yes. Did Director Comey share that memorandum with the FISA court? I'm, I'm sorry, can you... Did he share that memorandum with the FISA court? Did Director Comey do that? I'm not aware of that if he did. Did he share it with the, with the lawyers preparing the FISA application? Not to my knowledge. Did he share it with the agents on the case working the Crossfire Hurricane case? No. Didn't share it with the agents on the case. Can you tell the committee what happened when you took that referral memo and shared it with one of those agents, specifically Supervisory Special Agent Number One? We interviewed the uh, first supervisor of the um, Crossfire uh, investigation, um, the operational person. Uh, we showed him the intelligence um, information. Uh, he indicated he had never seen it before. Uh, he immediately became uh, emotional, uh, got up and left the room with his lawyer, um, spent some time in the hallway, came back. Um, he and ticked off, wasn't he? Yes. He was ticked off because this is something he should have had as an agent on the case. It's important information that the director of the FBI kept from the people doing the investigation. The information was kept from him. Who's Charles Dolan? Charles Dolan uh, is a public uh, relations person here in uh, Washington, D.C. He had uh, prior involvement, professional involvement with the uh, Russian government, representing Russian government interests. Uh, he was a person that was associated with Igor uh, Danchenko. Um, he was also buddies with the Clintons, wasn't he? Uh, he had um, held positions um, when uh, President Clinton was president. And their campaign advisor to Secretary Clinton's presidential campaign, executive director of the Democrat Governors Association. That's the same Charles Dolan we're talking about? Uh, yes. Yeah. And wasn't he also a key source for information in the dossier? He provided some information that was included in Ritz the Ritz Carlton yes. stuff, the Manafort stuff. In the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and the Mueller investigation, when the FBI interviewed Mr. Dolan, what did he have to say? Um, to my knowledge, they didn't interview Mr. Dolan. They didn't interview this guy? Source for the dossier? Key information in the dossier? Buddies with the Clintons, they didn't talk to him? No. I mean, we report on that because um, even Christopher Steele in October 2016 identified Dolan as somebody that might have information. I find it interesting they didn't talk to him. What? There were, were there agents on the case who wanted to talk to Mr. Dolan, Mr. Durham? Yes. What happened to analyst number one? She kept pushing to talk to Mr. Dolan. She was ultimately turned down. What happened to her the day that she was turned down and said, no, no, you're, we're not talking to Dolan? What happened to her? Um, at about the same time, she was assigned to a different project. They moved her. They said, we can't have this. We can't have that. We can't be looking into the Clinton's buddy, a key source for the dossier. They reassigned her. And then what did she do? She memorialized it. She entered a memo to the file because she said, at some point the inspector general is going to want to know this information. I'm going to make it sure it's recorded temp contemporaneously. She put it in the file. That's, I mean, it's crazy. They didn't talk to the, the, to the key source. They kept key intelligence from the, the investigators. That's how bad this investigation was. But here's the scary part. I don't think anything has changed. The day your report came out, five weeks ago, May 15th, you got a letter Mr. Durham, addressed to you from the general counsel at the FBI, Mr. Jason Jones, writes you this six-page letter, and he says, not to worry, everything is fine. It's all been worked out at the FBI. He even says on page two, he says, 
Had the reforms implemented by current FBI leadership summarized below been in place in 2016, Bayer's detailed in your report never would have happened in the underlines. It said this would never happen because of the reforms we implemented in 2019 and 2020. And then he says on page four, one of the specific reforms, he says, FBI executive management has instructed investigations should be run out of the field and not from the headquarters. That statement is not true. Five weeks ago, the FBI wrote you and said everything has changed when in fact it hasn't and a statement in there is absolutely false and we know it's false because two weeks ago today, we interviewed Stephen D'Antuano, former head of the Washington field office, Mr. Durham, and here's what he said in his transcript. Head of the Washington field office, when the Trump classified document investigation began, he said, that case was handled differently than I would have expected it to be than any other cases handled. We learned a lot of stuff from Crossfire Hurricane that headquarters should not work the investigation. It's supposed to be the field offices. My concern is that the Department of Justice was not following these principles. Nothing is, and that's the thing that scares me the most. Nothing has changed. Mr. Durham, I'm just finished with this. 60% of Americans now believe there's a double standard at the Justice Department. You know why they believe that? Because there is. That has got to change. And I don't think more training, more rules is going to do it. I think we have to fundamentally change the FISA process, and we have to use the appropriations process to limit how American tax dollars are spent at the Department of Justice. I yield back. Then a lady from Texas has recognized Ms. Jackson Lee. Good morning. Good morning. You uh, value the independence of a special counsel, do you not? I do. In a letter to Attorney General Garland submitting your report, you asked him to allow you to continue investigation unencumbered. You said, we want to thank you and your office for permitting our inquiry to proceed independently without interference as you assured the members of the Judiciary Committee would be the case during your confirmation hearings to become Attorney General of the United States. You value your special counsel status. So it is accurate that Attorney General Garland let you proceed on your case as you wish. Is that true? That's true. And uh, yes or no, it was important to you that as a special counsel, your investigation was supposed to be independent. Is that correct? That's correct. Because special counsels and special attorneys are supposed to be independent, right? Special counsels. Yes. And independent. They're supposed to be independent. Is that correct? Special counsel is independent of the attorney general's That's, office. Thank you. Why is that the case in your view? Um, so there can be some confidence on the part of people looking at the investigation that was done, decisions uh, which were made. Thank you. Special counsels and special attorneys are supposed to be, for the American public, to present the potential of a conflict of interest between the government and a sensitive investigation. By appointing a special counsel and attorney general, is supposed to be finding an unbiased party to do the investigating. This was at a very high level. This was dealing with potential presidential candidates. This was dealing with Russia collusion and undermining the very fabric of the United States of America. And they are supposed to leave that person alone, as you commended Attorney General Garland for doing. So, unlike Attorney General Garland, Attorney General Barr was very involved in your investigation, wasn't he? He was not involved as a, when I became a special counsel. Prior to that, uh, I worked under the supervision of the Attorney General. And Deputy he was very involved, was he not? Let me just bring you to this point. Barr established early on that he was very interested in your investigation. On June 8, 2018, he sent then-Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein an unsolicited memo arguing that the Mueller investigation should not be able to force the President to submit to interrogation about obstruction. 
in his text message sending the memo, Barr wrote that he feels very deeply about some of the issues taking shape in the Mueller matter. How often did you meet with Attorney General Barr in 2019? Uh, before I was special counsel, um, um, maybe, well, with him himself, um, maybe every two weeks, three weeks, uh, something of that sort. And then after? Sometimes more frequently. And then after? After it became, uh, I had been appointed special counsel. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that I saw him, but I didn't meet with him on a lot. investigation. No, right. it's not a lot. How often did you speak or text with the attorney general? This is during the investigation. I wouldn't. During the, when I was special counsel or prior to that? Special counsel, sir. Um, I don't know how many times I texted with him. Right. Well, according to now public records, Barr scheduled at least 18 meetings or calls with you between 2019 March and October 2019, and you and he text messages with each other frequently, didn't you? Text messages. Yeah, I was appointed as special counsel in October, so before that, yeah, there were probably any number of uh, text messages. After that, I don't, I don't know. Here are some examples. On August 31, 2019, he sent you a message that said, John strongly suggests that you, a lot of interesting things. On February 6, 2020, you text him, sir, just emerging from a skiff. Are you open to a call earlier this morning? On February 14, 2020, Barr texts you, call me when you get a chance. On March 19, 2020, Barr texts, can I call you later? And you responded, most certainly. On March 27, 2020, you sent him the best phone number for you all during the time of being special counsel. And here's an interesting one. On September 24, 2019, the day that the Speaker Pelosi announced a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump, Attorney General Barr texts you, call me a ASAP, and later that day you text back. Do you have a minute for a quick call, Durham? What was the purpose of this call, Mr. Durham? Were you discussing the impeachment inquiry? I never had any conversation with Attorney General Barr about the impeachment inquiry. Mr. Durham, this is an awful lot of direct interactions with the Attorney General for imposed, supposedly independent counsel prosecutor. During these messages uh, that sound to you like appropriate interactions? Do they sound like appropriate interactions between an attorney general and a prosecutor investigating uh, the administration? Sure. Before uh, I was appointed special counsel, I worked for the attorney general of the United States. Um, that's but you subsequently became special counsel. I know that. Right. You subsequently became. Not only did you interact with the attorney general frequently, you also regularly engaged with one of his top deputies, Seth Ducham. What was your relationship with Mr. Ducham? Seth Ducham, I did an assistant United States attorney in the Eastern District of New York. He works with one of my sons, with their friends, and he, uh, at the time, was working in the Office of the Attorney General. It seems that rather than yeah, having an independent in in investigation, there was a lot of interaction between the Attorney I'm General and the Attorney which shows that with the, time the Attorney General was actively directing your work. General lady your yields, the General Lady yields back. I think this is amazing, Mr. Durham. You had eight text messages with the Attorney General of the United States in 11 months time period. That's 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 amazing. I can't believe it. Mr. Chairman, parliamentary inquiry. Whose, whose time is that that you were speaking of? That was that time that was yielded to me earlier that I yielded back. I think. That's a Mr. Chairman, that is that is absolutely inappropriate. I was just pointing out something that I think is so. Mr. So Chairman, that is not appropriate. And we will go to Mr. Klein for five minutes. The gentleman from George or from Virginia, excuse me, is recognized. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Durham, your, your report is not just sobering, as you stated. It's, it's outrageous and deeply troubling. Can you confirm these several main points that it, that it found? The FBI did not have an adequate basis on which to launch Crossfire Hurricane, correct? 
That's correct. The FBI failed to examine all available exculpatory evidence, correct? Correct. FBI leadership continued the investigation even when case agents were unable to verify the evidence, correct? That's correct. The FBI did not interview key witnesses in Crossfire Hurricane, correct? Correct. And individuals within the FBI abused their authority under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, correct? Correct. The FBI immediately opened Crossfire Hurricane as a full counterintelligence investigation. What other options could the FBI have taken rather than immediately opening such an investigation? Attorney General um, Edward Levy essentially created the guidelines in this area, these three divisions of assessments, preliminary, and then full, although they were different names at the time. That has evolved over time and become more particular. In this instance, um, the information that they had received from Papadopoulos about a suggestion of a suggestion and not anything about emails, but just a suggestion of a suggestion, was sufficient um, and would have been, uh, would have required the FBI to take a look at, well, what is this about? The opening is an assessment, and then you would analytically go try to collect intelligence that either supports or refutes or explains that information. That's the whole purpose of it. You assess it, and then you can move to a preliminary investigation. And if the evidence bears it out, then you go to a full investigation where you have all the uh, tools available, including the most intrusive uh, physical surveillance and electronic surveillance of U.S. citizens. And here, they just immediately want to open it as a full investigation without ever having talked to the Australians or gathered other evidence. Right, so investigators relied on misstatements by the confidential human source, ignored exculpatory statements made by Papadopoulos in submitting the FISA applications to surveil Carter Page, correct? That's correct. Is it true that an FBI employee fabricated this evidence? Can you expand on that, that fabrication and, and the reliance to support that? Uh, sure. in, in connection with the, one of the extensions, the final extension of renewal of the FISA on Carter Page, one of the agents who had come on board wanted to be certain that there was information that uh, was their information as to whether or not Carter Page had been a source of information to the CIA and pressed uh, Kevin Kleinsmith in the um, general counsel's office of the FBI on that point. <clears throat> Kleinsmith got a hold of people at another government agency, intelligence agency, on the issue, and that person indicated, not indicated, said that yes, in the FBI parlance, uh, Carter Page was the source and put that in writing. <clears throat> when Kleinsmith talked to the agent who was saying, we want to be sure on this, is, was he or was he not a source, Kleinsmith said, no, he said he's not. He said, did we get that in writing? Kleinsmith said, yes. And they said, well, I want to see it. And then Kleinsmith altered the other government agency document to reflect this, to say that Page was not a source when he, in fact, was a source. That's the gist of it. What did the investigators mean when they said they hoped the returns on the Carter Page vice application would, quote, self-corroborate? <clears throat> that is another uh, troublesome uh, thing. Maybe agent was... They're saying, well, if we can get on um, um, surveillance, electronic surveillance of Page, then we'll find out essentially whether we really do have probable cause or not. We would self-corroborate in that sense. Are investigators supposed to corroborate information before or after it's included in a FISA application? Yeah. Um, you have to have that before you intrude in the liberties of American citizens. In fact, the FBI is required to follow its Woods procedures which the FBI adopted to ensure the accuracy of the information contained in FISA applications, correct? That's correct. And did, FISC, did the FISC ever criticize the FBI's handling of the page FISA application? 
Yes. And what were some of those concerns that they raised? Well, ultimately, uh, the FISC uh, issued um, an order, a memorandum, indicating that um, uh, had the information that was uh, disclosed in the investigation uh, done by Inspector General Horowitz, did a very thorough job uh, and a good job and a well-written report, had they known that, at least uh, the uh, second and third renewal applications uh, would not have established probable cause. And I think the Bureau, uh, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, the Department of Justice acknowledged that as well. If the FISC had all of the information that uh, I think is included in this report, I think it's highly doubtful that there would have ever been an application submitted, and if it was submitted, that the FISC would have ever granted that order. Thank you. I yield back. Yields back. The gentleman from Tennessee is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Durham, you were appointed by whom? Um, I was, uh, who recommended you and appointed you? As the special counsel? No, as the U.S. attorney. As U.S. attorney. Um, as President Trump at the time. With two Democratic senators from Connecticut supporting the nomination. Mr. Trump appointed you. Do you believe Mr. Trump has pretty good judgment on people, their abilities, their character? I'm not going to characterize um, Mr. Trump or my thoughts about Mr. Trump. Mr. Barr appointed you special counsel, is that correct? That's correct. Mr. Trump has called Mr. Barr a gutless pig, a coward, and a rhino. Which of those is correct? Which isn't? In my experience, none of those are correct. So Mr. Trump isn't that good of an expert on character and judging people. In your opinion, he isn't, because he's, he's none of those. He's not a gutless pig. But Trump says he is. Yeah. That's outside the scope of my report. Also outside the scope of your report, apparently. <laughs> also outside of the scope of your report or your, was, was apparently the meeting at Trump Tower between the Russians and the Trump boys where they talked about allegedly adoptions, but we know it was really about sanctions. How was that outside of your report? Yeah, I'm not... I, I'm sorry, I didn't quite follow that. Meeting at the Trump Tower... Attorney, uh, the Russian attorney came to the Trump and Donald Trump Jr. was just wonderful, wonderful. We love it. We love it. Uh, Russian decisions to interact with the Trump campaign and influence the actions of the campaign, allegedly for adoption law, but really for sanctions relief. The FBI came up with that, did they not? And, um, a meeting took place at Trump Towers on June 9th. The lure, if I understand it, was that there was some um, information, derogatory information on Clinton that was going to be provided. They met, and as I believe in a HIPSI report, the HIPSI report fully laid that out, that the discussion then at Trump Towers was about adoption, not about anything relating to Mrs. Clinton. It's totally, it was totally about sanctions. You're trying to get rid of the Magnitsky law. Adoptions is a ruse. Should you not have gone and looked into that and seen what the Russians were wanting in return for that? Because that's the biggest thing Putin wanted at the time, was to get Trump to relieve his people of Magnitsky sanctions. I think that um, um, Director Mueller investigated that, and I believe one of your House committees um, explored that. That was outside the scope of what we were looking at. And, and, and it was outside the scope of your authority to look at Klimnik and, and Manafort meeting and exchanging polling data. Was that, a, I'm sorry, I'm not following you. Manafort. Remember Manafort, the crook that managed the campaign for nothing but got tons of money from the from different Russian 
people over the years that y'all pardoned. That your, Mr. Barr later got helped in with the commutation or a pardon, I think a pardon. Manafort. I know who Mr. Manafort is. Yeah. He met with Kalimnik and they discussed polling data. You don't know about that? No, the Mr. Kalimnik met with a lot of people, including people. He met with Manafort and discussed polling data. Do you not know about that? I'm aware of that. All right. Why did you not think it was a good idea for you to look into it and see if the FBI wasn't correct and that there was collusion, a connection between Russia and the Trump campaign to elect Trump? My assignment was to look at the conduct of the intelligence community agencies, uh, not to conduct a separate investigation that was done by House or that was done by the Senator, was done by Director Mueller. You don't think that if there was if the intelligence communities, the FBI, and others came up with this information and did good work, that that should be part of your balanced report? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not following your question. I apologize. Well, if I tried to follow your report. Mr. Donald Trump Jr. would have called it a, a nothing burger. Mm -hmm. You got no convictions. You got nothing. It was all set up. To hurt the Mueller report, which was correct and was redacted, to hurt the Bidens, and to help Trump. And you were a part of it. You have a good reputation. You had a good reputation. That's why the two Democrats supported you. But the longer you hold on to Mr. Barr and this report that Mr. Barr gave you as special counsel, your reputation will be damaged. As everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged, he's damaged goods. There's no good dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time. Sure. My, we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on, on how he feels about the former president. Gentlemen, witness can respond. Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect, and my family, and my Lord. And I'm perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir. Well said. God bless you. Um, the... Um, the, the, the chair recognizes the gentleman from Wisconsin, uh, Mr. Fitzgerald. Mr. Durham, uh, thank you for being here today. On October 3rd, 2016, the FBI met with Christopher Steele, who confessed to relying heavily on a Russian national living in Washington, D.C. as a subsource. That subsource was later identified as Igor Danchenko. Uh, Steele not only used Danchenko to create the dossier, but according to your report, Steele was unable to corroborate any of the substantial allegations made in the dossier. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, even after the FBI offered Steele a million dollars if somehow he could actually follow through and, and underscore some of those uh, specific uh, items. Is that correct? That's correct. So the FBI interviewed Danchenko and Steele Subsource, the Steele Subsource, for three days, from January 24th through January 26th of 17. However, according to your report, Danchenko could not provide any evidence corroborating allegations contained in the dossier. Is that correct? That's a fact. And yet the FBI paid Danchenko $220,000 during this time as a confidential human source. Is that correct? That's correct. And did the FBI propose making continued future payments to Danchenko, totaling more than $300,000? That's correct. Danchenko becomes a confidential human source that enlists his own subsource, Charles Dolan, as was brought up earlier, 
was a Democrat operative and had previously served as an advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign. Is that is that your understanding? Is that correct? That's correct. Did Danchenko ever disclose his relationship with Charles Dolan to the FBI that you're aware of? He did not during the um, interviews that were conducted in January. Subsequently, he was specifically asked um, in an interview um, with his then handler, you know, Charles Dolan, to listen to the recording. He hesitates for some awkward period of time and said, yes, I know who Dolan is. So he acknowledged knowing um, Mr. Dolan. You think it had anything to do with he was simply worried that disclosing a Democrat operative as a substores might jeopardize the whole uh, payroll deal that the FBI had set up with them? We lay these facts out um, as we do other facts in the report and leave it to others to draw the reasonable conclusions or inferences from those facts. Very good. Of, a hundred, of the hundreds of individuals who the FBI interviewed through the course of Crossfire Hurricane and Miller's special counsel investigation, um, this came up earlier. Was Charles Dolan ever interviewed by the FBI? He was not. Do you have any insight as to why the FBI would not interview him or overlook such a high-profile person in this whole investigation? <clears throat> and that's something of a mystery. Going back to October 3rd, um, according to the um, ALAT, the assistant legal attaché for the Bureau, um, uh, when he first... Oh, I'm sorry, going back to July 5th, when he first met with Steele, um, Steele had indicated uh, to uh, him uh, at the time that H.C. was aware of uh, what E. Steele was doing. When the Bureau went back to interview uh, Steele on October 3rd um, about matters relating to Crossfire Hurricane, uh, Steele, in fact, had provided the Bureau uh, with Dolan's name as somebody who might have information relating to Trump that he's never interviewed. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't know why they never uh, interviewed um, Trump. Uh, I'm sorry, why they did not interview Mr. Uh, Mr. Dolan, but they didn't. Um, the explanation that was given to the um, intelligence analyst who's referred to in the report essentially was that that would be outside the scope of um, their mission, outside the, their role. Very good. Uh, you note in your report on page 168 that one of the analysts of the Miller team was told, quote, to cease all research and analysis related to Dolan, unquote. This was the same analyst who, according to your footnote, uh, prepared a timeline in the event she were later interviewed about her role on the Miller Special Counsel investigation. Is that correct? That's correct. Igor Donchenko had also relied on other subsources, namely, namely Olga Belkina and Sergey Millen. When the FBI interviewed those two subsources, were either of them able to verify the information in the Steele dossier? Well, speaking first to um, Millian, um, we interviewed uh, Millian as well. He's outside the country. He um, claims to fear for his safety and, and whatnot, but he adamantly denied ever talking to Denchenko or providing uh, any information um, uh, akin to what was in the Steele reporting. Um, in fact, he was a, a supporter of President Trump, which made it seem highly unlikely that he would be providing derogatory information to somebody he had never met or spoken to. Uh, so that's as, as to uh, Milian. With respect to Ms. Uh, uh, Galkina, uh, Ms. Galkina was somebody 
um, who provided some information to Vanchenko, provided some information to Dolan. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm out of time. Gentleman, gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Georgia. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Special Counsel Durham, in March of 2019, before releasing the Mueller report to the public, Attorney General Barr released a statement mischaracterizing its findings and conclusions. And shortly thereafter, Attorney General Barr announced that he was investigating the FBI for investigating Putin's interference in the 2016 presidential election. And then in April or May of 2019, Attorney General Barr appointed you to lead that investigation. Isn't that correct? He did appoint me to lead the investigation, yes, sir. And then in October of 2020, uh, uh, Attorney General Barr appointed you as uh, an independent special counsel so that you could continue investigating the origins of the Russia, Russia, Russia investigation once Trump was out of office, correct? I was appointed uh, special counsel in October, yes. And by that time, your investigation had already cost the American taxpayers over $6.5 million. Isn't that correct? Um, at that point, probably not, no. Well, at this point, how much has it cost? As I understand the figure, having looked at it, it's around $6.5 million. Um, and, and after three and a half years of investigation and six and a half million dollars of taxpayer money spent, your investigation led to the indictment of only three individuals, correct? That's correct. Well, it's and contrary, and contrary to the fervent prayers of some on this panel, uh, former FBI Director Jim Comey and former CIA Director John Brennan were not among those three who were indicted. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And to the extreme disappointment of some on this panel, your investigation failed to produce indictments against Hillary Clinton, correct? That's correct. Didn't indict Barack Obama. That's correct. Didn't in indict Joe Biden. That's correct. Couldn't even indict Hunter Biden. You didn't correct? investigate Mr. Hunter Biden. And of your three prosecutions, one ended with a guilty plea to an unrelated, uh, 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 unrelated to the origins of the FBI investigation, and that individual received a probated sentence with no jail time, correct? Parts of that are correct. And the other two men you prosecuted went to trial on the charges, uh, charging, they, they were accused of lying to the FBI, and both were slam dunk acquitted, isn't that correct? They were acquitted. And none of the individuals you prosecuted were ever charged with being part of a hoax or a fraud or a witch hunt or a politically motivated deep state conspiracy against Donald Trump. Isn't that correct? I would not say that that's accurate. You mean you did charge somebody with being a part of a hoax? We charged Mr. Sussman with having knowingly provided false information to the FBI regarding the Alpha Bank. But he, lying was, he was acquitted, though, right? Well, that wasn't your question. Well, he was, Mr. Sussman was acquitted after you charged him, correct? Grand jury found He was found right? innocent by a jury of, uh, by a unanimous jury of 12. That's not true. No. What's true is the grand jury found probable cause to indict Mr. Uh, Sussman. A jury of his peers acquitted him, though, correct? And a trial you're not, you're not going to disagree on that, are you, uh, Mr. Durham? I'm going to try to answer your question as well. Let me ask you this. 
because in your report, you uh, related or alluded to allegations of misconduct against Mr. Sussman and Mr. Danchenko as if those allegations had been proven, had been proven true at trial, when in fact both those individuals had been acquitted and your allegations disproven. Do you believe that it's ethical to state something as a fact in an official government report when the court system found that you could not prove those allegations? Well, I think if you read the report, you'd see that we talked about the results of the trial, and we included all of the evidence that we had available, unfortunately not all of which was admitted at trial. Well, well let me ask so you this, Mr. Durham. You closed your investigation after you failed to find that the FBI investigation into Putin's interference in the 2016 election was politically motivated and was a deep state conspiracy against ex-President Trump. You were unable to prove that that was true. That is, so you, that is not what I was investigating. Well, but you did not find that that was true, correct? You found it to be false, as a matter of fact. If you, if, um, you Isn't that correct? You have a chance to read the report. Well, I did. Mr. Chairman, the time has expired. Could the gentleman be allowed to answer the question? Someone can respond. Tom, the gentleman from Georgia expired. The witness can respond. Saying if you if you read the report, we lay the facts out in the report as to these matters. I'm not here to talk about Mr. Trump. I'm not here to talk about um, deep state or whatever other um, characterizations you made. This report is factual. Nobody's raised any issues as to whether it's factually inaccurate uh, in any way. People can draw their own conclusions based on those facts. Yep. Mr. Jim, you've been at it an hour and a half here. We can keep going. If you can keep going, uh, just let us know when, if and when you meet. Yeah, I'm you fine. Whatever okay, the great. committee wants. You're now recognized the gentleman from California, Mr. Eisen. Mr. Durham, uh, each of us on the panel has a different background and a different uh, idea of what's best to get out of this report and the work that you've done so faithfully, not just for the last four years, but for your entire career. So I'm going to start off by asking, uh, uh, is it true that you have uh, the Attorney General's Exceptional Service Award uh, decoration for your service? That's true. Is it also true that you uh, have the uh, Attorney General's Distinguished Service Award? That's true. And uh, who awarded you that? You know, that goes back in time. Attorney General Reno uh, had... No, no, 2012. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, in 2012... I'm trying to remember what the word was. I, I don't frankly recall. I don't really just just for the record, it's Eric Holder. Yeah. Um, that was that was the CIA investigation. That's right. It's uh, Attorney General Holder. It was, and uh, you uh, you had to deal with some of the most despicable people and 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 do the things that we do sometimes when wrong has been done. Uh, so I want to thank you for that. It seems like for your entire career, you've been a go-to for difficult situations. Uh, uh, not necessarily the standard, I, I'm trying to rise quickly award, but in fact, you're a career investigator. And uh, I would imagine pretty closely that you've got your 82% overall. But I want to talk about something that I'm not qualified to talk about, but I can ask you. Are there what you would call unindicted co-conspirators in this? In other words, are there people at all levels who did things wrong who were not charged with crimes because of the limitation of the ability to bring charges against them for what they did, even if it was wrong. 
We brought charges where we thought in good faith that we could prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. Is okay. That, is there ev evidence beyond that, of course. Sure. So, in your experience as a career prosecutor, when, when people break the rules and it changes the outcome of something, like launching an investigation without a predicate, like uh, the president, the vice president, the attorney general, and a host of others, FBI director, knowing that this had been started with a false predicate, knowing that Hillary Clinton's campaign, with her approval, in fact, had authorized this, not op research, but this weaponizing of a false claim. When they did that, they, in fact, changed the outcome, whether criminal or not, of many things, including certainly some things in voters' minds. Isn't that correct? Generally speaking, there are lots of bad things that people do that aren't crimes. Um, we can only charge those that aren't crimes. I appreciate that. So when people are constantly making this point that somehow you didn't put enough people in jail, you gave us 300 pages that give us a responsibility. And uh, as I said, I, I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm the smart lawyer up here at all, or even a lawyer. But I am somebody that understands organization, oversight, and transparency. In your report, you, uh, you do note the changes made and so on. Unless we make changes in transparency to outside individuals who can be counted on to be ombudsmen to the process, isn't it true that if the president, the vice president, the attorney general, and a host of other top people at the FBI and Department of Justice choose in the future to push to make, to make outcomes occur that would not occur according to their own printed rules, that no rule per se is going to change that? I think that's true. As we say in the report, ultimately what this comes down to is the integrity of the people who are doing the job. Are they adhering to their oath or are they not adhering to their oath? Are they following the law or are they not following the law? Well, in my 20 plus years uh, on this side of the dais, what I've found is that people, when the light of day is shed on them, follow the rules much better than they aren't. So for all of us up here, I want to thank you for your contributions and your service. Hopefully, I know you're going into, you've gone into retirement, but hopefully in the future, as we begin looking at reforms that can be counted on and believed by the American people, at reforms that create better transparency, at reforms that do not allow FISA judges to be misled by people with an agenda, that you'll be available to at least give us some of the uh, guidance from your decades of knowing how it's done right at the Department of Justice. And, Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you for your indulgence and so many people. I will not take excess time. I believe this witness's 300-plus pages speaks extremely well for itself, and I yield back. Gentlemen, yields back. The gentleman from California is recognized. Mr. Durham, uh, just so people remember what this is all about, let me ask you. The Mueller investigation revealed that Russia interfered in the 2016 election in sweeping and systemic fashion, correct? That's correct. And Russia did so through a social media campaign that favored Donald Trump and disparaged Hillary Clinton, correct? As the report says, yes. And Mueller found that a Russian intelligence service hacked computers associated with the Clinton campaign and then released the stolen documents publicly. Is that right? That report speaks for itself as well. Mueller also reported that though he could not establish the crime of conspiracy beyond a reasonable doubt, he also said, quote, a statement that the investigation did not establish certain facts does not mean there was no evidence of those facts. That also appears in the report, doesn't it? It's the language of that effect, yes. 
In fact, you cited that very statement in your own report, did you not, as a way of distinguishing between proof beyond a reasonable doubt and evidence that falls short of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Correct. As an illustration of this, both Mueller and congressional investigations found that Trump's campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was secretly meeting with an operative linked to Russian intelligence named Konstantin Kalimnik, correct? That's my understanding, yes. And that Manafort, while chairman of the Trump campaign, gave that Russian intelligence operative the campaign's internal polling data, correct? That's what I've read in the news, yes. And that Manafort provided this information to Russian intelligence while Russian intelligence was engaged in that social media campaign and the release of stolen documents to help the Trump campaign, correct? You may be getting beyond the uh, depth of my knowledge, but... Well, let me, let me say very simply, while Manafort, the campaign chairman for Donald Trump, was giving this Russian intelligence officer internal campaign polling data, Russian intelligence was helping the Trump campaign, weren't they? I, I, don't, I don't know that. You no, really don't know those right. very basic facts of the investigation? I know the general um, facts, yes. Do I know that particular fact myself? No. I mean, I know that I've read that in the media. Are you aware, uh, Mr. Durham, that Mueller and congressional investigations also revealed that Don Jr. was informed that a Russian official was offering the Trump campaign, quote, very high-level and sensitive information, unquote, that would be incriminating if Hillary Clinton was part of, quote, Russia and its government support of Mr. Trump? Are you aware of that? Sure, people get phone calls all the time from uh, individuals who claim to have information like that. Really, the son of a presidential candidate gets calls all the time from a foreign government offering dirt on their important opponent? Is that what you're saying? I don't think this is unique in your experience. Uh, so you, uh, you have other instances of the Russian government offering dirt on uh, a presidential candidate to the presidential candidate's son. Is that what you're saying? Would you repeat the question? Uh, you said that it's not uncommon to get offers of help from a hostile foreign government in a presidential campaign directed at the president's son. You really stand by that, Mr. Durham? Saying that, it, that people can make phone calls um, making uh, claims uh, all the time that you may have experienced. Are you really trying to diminish the significance of what happened here and the secret meeting that the president's set, son set up in Trump Tower to receive that incriminating Information trying to diminish the significance of that, Mr. Durham? I'm not trying to diminish it at all, but I think the more complete story is that they met and it was a ruse and they didn't talk about Mrs. Clinton. Uh, and, and you think it's insignificant that he had a secret meeting with the Russian delegation for the purpose of getting dirt on Hillary Clinton, and the only disappointment to express that meeting was that the dirt they got wasn't better. You don't think that's significant? I don't think that that was a well-advised thing to do. Oh, no. oh, not, not well-advised. Right. Well, that's, that's the understatement of the year. So you think it's perfectly appropriate or, or maybe just ill-advised for a presidential campaign to secretly meet with a Russian delegation to get dirt on their opponent? You would merely say that's inadvisable? Yeah, if you're asking me what I do, it, I, don't, I hope I wouldn't do it. But it's, it was not illegal. Uh, it, was, it was stupid, foolish, ill-advised. Well, it, it is illegal to conspire to get... Uh, incriminating opposition research from a hostile government that is of financial value to a campaign wouldn't that violate campaign laws? I don't know. I don't know all those facts to be true. Well, your report, Mr. Durham, doesn't dispute anything Mueller found, did it? 
No, our, our object, our aim, was not to dispute Director Mueller. I have the greatest regard, highest regard for Director Mueller. He's a patriot. The only distinguishment between his investigation and yours is he refused to bring charges where he couldn't prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and you did. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The gentleman from Colorado is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Durham, I want to, as a fellow alum of uh, DOJ, I want to thank you for your service, number one. And number two, welcome you to Congress. It's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> I, uh, I want to ask you some questions about uh, FISA and, and um, some of your uh, most recent experiences as the uh, special counsel and, and what your uh, specific advice would be, I guess. I, I am uh, concerned with the conclusions in your report, and I just want to suck it. have been mentioned several times here, but... Uh, in your opening statement, you talk about lack of investigative discipline, a failure to take logical investigative steps, and bias. It appears to me that the lack of investigative discipline and the failure to take logical investigative steps are a result of bias. Is that fair? It's, I think that that's fair. When you look at what uh, is involved here, this is a presidential campaign. Um, it's not a run-of-the-mill uh, investigation. This is... Um, so highly sensitive, it could affect the outcome of um, a presidential election and the future of the nation. You would expect that the discipline that would have been followed would have been um, higher than ever. Um, and that didn't happen here. There was sort of analytical rigor, the discipline and how we investigate criminal matters, that was just absent here in large measure. Fair, uh, fair to say that there was a rush to judgment? I'm sorry? Fair, fair to say that there was a rush to judgment? In other words, the judgment of uh, proceeding with the investigation before following proper procedure? It's been alluded to here. The information that they had received from the Australian diplomats, not Australian intelligence or law enforcement, but Australian diplomats about something that was said at a bar. <clears throat> Within three days of that information having been received at FBI headquarters, the deputy director of the FBI, according to Mr. Strzok, told him to immediately open that, and it was opened as a full investigation on a weekend with Mr. Strzok not only writing the opening electronic communication, the opening memo, but approving that memo as well. And, and this is the same Mr. Strzok uh, who we saw the uh, text message from that had a clear bias regarding President Trump. It's the same person, yes. And uh, how long did Director... Comey serve in the FBI before he became director? Um, I'm not saying Department of Justice, I'm saying FBI. Right. My knowledge, he, he was not um, in the FBI prior to becoming director. And he promoted the people, Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok, others, to the position in headquarters and then dealt with them there. Is that fair? He would have certainly had a role in the advancement of people in the upper management of the uh, FBI, yes. Um, my concern is that the, the bias that has been demonstrated there, whether it has been um, uh, eradicated or dealt with, um, could exist in any of these agencies. And these agencies have access to very sensitive information, information that we in Congress um, allow uh, for counterterrorism, counterintelligence activities, um, and it really goes around the Constitution because it, it does not deal with U.S. citizens. And I'm talking about the FISA uh, rules now. Uh, have you heard of backdoor searches? 
I've heard the term, yes, sir. And, and it refers to the ability of an agency to look at a U.S. citizen's communications because the communication was with a foreign individual and it was recorded because that foreign individual was being looked at. Is that fair? That's fair. And the uh, if there was this bias in an agency like the FBI um, that, that, that we saw previously, um, and they wanted to go after a U.S. citizen, they could use that technique to go after that citizen. And my question to you is, how do we prevent that? How do we in Congress take a look at FISA, try to maintain the national security interests, but at the same time protect U.S. citizens from a rogue agency, a biased agency or agent, I shouldn't say agency and condemn everyone, but, but individuals in the agency, how do we protect American citizens from what could occur. And, I, and let me give you another quick example. Uh, going out and buying information from uh, private data uh, sellers to, to obtain information that you couldn't obtain uh, with a search warrant because you don't have probable cause. Those techniques are all available under FISA. What should we do? You know, that's clearly beyond my, um, uh, my background and experience. These are very complicated uh, questions, particularly when we know the adversaries are doing the same thing. And, you know, what, what do we do under those circumstances? I think you've got a very tough job in figuring out how, you, how do you balance the liberties of the American people, protect the liberties of the American people, while at the same time protecting um, the country and, uh, and the nation and the people of the United States. Um, I don't feel qualified, really, to provide you with any um, helpful information along those lines. But I know that it is a serious issue and a serious concern. I thank you, and I yield back. Gentleman yields back uh, before going to the gentleman from California. General lady from Texas has a unanimous consent, I think. Okay. Mr. Chairman, uh, I ask unanimous consent to submit records from the Department of Justice reflecting meetings with the U.S. Attorney John Durham. These records were in response to American Oversight's request for DOJ communications between the offices of the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General and the Durham or his first assistant. I ask unanimous consent to place this in the record of this hearing. Without objection, so ordered. Mr. Chairman, I have unanimous consent. Mr. Chairman, you and your colleagues have continually cited to Steve uh, DeUnio's uh, transcribed interviews using selected statements taken out of context. I move for unanimous consent to enter the entire transcript into the record so the American public can see for itself exactly what he said. Yeah, we will work on that. Yeah, we'll work on that. We don't want to, we gotta, we'll talk with the Chairman. We, we want to make that fully available. Mr. Chairman, you're objecting to a unanimous consent request then to some... Mr. Chairman, I object. Okay. So, if I understand correctly, Mr. Chairman, you're happy to cite selected portions of the transcript We're, out of context, but you're not happy to Mr. Chairman, there's an objection. Is there further action? You don't want the American public to see this, Mr. Eisen? Roll call vote, please. I just want to clarify for the gentleman. Uh, we want to put the transcript out. There's a couple. We've got a little work to do on certain names that have to be redacted for, for obvious reasons. But, um, yeah, we, want to, we, we definitely want to put the transcript out. We'll work, we work with the minority to make sure that happens. I, want, I, want, I thought it was an amazing interview by Mr. Dan Spano, the former head of the Washington Field Office. We want that information out to the public, and we'll make sure it happens. Can I suggest, Mr. Chairman, that you grant the request subject to redactions to protect personally private information? So, without objection, so ordered. Thank you very much. Gentleman from California is... is and you have accepted my submission. I didn't hear that right away. Right Thank away. you. Thank you. Gentleman from California is recognized. 
Mr. Durham, uh, many of my MAGA colleagues want you to be someone who you are not and to say something that you clearly won't. And so I wanted to start by thanking you for your many years of service to our country uh, as a federal prosecutor. I want to talk a little bit more about the independence of a special counsel uh, and just clarify, you did send multiple texts to the Attorney General after you were appointed a special counsel. Did you ever text message with Attorney General Garland once he took over as Attorney General? No, um, Attorney General Garland had me communicate through the principal uh, deputy Attorney General, uh, Mr. Wein, uh, uh, Weinsheimer. Did you ever travel overseas with Attorney General Garland? No. And I met with the Attorney General, but I didn't travel overseas with him. And President Biden, through the Attorney General, could have had you removed, fired. Is that right? Um, I'm sure he could have. And you stayed on? I uh, completed my term as special counsel. Was there anyone you wanted to indict that you were prohibited from indicting by Attorney General Garland? No. So if you wanted to, you could have indicted Hillary Clinton, but you never asked. Is that right? If I had the evidence, um, uh, yeah, you could have, for sure. If you wanted to indict President Biden, you could have asked, right? Yeah, that was not part of our mission. We weren't uh, really looking at that. But. If you could have indicted Director Comey, you could have asked. Is that right? And you didn't. Yeah, the Attorney General, uh, Attorney General uh, Garland had never asked me not to indict somebody. Right. So I just want to make it clear to my colleagues, you had all the power in the world to indict anyone that you had evidence to indict, and you were never blocked from doing it. That's correct? That's correct. I also want to compare you to the last major special counsel investigation that we had. You agree Special Counsel Mueller charged dozens of individuals, and you indicted three. Is that correct? Indicted two and another a third pleaded guilty. Right. And Special Counsel Mueller had dozens of convictions, some at trial, but no defendant was outright acquitted. Is that right in the Mueller investigation? Outright acquitted. Across the board, every charge acquitted. Right. I, I don't believe there are any acquittals. I'm not sure there were uh, dozens of convictions. There were dozens of, there, yeah, more than a dozen people who were indicted. You were wise earlier to not weigh in on Donald Trump's character. You are under oath after all. Um, but did anything in your report prove false that Russians met with Trump's family during the campaign at Trump Tower after an offer of dirt on Hillary Clinton? Anything prove that that meeting didn't happen? I don't have any evidence that that did not happen. Anything in your report prove false that in the 2016 campaign, Donald Trump tried and concealed from the public a real estate deal he was seeking in Moscow? I don't know anything about that. There's nothing in the report about it. It's not something we investigated. Anything in your report proved false that Donald Trump publicly asked Russia to hack Hillary's emails and then hours later they did? My if you're referring to... Um, did you prove... Did Donald Trump not say at a press conference, Russia, if you're listening, you should get Hillary's emails? Did you prove that he didn't say that? Yeah, no, we didn't, okay. we didn't investigate. Did you prove false in the 16 campaign that Trump's campaign manager gave polling data to a spy for a Russian intelligence service. We didn't investigate that. Anything in your report say that Donald Trump in 2016 acted the way that Americans would want a presidential candidate to act with regard to Russia? 
I'm sorry, could you repeat Are that? you signing off on the way Donald Trump acted with Russia in 2016? Yeah, our report uh, doesn't address that. And you agree that Russia interfered in the 2016 election? I agree that there's um, substantial evidence to show that. Thank you. Mr. Durham, my MAGA colleagues want you to be someone you're not, and they want you to say something you won't. They want you to join the law firm of Insurrection LLC, which incidentally and probably appropriately is chaired by a guy who never passed the bar exam, and you're wise not to do that. You see, my colleagues today, they are making themselves footnotes and foot soldiers in the history books that will chronicle Donald Trump's corruption. And I yield my remaining time to Mr. Schiff. Mr. returning to your decision to uh, speak out during the pendency of your investigation, uh, did you have staff on your team advise you against making statements during the pendency of your investigation? They didn't advise me either way, no. Did any of your staff raise ethical concerns about your speaking out either in an interim report uh, or after the Inspector General investigation? Did any of you, your staff raise ethical concerns with your doing so? Not that I recall, no. Yeah, raise a technical concern, no, not that I'm aware of. Did they raise concerns with your speaking out during the pendency of the investigation? I mean, the gentleman has expired. Witness can respond. I'm sorry. Uh, um, Did any of your staff raise concerns about your speaking out during the pendency of your investigation in contrast DOJ policy? Not that I recall. Thank you. Gentleman yields back to late from Florida is recognized. Good morning, Mr. Durham. Just complete that answer, Warren. I, I, but I don't want to lay any blame at their part. I made that decision to make a statement. They, they were not involved in it. Nora Danahy, gentlelady from Florida. Right. Nora Danahy, a friend of mine, a, um, a very good lawyer, an honest person. Why did she resign? That's Nora Danahy. That's why we brought her on. Why did she resign? The gentleman's time has expired. Did, uh, the gentleman answer the question if you'd like. Mr. Chairman, who's in charge here? Because it's not Mr. Schiff, I don't think. It's it's uh, the lady's time from Florida. Good morning, Mr. Jura. Good morning. As a former federal prosecutor, I want to begin by telling you how much I appreciate your work, that of your team, and your presence here today. And you may begin by answering the prior question, if you wish. With respect to uh, Ms. Danny, I have the greatest respect for her. She's a friend of mine. She's very well educated. She's an honest person. We had some disagreements on issues, and I don't really have any comment uh, beyond that. I'm not going to discuss the internal management and decision-making. I'll, I'll tell you this, that every agent and every lawyer who worked on this project had a full voice in the decisions that were going forward. I made the final decisions. Thank you, Mr. Jerome. I'd like to focus on the Department of Justice's procedures as to FISA applications and when that process is conducted appropriately. Uh, to begin with, so FISA surveillance application must include an affidavit from a federal law enforcement officer, correct? That's correct. And that affidavit must demonstrate cause to believe that the target of the surveillance is an agent of a foreign power. Is that also right? Right. If it relates to a U.S. citizen, it has to be that they're a knowing agent. If it's a non-U.S. person, a knowing element is not required. And it is intended that that affidavit should rely upon reasonable, trustworthy information, is it not? That's correct. And in some cases, and including the case of Carter Page, those affidavits, that information can include the use of information obtained from a confidential human source, correct? That's correct. And when information from a confidential human source is included, uh, would you agree that it's important that 
material related to the reliability or trustworthiness of that confidential human source is disclosed within the affidavit. Yes. And I believe you testified here earlier today that in this case, information in that Carter Page application related to the reliability and credibility of the confidential human source was not included in these, in these applications. Is that right? I, think, I, I believe that's correct. Would you tell us, in your experience, in your many years working with the department, why is it important that that type of information is included and disclosed to both federal prosecutors and to the court? There's, uh, um, when, when matters are submitted uh, to the courts for a reason or to a judge, it's to let an independent judicial officer uh, weigh the questions of whether probable cause exists or not. In providing that information, to independent, objective judicial officers, judicial magistrates, if there's confidential human source information that's being provided, it's important for the person, the judge who's reviewing this, to know uh, what's the basis of the person's knowledge. Is it hearsay or do they have personal knowledge, as an example? And then whether or not there's some track record or basis to believe that the information would be credible coming from this person. And, of course, at this stage of the proceeding, the person who's the subject of the investigation has no idea that this application is even being made or considered or reviewed by the court in most cases. So it's solely less with, rests with the government, the responsibility to ensure that this power, that this surveillance power that's being used is being done in a way that is appropriate and compliant with the law. That's correct. And you mentioned something earlier about that in this case, agents immediately moved to the most intrusive investigative means that were available, referring, of course, to the interception of live communications, correct? That's correct. In this instance, the Bureau almost immediately, when they opened this full investigation, was the umbrella case, um, Crossfire Hurricane, and then the four subfiles, they immediately uh, went to try to uh, get Pfizer coverage um, on Papadopoulos, which uh, they weren't able to do. Uh, and then uh, Carter Page. And some of the techniques for, for law enforcement, you know, there are a myriad of other things they can do to collect surveillance information short of this interception of communications, like uh, poll cameras, pen registers, trap and trace, trash poles, correct? There are many other things that in, in, in investigations are often utilized prior to taking this step of attempting to intercept live communications. Right. Those are typically building blocks uh, for electronic surveillance. So based on your testimony so far, what we're hearing is that here, a FISA application was pursued without disclosing some relevant information to prosecutors or the court, without following standard procedural rules, utilizing investigative techniques that, that were the most intrusive without first exhausting other techniques and instead pursuing the most invasive method possible from the outside against Mr. Page. That's essentially correct, yes. Now, one other thing. You mentioned earlier during your testimony that the failures identified during your investigation, that if they were not addressed, they would result in national security risks and continued public lack of confidence in our institutions of justice, that there were no overnight fixes, but we needed accountability standards and consequences. Um, Would you elaborate, please? I'm the gentleman who's the witness to respond. The national security interests that, uh, here include uh, liberties um, uh, of the, uh, the American people. 
one of the things that was most disturbing about uh, the dossier, the Steele dossier, is whether or not this is certainly some of it was Russian disinformation. Whether Igor Denchenko, who personally wrote that he was responsible for 80% of the intelligence in the, um, in the dossier and 50% of the analysis, whether or not Mr. Denchenko was the source of uh, Russian disinformation. Um, if you don't run some of those things to the ground, it does affect the liberties or potentially affects the liberties of the American people and the national security interests of this country. Thank you, sir. Gentlemen, you'll back the gentleman from California is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Before I begin my questioning, I want to say that the House Judiciary Committee is responsible for helping to ensure the rule of law. The chairman of this committee ignored a bipartisan congressional subpoena. The president sent by this chairman has damaged the ability of congressional committees to get information from witnesses and damaged the rule of law. Now, Mr. Durham, thank you for being here voluntarily today. In your report, not only did the FBI have information, as stated before, that the Australians knew that Trump foreign policy advisor George Papadopoulos had suggested that the Russians were going to release anonymous information damaging Hillary Clinton. The FBI also knew and had information that the Democratic National Committee was hacked by the Russians and information was being released to the American public. The FBI also had information from various media reports that Trump had relations with different Russian businessmen and the FBI had information that Trump said, quote, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 3,000 emails that are missing. The FBI had all that information prior to opening Operation Hurricane, correct? Crossfire Hurricane, is that right? That's correct. Okay. If the FBI had chosen to do so, the multiple pieces of information they had would have allowed them to open a preliminary investigation. Is that right? In our report, we say that the FBI certainly uh, had an obligation to uh, assess the information, you know, perhaps make it a preliminary investigation. Okay. In fact, it would have been a dereliction of duty for the FBI to have just sat on their hands and done nothing with the information that they had. Is that right? Yeah. The FBI should not have ignored that information. Okay. It's also true, isn't it, that the Inspector General of the Department of Justice looked at this situation and concluded that not only did the FBI have enough information to open a preliminary investigation, the FBI had enough information to open a full investigation. That was the conclusion of the Inspector General, correct? My recollection is that the uh, Inspector General said it's a low bar and he thought that it had been met. Um, the Inspector General didn't necessarily address um, what, so thank you. I'd like to enter their Inspector General's report dated December 2019 into the record, Mr. Chairman. Without objection. Okay. Turns out the FBI was correct. The Department of Justice found that the Russians interfered in our elections in a, quote, sweeping and systematic manner. A bipartisan U.S. Senate report confirmed that the Russians interfered in the 2016 elections and that that interference benefited Donald Trump. Paul Manafort, Trump's former campaign chairman, also publicly admitted to giving internal Trump campaign data to the Russians, and the U.S. Treasury Department found that this data, which 
it said was, quote, sensitive information on polling campaign strategy was then passed to Russian intelligence services. There is a phrase to describe the facts I just set forth. It's called Russian collusion. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter both the Treasury Department documents dated April 2021, as well as the bipartisan Senate report intelligence dated August 2020. Without objection. Okay. Now, Mr. Durham, I'd like to ask you the following simple yes or no questions. Trump former campaign chairman Paul Manafort was convicted, correct? I'm sorry, could you just repeat that? Trump's former campaign chairman Paul Manafort was convicted, correct? That's correct. Trump's former foreign policy advisor to the campaign George Papadopoulos was convicted, correct? Correct. Trump's former deputy campaign manager Rick Gates was convicted, correct? Not in connection with Russia. Trump's. All right. Mr. Durham, you can hold yourself out as an objective Department of Justice official or as a partisan hack. And the more that you try to spin the facts and not answer my questions, you sound like the latter. So I'm just going to ask this simply. Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn was convicted, correct? That's correct. Trump's longtime advisor, Roger Stone, was convicted, correct? I'm sorry, Mr. the last Trump's longtime advisor, Roger Stone, was convicted, correct? Correct. In contrast to multiple Trump associates who were convicted, you brought two cases to jury trial based on this investigation, and you lost both. And so I don't actually know what we're doing here, because the author of the Durham report concedes that the FBI had enough information to investigate, and thank goodness the FBI did, because multiple Trump associates who committed crimes were held accountable. And the best way to summarize what happened is thank you to the brave men and women of the FBI for doing their jobs. I yield back. Gentlemen's time's expired. I yield back. Gentlemen from California, Mr. McClintock is recognized for five minutes. First of all, Mr. Durham, I apologize for the personal attacks that have been leveled upon you by uh, uh, sources on the other side of the aisle. This is what they do. This is how they argue. So we've gotten used to it, and I hope you will, too, at some point. The central charge in the Russian collusion hoax was that um, Trump campaign operatives were in contact with Russian intelligence sources. Were Clinton campaign operatives in contact with Russian intelligence sources? Uh, that's beyond the scope of our report. Um, I can only speak to the former, and the former is that there was uh, no such evidence. Um, as we report in, in the report, there was so a... Was, 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 Danchenko, was Danchenko a Russian intelligence source? Um, Mr. Denchenko had been investigated uh, by the FBI um, for espionage. They closed the case when they mistakenly thought he had left the country. Um, Mr. Denchenko's um, status in connection with that espionage matter was never resolved uh, by the Bureau. The Bureau, in fact, never uh, opened it. And he was the source for, for much of the Steele dossier. He said that he was responsible for 80% of the intelligence in the dossier. And, and who, commissioned, who commissioned the Steele dossier? Um, the Steele dossier was done by uh, Fusion GPS, who was hired by Perkins Coie, who represented the Clinton um, campaign. So, so what, what role did the Clinton campaign play in this, folks? What, I'm sorry, did they what, what, what role did the Clinton campaign play in this, folks? Um, the Clinton campaign... Um, um, funded the work, the opposition research that was done by Fusion GPS, and GPS um, uh, paid Mr. Steele uh, for the uh, dossier. And, and who in the Clinton campaign uh, approved that relationship? Um, well, we uh, lay some of that out uh, in, the, in the report. I think it was um, 
uh, Mr. Elias, who is general counsel uh, to the campaign, who um, engaged the services of G uh, Fusion GPS. Mr. Jordan referenced the Clinton plan intelligence. Uh, exactly what was the Clinton plan? Um, based on declassified documents in the, in the public record, there was intelligence information that um, was received uh, at virtually the same time that the information came from um, from the Australians, I mean, within a day or two. Uh, that intelligence in, included information that there was a, a purported plan um, designed by um, one of Mrs. Clinton's foreign policy advisors uh, to create a scandal tying Donald Trump uh, to the Russians. That's the essence of the uh, intelligence as contained in the uh, declassified uh, information. Did the president receive this intelligence? Um, on August 3rd of 2016, uh, then-Director Brennan had uh, briefed the president, vice president, um, director of national intelligence, the FBI, the attorney general, and others. When you say the FBI, you mean Mr. Comey? Um, it had, on August 3rd, it was um, conducted at the White House, and it was Director Comey himself. So Mr. Cohen knew about this, President Obama knew about this, Vice President Biden knew about this. Um, but um, it wasn't provided to the agents uh, uh, on the case or, or provided to the secret uh, FISA court, is that correct? That's correct. Why wasn't it? Well, we can tell you what the facts are. Um, um, people can draw their own conclusions from that. Uh, about the Papadopoulos comments at the bar that we used as justification uh, for, for this whole thing, what would the FBI have learned had it looked into this information honestly? If before opening Crossfire Hurricane they had checked their own files and communicated with other intelligence agencies um, and the like, they would have found that there was nothing at that time in their files um, that would corroborate the information, the suggestion of the suggestion that the Russians might provide some kind of assistance. There's nothing in their files that would corroborate that. Uh, the Steele dossier was entered in the congressional record. Was it true? The, I'm sorry, the Steele dossier, Steel dossier was, it was entered into our congressional record. Was it true? There is not a single substantive piece of information in the dossier that has ever been corroborated by the FBI or, to my knowledge, anyone else. You mentioned that the FISA court uh, criticized the misleading and, and false information that was used to request the FISA warrants, but did the FISA court hold anyone in contempt for that? Uh, not to my knowledge. Did they apply any sanctions to anyone responsible for that? Um, not to my knowledge. They did, did they even yell at anybody? They, they issued an appropriately harsh uh, memo um, talking about what the expectation is um, when a, a document is submitted to that court, that it be uh, truthful and accurate and complete. Um, and that was the expectation, is the expectation. Gentlemen, you'll back. Karen, I recognize the gentleman from Washington. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Durham, thank you for being here today to speak with us about the report you produced looking at the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Uh, your report took four years and over six and a half million dollars in taxpayer dollars to produce. Mr. Durham, how many cases did you bring to trial during your time investigating the 2016 election? I'm sorry, you're just this part of that. Because how of many the, cases but... did you bring to trial? Two. Two. And in how many of those two cases did the juries vote to convict? 
Neither one. Neither one. Um, neither jury voted to convict the gentleman that you prosecuted, and in fact, in one case, the trial judge threw out one of your charges because the claim that you were charging as false was, as he put it, literally true. Mr. Durham, I think you were given an impossible task by Attorney General B Bill Barr. He asked you to figure out how to make Donald Trump's Spygate claims true, but you couldn't do that because you quickly realized that the claims were false. And so you set about, as many Republicans on cable news do, trying to find a way to blame Hillary Clinton for Donald Trump's woes. Mr. Durham, do you know how many people Special Counsel Mueller indicted or obtained guilty pleas from? He, he they uh, indicted a charged number of people. I think it was 34. It was 34 people and three companies. Um, do you know how many of those indictments of, uh, uh, were of individuals who were acquitted in court? I don't know that anybody was acquitted. That's right. The answer is none. So I think the difference between your investigation and Mr. Mueller's was that Mr. Mueller actually found actual evidence of a crime. We know that Russia did attempt to interfere in the 2016 election. We know that Russia did hack into the DNC email server. And Mr. Mueller's prosecutions reflected that reality, such as the case of 12 Russian military intelligence officers who he charged with crimes related to the hacking and the leaking of leading Democrats' emails in 2016. Similarly, Mr. Mueller found repeated instances of Trump campaign associates lying when asked about their interactions with Russian interests. And a result, as a result of Mr. Mueller's investigation, George Papadopoulos pleaded guilty in October of 2017 to making false statements to the FBI. Trump campaign aide Rick Gates pleaded guilty to one false statements charge and one conspiracy charge. Trump national security advisor Michael Flynn pleaded guilty to making false statements to the FBI, and in November of 2019, Trump advisor Roger Stone was convicted on seven counts, including lying to the House Intelligence Committee and tampering with a witness. Again, Mr. Mueller indicted or got guilty pleas from 34 people and three companies. Mr. Durham, you're a career prosecutor, correct? That's correct. And you started working as a state prosecutor in... 1977, and you joined the Justice Department in 1982. Yes or no, prosecutors prioritize bringing cases to court that have a high likelihood of winning. I would not say that that's the um, standard, no. So you don't think that to call an investigation successful, you should at least reveal some new information. Most of your report, Mr. Durham, is a rehashing of old news, including process-related concerns that the FBI had already addressed. In fact, that's why you said you were not recommending or recommending any further charge changes to FBI policies or procedures. So at the very least, I would think that you would need to win some of the cases on their merits. But that's not what happened, and that's not what mega Republicans are looking for. Um, Chairman Jordan seems to be looking for any excuse to discredit law enforcement and DOJ who are finally holding Donald Trump accountable for his serious violations of the law. Violations, by the way, that Donald Trump just admitted to last night on Fox News. Americans will see through this facade, and I wanted to ask Mr. Schiff if he wants my additional 40 seconds of time. If so, I yield. Thank you. I just want to follow up uh, on my question before. Nora Danahy is a very well-respected member of your team. Why did she resign? I'm sorry? 
Laura Danahy was a very well-respected member of your team. Why did she resign? That's not part of the report, and I'm not going to discuss internal uh, matters. Did she resign over disagreements she had with you about how you're handling the investigation? It's not part of the report. I'm not going to discuss it. it it's not part of the report. highest regard for Ms. Danahy. But you know the answer, Mr. Durham. Why won't you tell us? Because that's not part of the report. That's not part of the mission, and I'm not going to discuss internal discussions. I can tell you this, that with respect to uh, every major decision that was made um, by our team, every agent and every lawyer had full voice in expressing their opinions, and we proceeded accordingly. We've been making Some voted with their feet to leave your office. Time of the gentleman. The gentlelady has expired. I yield back. The gentlelady yields back. The gentleman from Texas is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Durham. That's not part of the report. It is a lot of what I've heard from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Uh, one of my colleagues from California said, I don't know what we're doing here. And what we're doing here is going through this very damning report. Um, the FBI has failed uh, many times over the, over the years that you investigated them. I'd like to ask, did the FBI open Crossfire Hurricane without speaking to the people who provided the information? Yes. Did the FBI open Crossfire Hurricane on a Sunday, only three days after reviewing the information? Yes. Did the FBI open Crossfire Hurricane without any significant review of its own intelligence database? Yes. Did the FBI open Crossfire Hurricane without interviewing the essential witnesses? Yes. Did the FBI open Crossfire Hurricane without using any of the standard analytical tools typically employed in evaluating intelligence? Yes. Did the FBI consider the possibility that it was the target? Um, it, it didn't appear so to me from the, from the evidence. And so I'm curious if you could tell me, because I'm not a prosecutor, some of my colleagues here are, but the average American is not. Can you tell us why and under what motivation would a prosecutorial agency act in such a way where it willfully ignores multiple instances of ex exculpatory evidence throughout the course of its investigation? I just don't understand that. That, in my experience, that, that, is, um, that is not the norm. That's not how the FBI uh, performs. In this particular case, as is reflected in the, uh, in the report, there appear to be people, uh, persons in the FBI who were central to opening the investigation that had um, rather strong views concerning um, then-candidate Trump. And we've heard in your report that you, you referenced confirmation bias. And a lot of times, or sometimes, we see that... Um, the investigators, uh, perhaps the FBI investigators, they have a confirmation bias uh, because they want a guilty outcome. They want to find the suspect guilty. But we did not see that to be the case for Hillary Clinton. So it makes me think that based on the investigation into the conduct and the continuous disregard for duty, there was obviously a special motivation to find this suspect, Donald Trump, and his campaign guilty above anyone else. Would you agree? I can, I can speak to what the facts show um, as documented in the report. Um, again, uh, people draw their uh, reasonable inferences, conclusions from those facts with an honest reading of the report. If either you or someone on your team willfully ignored exculpatory, exculpatory evidence, refused to interview key witnesses, favored one suspect over another, or did any or all of the things that the FBI did during Crossfire Hurricane, would you face repercussions? There ought to be repercussions. If that ever happened in connection with an agent that I was working with and I knew about it, the first thing would be to report it to the court, um, and the uh, probably second thing would be to report it to the superiors. Uh, the third thing would be 
sure that that agent never worked with me again. I appreciate that. I also appreciate uh, your remarks earlier in your open testimony where you said, my colleagues and I carried out our work in good faith with integrity and the spirit of following the facts wherever they lead without fear or favor. I believe you did that. I'm, uh, I'm disappointed in some of my colleagues that have said uh, disparaging remarks about you. I've seen very few that actually talk about your report. They want to talk about everything else, which tells me you're onto something. I'd also yield the balance of my time to the chairman. I appreciate the gentleman for, for yielding. So Dan Chinko is the primary subsource. A few years before he does this work, he was investigated by the FBI for espionage. Is that right, Mr. Durham? Right. And that, that case was halted because the FBI thought he left the country, right? Right. Had he left the country? No. Where was he living? He was... He remained living in the place he was living when they opened the investigation. Right here in D.C., right? <laughs> yeah. He hadn't left anywhere. Right here in, in D.C., they th we're going to stop that. And then they go hire him, use the tax money of the people I get the privilege of representing to pay this guy who they obviously knew was a Russian spy. They hire him, who's the source of all the false information. Is that true? They paid him. Um, uh, they hired him, uh, and they paid him. Um, Couple hundred thousand, if I if I recall right, it's over two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and then this guy is hanging out with Dolan, Charles Dolan, who's a buddy of the Clintons, who's also a source for the false dossier that was used to spy on an American citizen. He's hanging out with Dolan. In fact, don't they meet on a park bench somewhere in Arlington, Virginia, on New Year's Day? New Year's Day, middle of the day. This is straight out of the movies, right? And the FBI says, but we're not going to talk to Charles Dolan. This is two of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. They won't talk to, they, they, they pay a guy who's a Russian spy who's the source of the dossier. The other source of the dossier is Charles Dolan, who meets with that guy on a park bench in Arlington, and they don't want to interview him. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, but that's what Comey's FBI did. And they're still doing this kind of baloney because Mr. D'Antuano told us so, running operations, running investigations out of headquarters, instead of assigning a U.S. attorney, a job you did for a long time and did very well. That is a huge problem. And your report, that's why your report's valuable. Gentlemen, uh, I yield back to the gentleman who was out of time, and we now recognize the gentleman from, oh, Mr. Craig. Oh, got, oh I'm sorry, right here. The gentlelady from Pennsylvania is recognized. Thank you. And thank you for coming to testify today. I know it's not a comfortable experience, obviously. Um, and clearly the questions have exposed that, uh, we have many areas of disagreement across the aisle, but I am relieved that we have no disagreement about one of the fundamental conclusions of your report, that it was incumbent upon the FBI to uh, open some form of investigation when presented with evidence that a presidential candidate and his associates are either coordinating campaign efforts with a hostile, na hostile nation or being manipulated by such a hostile nation, and, and that is a fundamental conclusion, right? Some form of investigation was necessary. Right. I mean, the FBI, when they receive information, this information, other information, they almost always have some obligation to assess that information. Sure. That's what the assessment is about. Sure. So, we've established over the course of questions that the current Attorney General, Merrick Garland, allowed you to run your investigation, I think you said, independently and without interference, right? That's correct. And you've talked about the thoroughness of in your investigation as you performed it over the course of four, four and a half years, uh, $6.5 million, hundreds of, of FBI agents, 6 million pages of documents, 
not yeah. hundreds of FBI agents, hundreds of personnel working with you. Um, so that would not be accurate, but... Okay. Well, you also had the benefit of prior investigations, including the Mueller report. Correct. Um, the 2019 Department of Justice Office of Inspector General's report, which concurred with you that there was an obligation to investigate, right? Yes. Although it disagreed with you about precisely the form, correct? I think it's more than form, but you know, we had disagreement in that regard. And there was also a 2020 select Senate Select Committee report on intelligence run by Senator Rubio that affirmed that Russia, in fact, had sought to interfere in our elections to benefit the Trump campaign, correct? That the report, I don't remember if Senator Rubio was the chair at the time or not. Okay, but I don't there think was. he was. Okay. So, with all of that, you and Attorney General Barr had both been appointed by President Trump, right? I'm sorry, can you just repeat that one again? You and Attorney General Barr had both been appointed to serve at that time by President Trump, correct? I had been nominated by um, President Trump, and I believe that uh, Mr. Barr was um, nominated to be Attorney General by Mr. Trump. Okay. And the AG Barr appointed you to be Special Counsel, right? He appointed me as Special Counsel, yes. Okay. But in contrast to the independence and lack of interference, which you have noted on multiple occasions that has been uh, performed by Merrick Garland, A.G. Barr had a very active role in your investigation. And I just wanted to mention a couple instances. First of all, shortly after your appointment, you and A.G. Barr both traveled overseas and met with Italian officials who provided some allegations with respect to criminal activity by the former president, correct? We traveled um, to, well, this is outside the reports. I'm not sure that I'm authorized to talk about it, but we were we went to um, uh, Italy to try to pursue leads involving a particular um, um, mysterious professor. Okay. So you don't mention in your report those allegations of misconduct concerning the former president, correct? It's not in your report. You were limited. You didn't include that information in your report, right? What, which information? About your trip to Italy with A.G. Barr? No. I don't know why I would include that in the report. Day, the day the Inspector General's report was published, you issued a press release saying that you didn't agree with some of his conclusions. Um, did A.G. Barr ask you to issue that, re that uh, press release? Absolutely not. Okay. Who did? I made that decision. Do you want to know why or no? Uh, actually, I wanted to know first, can you identify any other occasion which a special counsel has released a press statement questioning another special counsel or inspector general's report? Can you name one? Yeah, Inspe I don't know of any. Okay. They may have, but I don't know about it. Okay. So, did you communicate with A.G. Barr about your press, re press statement before his was released the same day, or was that just a fantastic coincidence? Did I communicate with Attorney General Barr about what? About your press release questioning the IG's report. I told Attorney General Barr, I didn't ask his permission, I told him that I was going to do it. Okay. One more question. There's been mention of the resignation of one of your colleagues, Nora Danahy, in the fall of 2020. Isn't it true that she resigned in protest concerning pressure by AG Barr for you to deliver an interim report or other results before the 2020 presidential election? You'd have to ask uh, Ms. Danahy that uh, I'm not going to discuss the internal discussions um, in our group. Or we could Google it. Thank you. I yield back. This is a pretty good source of information. Sure is. Uh, the gentleman yields back to the gentleman from Oregon is recognized.
Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, Mr. Chairman, for being here today and for your patience with us. I want to talk about that space between law and policy, I guess, if you will. And I want to go back to, I think I got your words written down during your opening statement where you said there were troubling violations of law and policy. Do I have that right? Yes, sir. And so the assertion has been that perhaps there should have been more indictments, more people brought before the court for their actions. But it appears to me that you tried that and perhaps encountered, I've not looked at the two trials that turned out not to reach convictions, but was it a situation where there was something wrong but it didn't rise to the level of a crime? Is that what was going on in that space? You conduct this investigation, you conducted this investigation, the other public corruption investigations, organized crime investigations, and when there's sufficient evidence that you believe that the evidence is sufficient to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, that case should be brought. There may be evidence that you have, but you're not confident that it would be sufficient to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt and sustain that case on appeal, and you don't bring the action. And here there's conduct, some of which was misconduct. There's conduct that was probably criminal, but you couldn't prove it. And that's true here. Here's some other instances as well. Right, and I think the phrase political bias or confirmation bias has been used a number of times. Is that a crime? Confirmation bias is not a crime. It's part of our human condition, I suppose. So you may well have found, and it sounds like you did, troubling violations of law and policy, which perhaps would not lead to and did not, of course, convictions. But it doesn't make it any less wrong when we have our law enforcement agencies engaging in this kind of conduct, and I think that's why you call it troubling. Do I have that right? You have that right. And the question, I suppose, is what can we do about this situation looking forward? If it's not a crime, but we know it's wrong, what should we be doing? And I think you made some suggestions. Can you recite those for us? You spent four years in this space, and there's obviously things going wrong that we can't convict people for, or at least it doesn't rise to the level that will warrant that approach. What should we be doing? I mean, the real difficulty, in my view, is trying to figure out how to hold people accountable for their conduct. And it's not a simple problem to solve. In the context of the FISA situation, you know, for example, or maybe it would be the case in any instance in which there's what's referred to in the Bureau as a sensitive investigative matter, a SIM, that there are additional rules that apply there. You know, maybe there's come time where an agent is going to sign a FISA application in a sensitive investigative matter, that they not only understand that they're signing under the penalties of perjury, but if the Bureau determines that they intentionally misstated anything, that their employment will be terminated. I mean, this is real peace. And when somebody signs an affidavit, swears to something before a judicial officer, there are consequences that that is untrue. There are criminal penalties, but there sure as heck ought to be other penalties as well. I mean, there are things like that. In these sensitive cases, I mean, this is not a normal case. This is a presidential election, and it affected the nation. Maybe they ought to instill practice 
uh, for example, of red teaming, which we tried uh, to do uh, to an extent in our investigation, which is you have a group of people who take the opposite side to make the arguments and try to point out either where the weaknesses are um, or where additional evidence need, needs uh, to be uh, developed. Um, it may be that the benefit that the Bureau would benefit, as it said in the report, from having something of an ombudsman who would look at FISA uh, applications or look at the investigative effort under, being undertaken in these uh, uh, sensitive investigative matters, um, who looks at how the investigation is progressing and whether or not, in that person's estimation, uh, the investigation is being done independently and in a disciplined way. Um, there are those kinds of things, but ultimately, I don't know how you hold people um, responsible absent uh, their integrity and that kind of overview or review of what the, um, what the investigation is doing. Thank you, Mr. Durham. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The gentleman uh, from Colorado is recognized. I thank the chairman. Uh, Mr. Durham, thank you for testifying today. Thank you for your service. It's been a real pleasure. Our country. <laughs> well, we appreciate your service to our country, to the Department of Justice. Uh, I've read your report, as I suspect most of the members of the committee have, and um, appreciated your work. I want to talk a bit about your interactions with Maine Justice, with the Department of Justice in particular, with Attorney General Garland. Did Attorney General Garland permit your inquiry to proceed independently? Yes. Did Attorney General Garland interfere with your inquiry, your investigation in any way? No. Did Attorney General Garland attempt to prevent or stop you or your team from taking any investigative step that you deemed necessary? He did not. Did Attorney General Garland provide support to your efforts? Um, in, in terms of um, occasionally we need some additional personnel. Uh, in a couple of instances, we had a person that was detailed uh, from Maine Justice. Yes. So in that, in that respect, yes. Did Attorney General Garland decline to implement any of the recommendations that you've made? Um, I don't. I don't know that. The letter, the report, I believe it's on page three uh, of your report. You say, and I'll quote: After the inauguration of President Biden, Attorney General Garland met with the Office of the Special Counsel. The office very much appreciates the support consistent with his testimony, referring to Attorney General Garland during his confirmation hearings that the Attorney General has provided to our efforts and the Department's willingness to allow us to operate independently, end quote. You stand by that, I suspect. I do. Correct. Sounds like the Department of Justice and the Attorney General were supportive of your efforts, did not interfere in any way with the, the work that you did over the course of the last several years. There are some folks here in Congress, some colleagues of mine on the other side of the aisle, who have talked about or indicated their desire to defund the Department of Justice. Do you believe the Department of Justice should be defunded? I don't believe these um, uh, discussions about defunding the police make any sense at all for the security of the nation, and I don't think defunding um, cornerstone law enforcement uh, entities um, make a whole lot of sense. Maybe more oversight, but defunding in our cities and streets and so forth, no, that doesn't make sense to me. But I've only been at this for 40 years. Sure. Well, and as I said, I, I, I am grateful to your service, and, for your service, rather, and I guess I just want to put a finer point on it because I, don't, I guess I didn't hear that in your answer. You said the cornerstone of law enforcement. I take that. You mean the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice obviously 
should not be defunded, right? You've, you've committed your career to the Department of Justice. You were a former U.S. attorney, a former acting U.S. attorney, 35 years as an assistant U.S. attorney. You have a decorated record of service to the department. I, I, I'm hoping you're willing to say on the record clearly that you don't believe the department should be defunded. I don't believe the Department of Justice or the FBI should be defunded. I think there may be, ought to be some changes and, and, and the like, but defunded, no. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate your candor. And I agree with you. Uh, with respect to the Office of the Special Counsel, of course, you've concluded your service. As you know, there are uh, different special counsels that are appointed from time to time. You've served in that capacity multiple times yourselves. There is discussion of defunding special counsels. You support more broadly uh, the principle of, of defunding the Office of the Special Counsel. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would have to know, uh, know the particulars of what the discussion is. But, I mean, the, the general notion that you had... Um, Established special counsel office. The special counsel is doing an investigation. They're going to defund it. Would not make sense to me. Yeah. I, I agree. And just to put a finer point on this, you served as special counsel for a period of years. During the course of your investigation, for the bulk of that time, Democrats were in control of the United States House of Representatives. Uh, there was no effort that I'm aware of uh, to defund your office. And I, I assume that you would have construed that if someone had made an effort to defund the Office of Special Counsel, your office, as you were undertaking your investigation as political interference to the extent that that was being done to try to impair or impinge on your investigation. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I mean, if it were, if it were uh, our office uh, team, I guess I'd have to know the basis of that, see if I thought it was, you know, political or... You know, well, let's, say it's, let's say it's because people so much money. Sure, let's say it's because people disagreed with the work that you were doing. They didn't like your investigation. They they disagreed fundamentally with decisions you were making. I presume you would construe that as political interference. Uh, special counsels should operate um, independently. That's the whole purpose of uh, special counsel. So, I, I certainly agree. And again, I thank you for being here. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman gets back. The gentleman from Alabama is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Durham, I appreciate you being here today. Sobering, I think, is a pretty good word. I think that's a good description of what we're talking about. When I read your report and as we talk about it, when I'm in the district, very often one of the major concerns is the weaponization of investigations and the Department of Justice against certain people in our society. And so, um, yes or no, did the FBI place significant reliance on information given to them by President Trump's political opponents? I'm, I'm sorry, can you just repeat that one? Did the FBI, did they place significant reliance on information given to them by President Trump's opponents? The Crossfire uh, Hurricane investigation, um, well, the, 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 the FISA in particular, the FISA and Carter Page, um, the Bureau had concluded itself, absent the uh, dossier, they wouldn't have um, been able to establish probable cause. It was, did, did the dossier come from President Trump's political opponents? It was funded by uh, the Clinton campaign um, and, the, and the DNC. Um, uh, so in that, that degree, yes, it came, that's how it was paid for. Can you connect the dots between the Trump, I mean, I'm sorry, between the Clinton campaign and the investigation of the FBI? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were investigating, uh, did investigate, you know, what was, what was behind that investigation? How did it get started? Was it properly predicated as a full 
uh, investigation by the FBI, and why did it then continue even after Director Mueller had found a lack of um, sufficient evidence concerning conspiracy or collusion? Mr. Durham, is that, is that what you call sobering? Would that be sobering to you? It's sobering to, uh, to me in connection with this investigation is the FBI, the people who were involved in the crossfire herd, an investigation, ignoring exculpatory information, uh, discarding information that was inconsistent with the investigative uh, narrative, with using information, in this instance from the Steele dossier, to establish probable cause to electronically surveil a United States citizen who happened to be a, uh, a Naval Academy graduate. Those things uh, are sober to me. Oh, I would agree with that. Um, did the FBI ever fail to take or delay taking action in an investigation involving Hillary Clinton? Um, I didn't, that wasn't, um, well, there's a portion of the report that re, uh, re, uh, relates to the disparate treatment. So did the FBI um, uh, delay? There are three instances that are identified in the report where the FBI's investigative efforts uh, were considered considerably more disciplined um, then was the case uh, with respect to Mr. Mr. Trump. More discipline you mean by us, and let me move on, Mr. Chairman, we're out of time. Did the FBI give the Clinton campaign a defensive briefing? Um, they, in a particular manner, the FBI gave um, Mrs. Clinton's represent, legal represent, uh, representatives uh, a debriefing of the defensive nature, yes. Why wasn't the same done for the Trump campaign and President Trump? We um, explored that during the course of the investigation. The, um, what we learned is set out um, in the report. It would appear from at least what we were told that very little uh, thought went into whether uh, they should give um, anybody in the Trump campaign a defensive briefing, and they didn't. A lot it. of thought went into giving Hillary Clinton's campaign a defensive briefing, apparently, but not President Trump. In uh, one instance, uh, the, I think you're referring to. Um, the submission of the FISA application in that matter against the foreign interest was premised on them giving a defensive briefing to Mrs. Clinton and some other uh, political... Mr. Durham, is it safe to say that the Clinton campaign colluded with the Russians to accuse Donald Trump of colluding with the Russians? I could not phrase it that way. I, I could say is that the uh, Clinton um, uh, campaign uh, funded the information that showed up in the, in the dossier. Uh, the Clinton uh, uh, campaign uh, funded the um, information that was put together uh, concerning an alleged secret communications channel between Trump and uh, Alpha Bank, um, uh, which was presented to the FBI through uh, Mr. Sussman. So, yeah, there are those things that uh, definitely occurred, and the evidence establishes that. Thank you, Mr. Durham. I appreciate your service. I yield back to the chairman. I thank the gentleman. Uh, Mr. Durham, Carter Page is an American citizen who... Naval Academy grad served our country. Um, why not just talk to him before you spy on him? In this instance, I mean, I think I know if people looked at this in the report. Um, there was a particular piece of information that had been given to Michael um, Isakoff and appeared in a Yahoo News article mm -hmm. on September 23rd, in which Mr. Isakoff lays out what he's obviously been told, and it's clearly the information um, from Steele. But it also included um, a statement that a senior law enforcement official confirmed that um, uh, Carter Page was on the radar screen. 
that matter was never referred for investigation as to who leaked that. This is an investigation that's supposed to be clo uh, closely held, mm -hmm. uh, confidential, uh, sensitive investigative matter. That's never referred to. Nobody ever looked at. Who's the senior law enforcement officer who gave the information to Michael Isikoff that Carter Page uh, was on their radar screen? That's not number. Uh, number who do you one. think it was? Chairman, the time is well expired. The witness could answer the question. You can't answer another. Ask another one. I appreciate the ranking member for pointing that that fact out. Okay, I'm not sure I'm supposed to answer or not. I'm I, I done. I'll let you answer. Oh, um, okay. So then, with respect to um, uh, to uh, Carter Page, uh, Carter Page, within two days of that article, wrote a letter to Director Comey saying. Um, I just I didn't do the things that are suggested. I didn't meet with these people. I'm willing to sit down and talk to the FBI. You know, tell me when and where, essentially. The offer to be interviewed. The gentlelady from Texas is recognized for unanimous consent. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, let me uh, submit into the record an article dated 618.23. After years of political hype, the Durham inquiry failed to deliver. It's unanimous consent. Then ask unanimous Objection. consent. To place into the record this language from a letter directed to uh, Mr. Durham on May 15, 2023. The Federal Bureau of Investigation appreciates the Special Counsel's independent review. We also appreciate your acknowledgement of the extensive cooperation the FBI provided to your team throughout the review, including production of nearly 7 million pages of documents, assignment of full-time FBI special agents to assist in your fact-finding process, and provision of FBI technical Not objection. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. The gentlelady yields back. The gentlelady from Pennsylvania is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Special Counsel Durham, for being here today. Uh, as has been noted, it's been four years and six and a half million dollars uh, of an investigation of an investigation. And the Durham report makes no new recommendations to change FBI policy or procedure. It does not conclude that the Crossfire Hurricane investigation should not have been opened. And it even acknowledges that the Clinton campaign did nothing worthy of prosecution. Sadly, the Durham report dredges up allegations from unsuccessful prosecutions, including claims that have been rejected by judge and jury. The flaws of the Durham process were so troubling that some aides resigned in protest. I did Google and, in fact, read the news articles around the resignation of Nora Donahue. Uh, that uh, it is reported that she resigned because of pressure on, the, on you and, and the, the uh, special counsel group uh, to produce a report or an interim report prior to the presidential election. You can't comment on Nora Dennehy's uh, personnel matter. Were you ever encouraged, persuaded, uh, pressured to issue an interim or report prior to the presidential election? You see, without hesitation, I was not pressured into doing anything. Was it suggested to you? It was not suggested to me. And yet it might have been suggested to someone who worked under you, separate from you. I don't believe so. Okay. Mr. Durham, would it have been a dereliction of duty if the FBI sat on its hands and did not investigate with the information they had in front of them? Isn't it true? I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure the, the Bureau has an obligation to investigate. Uh, they should investigate um, information that they receive from the public or, or otherwise. And generally speaking, yeah, they have an obligation to look at and, and in, assess information. And in this case, they had an affirmative duty to investigate. Would you agree? Uh, 
had an affirmative duty to assess the information they had gotten from the Australian diplomat. Which would be an investigation. Uh, you were assigned to investigate that investigation. Mr. Durham, when did you first meet with Attorney General Barr about a potential investigation into the Mueller report, Mueller investigation? You know, I was appointed in May of uh, 2019. I had met Attorney uh, General Barr after, not in connection with these matters, but I think I initially met uh, the Attorney General uh, when I became the U.S. Attorney for Connecticut. Let me, let me just oh. put the calendar together. Uh, it was on March 22nd that the Mueller report was submitted to Attorney General Barr. Would you agree with that? That's, the, yeah, March 22nd. And according to public records, you met with Attorney General Barr on March 25th, three days later. Okay. And on March 24th, Attorney General Barr released his so-called summary document of a 448-page uh, report, which blatantly mischaracterized the findings in the Mueller report. Would you agree with that? No. Did you discuss the Mueller report during your meeting with Mr. Barr on March 25th? I don't believe so. I think that I, I the timing was three days after he received the report, and you don't think in your meeting you talked about the Mueller report. I don't. I don't think that was was. I think it was when I was meeting the Attorney General because I had become the U.S. Attorney in Connecticut in mid maybe, late February. Maybe you, could, maybe you could search your memory and get back to us on that. It's troubling to me because it is clear you were brought in by Attorney General Barr the same week the Mueller report was released and the day after his misleading letter, which hung out there for 25 days before the public got our hands and our eyes on the redacted report. You were hired to investigate the investigators. One week after you met with Mr. Barr, on April 13th, Attorney General Barr's counselor, Seth DeCharm, emailed you offering assistance on behalf of Barr, saying, quote, John, the AG has made me aware of the redacted uh, material you're working with him on, and he asked me to provide you with my support and assistance. Is that true? I think that's correct. Okay. I don't remember the date, but that sounds right. And that's only April. So uh, I'm wondering if you weren't yet put into this, this, um, this field. Uh, Donald Trump was very vocal on Twitter, as he always has been, about his belief that the Mueller investigation should never have been taken. Are you aware of his tweets? I know that the uh, former president um, was a tweeter, yes. He was a tweeter. Some Republicans on this committee believe uh, that part of your purpose was to exonerate uh, Mr. Donald Trump. I want to take you back to your opening statement as to paragraph four. As you know, Mr. Gorham, you said this morning, if repeated or left unaddressed, these issues could result in significant national security risks and further erode public faith in our justice system. We now sit with a former president indicted 37 counts of around the documents, the classified documents that he took, he held, he moved, he concealed, he lied about, he showed to other people, 37 counts. If repeated or left unaddressed, these issues could result in significant national security risks and further erode public faith in our justice system. I thank you for your service, for pointing out what really matters when we have a very dangerous former president and criminal indictments to come. Um, a mess of Mr. Trump's own not, making. I am baffled by this, this uh, committee's lifting up. Of a corrupt lady has expired. And I thank you for indulging me just as you indulge yourself. Thank God, you. God bless you. That's right. God bless That's you. Opportunity. Uh, the the, the um, Mr. Dermot, uh, if you can if you can go one more round. Is this every day? Yeah. <laughs> well.
This is this is relatively calm. There's some there's some hearings that we have. If you can go one more, then we'll give you a break. But we'll, we'll recognize the gentleman from California, and we'll give you a quick break, maybe five ten minutes, and we'll come back and, and, and finish. But the gentleman from California is recognized for five. Uh, Mr. Durham, several people today, including Ranking Member uh, Madler and three representatives from California, uh, Mr. Schiff, Mr. Swalwell, and Mr. Liu, uh, have attacked you. Mr. Ranking Member Nadler called your report a political exercise with ethical ambiguity. Uh, Mr. Liu uh, called you a partisan hack. However, it seems that they're taking issue not so much with the conclusions of your report as those of Mr. Mueller's report, uh, which concluded uh, that the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. That conclusion directly contradicted statements made on the record by those representatives. For example, Mr. Schiff in 2017-2018 made statements such as, the Russians offered help, the campaign accepted help, the Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help, and that is pretty damning. He also said there's clear evidence on the issue of collusion. He said, I think there's plenty of evidence of conclusion, collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. Mr. Durham, Mr. are those statements supported by the conclusions of the Mueller report? Neal? No. Mr. Uh, Durham, is, are those statements supported by the Mueller report? I don't believe so. Mr. Nadler stated, it's clear that the campaign concluded, and there's a lot of evidence of that. The question is, was the president involved? Mr. Nadler also said there was obviously a lot of collusion. Uh, Mr. Durham, were those statements supported by the Mueller report? I don't believe they were supported by the Mueller report. Mr. Liu stated uh, in a press release in March of 2017, the bombshell revelation that U.S. officials have information that suggests Trump associates may have colluded, colluded with the Russians means we must pause the entire Trump agenda. We may have an illegitimate president of the United States currently occupying the White House. Uh, Mr. Durham, did the Mueller report establish that we had an illegitimate president occupying the White House? Not to my knowledge. Mr. Swalla stated in 2018, in our investigation, we saw strong evidence of collusion. Did the Mueller report support that there was strong evidence of collusion? Not to my knowledge. Even here today, we had uh, Mr. Schiff uh, raise questions about your public statement uh, during the investigation, saying this somehow violated a DOJ uh, policy. However, Mr. Mueller himself made a public statement uh, in January of 2019. This is an article from CNN headline, Mueller's office disputes BuzzFeed report that Trump directed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. So whatever policy there might exist in the DOJ with respect to public statements by special counsels, it would seem that you and Mr. Mueller would be on equal footing with respect to it. Is that correct? It seems so. Mr. Nadler, Ranking Member Nadler also suggested that we're only here today because of the recent indictments of President Trump. However, you received your assignment as special counsel in 2019. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, 2020, the special counsel is in uh, 2020. In 2020. And was that before or after the events alleged in the recent indictments by the president? By the president? That was before. And is it customary for a special counsel to come testify in Congress upon the issuance of the report? This is my first experience of this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I know that uh, Director Mueller had had occasion to testify before Congress, so I, I guess this is not unique. So it's pretty likely you would have been here whether or not the president had been recently indicted. Yes. Contrary to Ranking Member Napper's statement. I want to quote from you uh, a part of your report where you say, uh, there are reasons why in examining politically charged and high-profile issues the office must exercise and has exercised special care. 
One of those statements you said is that even when prosecutors believe that they can obtain a conviction, there are some instances in which it may not be advisable to expend government time and resources on a criminal prosecution, particularly where it could create the appearance, even if unfounded, that the government is seeking to criminalize the behavior of political opponents or punish the activities of a specific political party or campaign. Uh, could you just expound on that a little bit, this idea that there are prudential considerations that may counsel against prosecution, even if there has been some technical violation of a statute? Sure. The um, standard principles of federal prosecution include, and it was a bedrock, that um, you ought not to bring a prosecution unless you believe in good faith that there's sufficient evidence to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, the jury will convict, um, and that the conviction, a conviction, can be sustained on appeal. There may be those instances in which you're pretty well convinced that a crime was committed and can identify the person who committed it, but you can't in good faith say uh, a jury is likely to convict in this case. We believe that uh, a jury will convict and we can uh, sustain it on appeal. Those are the principles that we try to apply here, that we followed here. They're the same principles that I've followed for 40 years as a federal prosecutor. What are you referring to when you uh, when you say that there uh, might be additional considerations involving the perception that you're criminalizing the behavior of political opponents? Yeah, I mean, those, these, are, these are difficult things. For example, uh, in this case, uh, I think all the members of the committee have had access to whether they took advantage or not, I don't know, but uh, we filed a uh, classified appendix here, right? So there are some prosecutions where it may very well be that it looks like, and you think you can prove the crime beyond a reasonable doubt, but because of the classified nature of much of your evidence, it's never going to see the light of day. So that might pre uh, preclude a prosecution. Um, you know, things, things of that sort uh, come up that uh, are part of the prudential judgment that a prosecutor has to make um, in these matters. I yield back. Thank you. Gentlemen, yields back. We'll take a short break, short recess. Uh, if we can come back in 10 minutes, so at 12.05, uh, we'll, we'll come back to uh, okay. give everyone a short break before we uh, resume. All right, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Is this thing on? I was just out in the garage pumping some iron. So, one, I'm a little out of breath, and two, I'm not sure if everything's set up right. Sorry about that. But, uh, so we're on a 10-minute break. This thing started early. I thought it was going to be at 10 a.m. It started at 9 a.m. and caught me off guard. Um, so initially, we didn't have a lot of viewers, but um, I, I, we got a share from uh, Truth Hammer on Telegram, so I want to give a shout-out to him. Thank you, Truth Hammer because we, we got up to like 700 people here. So if you're new, uh, be sure to subscribe to this channel. And for all my people out there, go subscribe to Truth Hammer on Telegram. Now, I imagine there's a lot of mixed feelings about this. Um, you know, and I was looking at Truth Hammer's Telegram. Truth Hammer seems to feel a little bit like I do about this. Uh, he's, well, he said mixed feelings on watching Durham. Some of what he's saying is so spot on. It's hard to reconcile that with the same guy who didn't bring charges for so many crimes. Rumors and assumptions about secret military trials don't cut it. Remember, quote, optics matter. Well, so does the appearance of justice or lack thereof in this case. And I, I completely agree with that. Um, let's remember something here. Why are we here? 
Why is John Durham being brought in to testify under oath be, before uh, the legislature? The reason is because Jim Jordan is the chair of the subcommittee on the weaponization of government, right? And Jim Jordan is trying to highlight the corruption within the FBI, the DOJ, the weaponization of the government against a, uh, uh, a Donald Trump and the American people. That's been his aim since the uh, beginning of this subcommittee. And so John Durham has been brought in to show how the FBI completely abused their power, the FISA system. Um, you know, and he, Jim Jordan, his aim is to use the information provided by John Durham to revise the FISA system so that uh, this can't happen again and to compel the legislature to use the power of the purse to fix the corruption of the DOJ by potentially withholding funding uh, through the appropriations bills. But here we, ha here we have John Durham basically doing more harm than good, if you ask me, because, for one thing, he doesn't uh, believe that there should be any revisions to the FISA system. In fact, in the beginning, he said that that won't really fix anything. You know, what this really depends on is integrity within the Department of Justice. You know, you, you can't really fix this problem by revising um, the system. You have to have people with integrity inside the system. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. It makes a lot of sense. But it really doesn't help Jim Jordan in any way. And then, you know, he was questioned about whether he supports defunding the FBI or withholding funding to the FBI. And he emphatically said, quote, I don't believe the FBI should be defunded. You know, he said, uh, well, on one hand, I don't believe that we should be defunding the police. I don't support that movement. And so defunding the FBI doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the same reasons. Maybe we should have additional oversight, but I don't believe the FBI should be defunded. Right? So if, these are, if, if Jim Jordan has two goals here, and we laid those out, and John Durham's testimony kind of goes against what Jim Jordan's goals are here, well, this really doesn't help Jim Jordan in any way. You know, and so um, I've, been, I've been pretty disappointed so far with John Durham. You know, this, this whole thing, I was hoping to hear him be grilled about why he didn't actually subpoena uh, McCabe and Comey, why he didn't issue indictments to the ringleaders like Hillary Clinton, the, the real puppet masters that were behind the Russia, the, the Russia hoax. And I was hoping to get sufficient answers, but I don't believe that we've gotten that whatsoever. You know, John Durham doesn't make a whole lot of sense here. He's laid out emphatically, clearly, evidence that they knew there was zero evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign in Russia when they opened a uh, crossfire hurricane, you know, and uh, they didn't even look for any. They received the information, what was it, on a Friday, and opened the investigation uh, on, on a Sunday, right? They never interviewed any witnesses. They never investigated whether or not the Steele dossier was true or false, and it's because they didn't care. They knew exactly what they were doing. And the problem is, John Durham, while he lays out all this evidence, he excuses the FBI's actions with, with uh, confirmation bias, which he says is an aspect of human nature. Which means what they did 
you know, they didn't do anything illegal. They didn't do anything that we could prosecute that would hold up on appeal. It was just confirmation bias, you know. They knew uh, that, that Hillary Clinton was trying to create the Russia hoax to distract from her own email scandal. They knew that 80% of the information in the Steele dossier came from uh, Igor Danchenko, who was under investigation for espionage, meaning he was a Russian agent. So they knew all this and yet continued anyway. Um, and to, 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 to say that that was confirmation bias is utterly absurd and dishonest because these people knew exactly what they were doing when they participated in a coup to try to frame uh, a presidential candidate for treason uh, or, or the sitting president for treason, for that matter, tried to remove him from office for treason. You know, and just some of the things that Durham has said just drove me crazy. You know, I was, I was doing some bench pressing out in the garage and listening to Durham. It made me so infuriated I was able to get like five more reps than I normally would because the adrenaline. You know, this guy said that Robert Mueller, he has the utmost respect for Robert Mueller and referred to him as a patriot. Robert Mueller is the one that screwed up the FBI in the first place. How are you laying out all this evidence of corruption with the FBI, knowing that Robert Mueller had a big role in that, and then refer to the guy as a patriot? You know, <laughs> it's so crazy, man. I, I said this on Telegram. I said, if you guys can't see that Durham is part of the problem, you're not paying close enough attention. Because he's excusing the FBI's actions with confirmation bias in human nature. And he's saying that there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute Hillary Clinton or Comey or McCabe or anybody at the top of the ladder. You know, even though he literally laid out exactly how Hillary Clinton, Perkins Coy, you know, Perkins Coy hired uh, Fusion GPS that came up with the Steele dossier, which was uh, created based on fake information from a Russian agent. So Hillary Clinton collaborated with a Russian agent to interfere in the 2016 election. That is a, a easily provable prosecutorial crime of a criminal conspiracy of the highest caliber. And you mean to tell me that you don't have enough evidence? That you don't think that there's any reason to prosecute? Text messages from uh, Peter Strzok saying he was going to make sure that Trump didn't get elected and we're going to sit here and say that this all boils down to confirmation bias? <laughs> what a joke, man. And you guys, like, I know that this is a subject which is uh, highly sensitive because so many people had so much, put so much hope and faith into Durham, largely because of a message board which said, Durham, you know, <laughs> you know? Q said, Durham, <laughs> which, made, which made everybody think that he was going to drain the swamp, but, uh, Durham ain't the guy. Durham is not the guy, man. Like just Janet 64 said, it's an insult. What's it going to take to put these criminals in jail? Look, we're 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 we are in a big big problem here. We have a big problem here because uh Biden can completely controls the DOJ which has been weaponized against the American people. We're talking about an investigation into an investigation 
that 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 occurred like uh, six years ago, and we're co- we're we're coming up empty-handed for the most part. Now I, I get accused of being Mr. Blackpilled all the time, but yeah, Durham is no better than Comey because he's literally covering for the criminals when he sits there and testifies under oath that there is not enough evidence to pursue an indictment against Hillary Clinton, against Comey, against McCabe. Look, this this is the guy that, you know, he, he requested uh, Comey and McCabe to come in for questioning, but when they refused to do so, he didn't issue a subpoena, even though he had the power to do so. So while it was an extensive and long, ne- practically a never-ending investigation, it wasn't an exhaustive one. He didn't exhaust all of his resources, which means that he really didn't, he, he wasn't in pursuit of the truth. It just wasn't important enough for him to issue an actual subpoena to these people. So to then sit there and say that he, he lacks the evidence to uh, prosecute anybody, any of the ringleaders, it, it, it's utterly absurd and it's completely dishonest. So those are my thoughts on this so far. I think... Um, if you want to know how this is going, it really depends who you ask. Now, I have selective hearing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I'm the kind of guy that's going to trust but verify. I'm looking for how am I getting screwed over here at all times. You know, because I, I, I've been, we've been dealing with this for so many years now. Um, you know, I, I, don't get, I don't get lulled away into the hopium. T. Skillet says, this is the underbelly of Washington, D.C. Russian spies living in Washington, D.C., meeting with government officials. Yeah, right. So Danchenko was under investigation for espionage, for being a Russian spy, and they closed the investigation because they thought, they said, they thought that he had left the country. The reality is, he was still living exactly where he was when they opened the investigation in Washington, D.C. And you don't think the FBI knew that? Of course they did. Of course they knew. And they, they proceeded to uh, hire Danchenko as an informant. Unbelievable, man. This stuff is unreal. And it's unlikely that um, this is going to have a material difference due to the testimony of John Durham. I'm, uh, KSK says, I'm extremely jaded by all this scumbaggery. So am I. I'm about, the, I'm about as jaded as they come. If you want hopium, you got to go somewhere else. You ain't getting it from me. That's not how I operate. Um, so um, I'm looking at some headlines just to fill the air, air time here while we wait a couple more minutes. Looks like Representative Anna Paulina Luna says we have secured the number of votes needed to censure Adam Schiff and refer him to ethics. Wow, so last week the vote to censure Adam Schiff failed, and I believe it had a lot to do with the fact that they tacked on a $16 million fine uh, to basically pay for the, uh, the, the fake Russia probe. And that's why a lot of um, Republicans either abstained or voted present and the vote failed. Well, now they've removed the $16 million fine, and Representative Anna Paulina Luna says we have secured the number of votes needed to censure Adam Schiff. And uh, look, it was kind of an, uh, a total and utter embarrassment when the first vote failed. 
you know? Because I said, if you can't censure Adam Schiff, how the hell are you going to impeach Biden? If you don't have the votes to censure, which is basically meaningless, um, it really doesn't have any teeth. It's kind of like a shaking your finger at somebody, like you're naughty. You can't do that. How are you going to impeach Biden? Okay, it looks like we're back up, so I'm going to step out. Please, if you're new to this channel, be sure to subscribe, leave a like, comment down below, share this broadcast, and of course, use the promo code Nick at MyPillow.com. All right, I'm going to step out. Donald Trump said, quote, I look forward to the Durham report, which is coming out in the not-too-distant future. It's got its own information, which is this information, meaning the Horowitz information, plus, plus, plus. Mr. Durham, do you consider your report to be the Horowitz report plus, plus, plus? Can you turn your mic on? I'm sorry. I suppose that's for other people to judge. Um, the report speaks for itself, in my view. Okay. Your one criminal conviction was for doctoring an email about a surveillance warrant, wasn't it? That's correct. And who referred this individual for prosecution? That matter was referred by the Inspector General's office. Okay. And this individual pleaded guilty, isn't that right? That's correct. Okay. And can you tell us what his sentence was? Um, he was sentenced to uh, 12 months probation. That's right. Uh, for, did um, you... For fabricating a document which was used to get a surveillance order on an American citizen. Did you charge any high-level FBI or intelligence officials with a crime? No. Right, you did not. In your report, you are highly critical of the FBI's Russia investigation. Is that fair to say? Certain aspects of it, yes. Okay. Did you recommend new charges as a result of those criticisms? We weren't able to prove matters. I didn't. I couldn't say under the guiding principles that we'd be able to prove matters beyond a reasonable doubt because of lack of recollections, passages of time, inconsistent statements. So no, we didn't. So no, you did not. Right? Uh, did you suggest any significant changes to how future investigations should be conducted? And I guess it's for others to judge whether there are significant suggestions um, or not. I think that uh, more disciplined uh, approaches to these matters. Um, can be affected by some of the recommendations we made, yes. Okay. Um, I would say you did not suggest any significant changes. Um, in the FBI statement, in response to your report, it, it said that the FBI conduct you examined was, the, was, quote, the reason that current FBI leadership already implemented dozens of corrective actions, which have now been in place for some time. Mr. Durham, do you know why the corrective actions have been in place for some time at the FBI? Um, I think I know, yes. Okay. Is it because the Inspector General finished his report three and a half years ago, making recommendations for changes that the FBI could make? In part. Okay. In the four years that you spent tracking down Donald Trump's conspiracy theories, other investigations were conducted and completed. These investigations and the Horowitz investigation primarily identified the problems with the FBI investigation. But the one thing the Horowitz report did not do was give Donald Trump and my MAGA Republican colleagues across the aisle talking points for their conspiracy theories. On that front, you delivered. 
Um, I'd like to yield the remainder of my time to my colleague, Mr. Schiff. Ms. Durham, um, the report attempts to uh, make a case that the Clinton investigations of Clinton were given more favorable treatment to that of President Trump. Um, but you leave out one very notable example, and that is your report makes no discussion of the fact that the email investigation into Hillary Clinton was made very public before the election, was it not? Um, it had James Comey discussing Hillary Clinton's emails in the days leading up to the election? If I follow your question, I don't think that the report says that the Clinton administration, that Mrs. Clinton was given more favorable treatment. I think what the report says is that the FBI exercised some considerable discipline in how it was going to approach um, those matters as compared to how the FBI people who were involved in Crossfire hurricane approached why, Crossfire hurricane. Why, I think that's why, what the report why, says. Durham, why, Mr. Durham, would you leave out the glaring contrast between the FBI's public discussion of the Clinton investigation right before the election, and it's keeping confidential the Trump investigation. Wasn't that a glaring disparity in how they were both treated? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the, really uh, don't FBI, the FBI did and Mr. Comey did what, uh, what they did. I was asked to... Yes, they did what they did, and in glaring contrast how they treated the Trump investigation, which was kept secret before the election. Whereas the Clinton investigation was discussed publicly affecting the outcome. Isn't that correct? I can tell you that the FBI had that information and sat on there for months before they acted in yes. Gentleman's time is public disclosure. Gentleman's time is expired. Uh, the gentleman from Texas is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chair. Mr. Durham, thank you for coming to testify today before the committee. I'm a recovering attorney and a former judge. God love you. Thank you. As such, uh, I know firsthand the importance of of uh, following procedures. I know law enforcement and prosecutors across this nation do that on a daily basis, and they do that because they want to ensure that a criminal investigation is conducted properly. They need to adhere to a full due process of law and fair application of the law, and quite frankly, process matters because how we go about our investigations will either give credibility to our conclusions or will belie our uh, conclusions. Do you agree with that? Wholeheartedly. Uh, would you agree that some of the important steps in an investigation would include simply vetting the initial information claims, obtaining the relevant documents, talking to the relevant witnesses, determining the credibility of those witnesses and documents, and doing a lot of that by seeking corroboration of what is either provided in written testimony or oral testimony or in documentary form? Is that true? That's absolutely true. And the definition of corroboration is not difficult. Evidence that supports or confirms a statement, theory, or finding is effectively confirmation. That's what we need in an investigation is we need to confirm whether or not an allegation is true or not. Correct? Yes. As your report showed, the FBI did not follow its well-established procedures and did not corroborate the information that they were receiving. Is that fair to say? That's a fair statement. Take, for example, uh, page 54 of your report, you show that the FBI opened a full investigation into George Papadopoulos, but they did so a mere three days after receiving intelligence from Australia. During those three days, do you think the FBI attempted to corroborate the information they had initially received? Um, if, they, if they did, we didn't see any evidence of that fact. 
In fact, on page 112 in your report, you, you say, quote, despite the lack of any corroboration of the Steele report's sensational allegations, however, in short order, portions of four of the reports were included in the initial Carter Page FISA application without further verification or corroboration of the allegations contained therein. You also state on page 57 about Australia. Australia could not and did not make any representation about the credibility of information, and that's because they couldn't verify or corroborate that information. Is that true? That's correct. You further go on to say on page 57 that, quote, uh, the uh, Office of Special Counsel found no indication from witness testimony, electronic communications, emails, calendar entries, or other documentation that at the time the FBI gave any consideration to the actual trustworthiness of information diplomats received from Papadopoulos. You remember re uh, writing that portion of the report? I do. It seems amazing to me that the FBI would not give consideration to the actual trustworthiness of certain information found in an investigation at this level. You write extensively on how the FBI elected to not interview Carter Page, George Papadopoulos, or Charles, Charles Dolan. Would interviews with those key individuals have helped to corroborate or disprove the information that the FBI was receiving? Yes. Through your investigation, did you uncover any reason as to why the FBI elected to not interview these individuals? I know that the uh, um, people who, with operational people doing the investigation, were told they could not interview um, Mr. Page um, until um, the seventh floor uh, authorized it, and then the director didn't authorize the interview of Mr. Page until March of 2017. You also noted that it took uh, 75 days to pass the steel dossier to the Crossfire Hurricane Team. Uh, it seems to me that that is uh, belying the ability of the investigative team to actually corroborate what the allegations were. Would you agree with that as well? I would. I would. Uh, I would agree with that, uh, Mr. Durham. In, in my opinion, a failure to, to corroborate information leads to holes in credibility. It also gives rise to potential corruption or actual corruption. The American people now know, based on your report, that during the peak of a presidential campaign, the FBI elected not to follow its own basic procedures and instead launched a politically motivated investigation into a leading presidential candidate. I am confident and hopeful that there are still many good agents within the FBI who are there to perform the sacred duty of protecting and serving our nation, that undertake investigations on a daily basis without regard to political affiliation. That's my hope. That's my belief. That's my experience. But your report, Mr. Durham, shows that at least top FBI uh, leadership in this case was politically motivated and did not follow longstanding procedures necessary for a proper, uh, proper criminal investigation. I heard you say to, uh, to my colleagues on the left a little while ago, quote, nothing in their files would corroborate the claims. And another quote, quote, not one single fact in the Steele dossier has been corroborated. It is amazing to me that we would go through a high-level investigation like this and fail to adhere to the basic principle of investiga investigative procedures, and that is corroborate the witness testimony and corroborate the evidence. With that, I yield my time, and I thank you for your efforts. The gentleman yields back, and I'll recognize Ms. Ross from North Carolina for her questions. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, Mr. Durham, for your endurance. Um, you have cited and discussed the Justice Department's principles of federal prosecution. And um, I'd just like you to explain for the public what that is. What are those principles? Sure. You know, the, the general um, principles of federal prosecution, as I've indicated, 
uh, provide that a federal prosecutor should not bring uh, criminal charges unless he or she uh, believes that the evidence that um, will be admissible at trial is sufficient to prove the defendant's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and that a jury uh, can convict based on that evidence, and that if the conviction were obtained, uh, then the um, conviction would be sustained on appeal or upheld on appeal. Okay. Those are the basic principles we operate under. Thank you very much. And um, one major goal of the principles is to ensure that individuals' rights are, quote, scrupulously protected. Is that correct? That's correct. And the principles also contain a limitation on identifying uncharged third parties publicly. Is that correct? There is a limitation on that, yes. It states that in all public filings and proceedings, federal prosecutors should remain sensitive to the privacy and reputation interests of uncharged third parties. I'm just quoting it. Is that correct? That is correct. Right. Do you believe that you adhered to this limitation in your prosecutorial, prosecutorial filings in the Sussman and Jenko cases? Yes. Now, that's very interesting um, because many legal scholars noted that in your filings, you laid out not just the prosecution for the court to consider, but you appeared to be alleging a conspiracy that you did not intend to prosecute. Rather than indicting Mr. Sussman on the narrow charge of lying to the FBI, this is a charge which a unanimous jury of his peers acquitted him of, your filing broadly alleges a vast Clinton conspiracy identifying various individuals um, and at least one of whom you never prosecuted. And after the Sussman indictment was filed on September 16th of 2021, for example, um, President Trump's allies used the broad conclusions you allege to construct a political narrative damaging the reputations of uncharged individuals. In fact, on September 19th, 2021, Eric Trump spoke with the Washington Inquirer treating these uncharged allegations as fact. And the next day, on September 20th, 2021, Trump associate Cash Patel told Fox News that the indictment offers a good view into future charges including what he called a very well-laid-out conspiracy charge that will envelop people in and around Hillary Clinton's campaign. Did you read these interviews, or are you aware of them? I, I did not read them. I can imagine that that's what people were saying. But I yeah. did not read them. I, I don't read a lot of newspapers, so listen to a lot of news. Um, but had, had you known that that was what was going to be done with the indictment, would you have used greater caution? Um, I think we took great care in, in uh, drafting and crafting that uh, indictment and uh, did, to the best of our ability, uh, comply with all of the department's policies and procedures regarding uh, third persons. I think if you take a look at the indictment, um, in any number of instances, for example, people's identities uh, were masked. We didn't use a person's name. So uh, I'm usually... just going to reclaim my time because I think that there were people who were implicated and um, there was not a narrow enough tailoring of the indictment. And then, in fact, after the February 11th filing in the Sussman case, uh, Donald Trump told Fox News that the conspiracy he claims you described but never prosecuted 
amounted to treason at the highest level and said, if you read the filing and have any understanding of what took place, and I called this a long time ago, you're going to see a lot of other things happening, having to do with what really just is a continuation of the crime of the century. This is such a big event, nobody has seen anything like it. And given that kind of politicization of what you did, do you think that you could have exercised more caution again with respect to third parties? I exercised my judgment on, under the uh, guiding principles that I had and whether or not an indictment ought to be returned and decided on that basis. And say, did I give consideration to what Donald Trump might say about it? I would say that was not part of my consideration. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I yield back. The gentleman yields back. The gentleman from New Jersey is now recognized for his question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Durham, thank you for being here. I know it's been one heck of a slog. I wish that we could, you know, just stick to the matter at hand, which is your report, but it's been interesting. We've been all over the, all over the place. Fidelity, bravery, and integrity. These are the words that have guided the FBI through countless generations, dishonesty, deception, and corruption, I'm sad to say. The stark contrast and unfortunate reality we now find ourselves in. A reality that has revealed a politicized, weaponized, and corrupted Federal Bureau of Investigation in desperate need, in my opinion, for complete restructuring. One of the most egregious examples of dishonesty that the Durham Report reveals relates to a critical piece on page 16 that summarizes a deeply troubling chain of events. Igor Duchenko, who was instrumental in the formation of the Steele dossier, claimed that one of his subsources was Sergei Milian, a Belarusian-American businessman and publicly known to be a Trump supporter. The report goes on to highlight that Danchenko claimed to have received an anonymous phone call from an individual he later claimed to be Milian. Milian. On page 173, it is stated this call supposedly revealed, quote, a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between the Trump campaign and Russian leadership, end quote. It's the kicker here. The kicker is Danchenko had never met nor spoken with Milian prior to this call and told the Crossfire Hurricane team that despite never actually meeting Milian, he recognized his voice from a YouTube video. This blatant lie was taken at face value by both Christopher Steele and the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Think about that. Everybody think about that. Danchenko was a foreign agent who the FBI was paying, by the way, we haven't talked about that much, hundreds of thousands of your taxpayer dollars, tells a blatant lie, which leads to four FISA applications and lays the foundation for the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. And that's what it was. You may not like it, but that's what it was. One of the greatest disgraces this country, in my opinion, has ever seen. Americans are literally paying the price for this corruption. Such an egregious 
and intentional abandonment of the common procedures that FBI agents are supposed to follow truly encapsulates why so many Americans, including myself, are calling for complete restructuring of the FBI. And it is the reason why now, years later, the country finds itself so divided. Mr. Dorm, is it accurate to say the crossfire hurricane investigators made little to no effort to corroborate Danchenko's version of events relating to Millian? Um, that would be correct. Thank you. And is it accurate to say that despite not corroborating this information, that Crossfire Hurricane still used the Million accusation to bolster the Carter Page FISA applications? And that information was used in the initial FISA application and the three uh, renewal applications. So the answer is yes. Yes. Given the lack of effort by the Crossfire Hurricane investigators to validate Danchenko's assertions about Millian and their use of these unverified allegations in the Carter Page FISA application, does this raise any legal or ethical concerns about the validity of these FISA applications? I think the, um, it's been recognized by the department and certainly by the FISA court that with respect to at least some of those applications, um, they would never have been um, authorized. They wouldn't have been granted um, had the information been disclosed. So it, it did help in achieving the FISA approval? Without question. Okay. I mean, we're getting to the real, these are the real issues. Misinformation, bad people moving forward, getting FISA applications, doing all that they did. I have one quick last question. Do you believe the FBI has been politicized and weaponized and is in need for complete restructuring? I know I do. I know you have a softer version of it. I think too much happened, too many bad things happened, that, that you just can't move a few people around and make some minor changes. I think you need some major changes. And I also want to say there are many good people that work for the Department of Justice and work for the FBI. Proud to know them. These folks surely were not. Gentlemen's time has expired. That witness may respond if you choose. Yeah, I, I, what I can what I can say is that there were um, identified, documented, significant failures of um, a, a highly sensitive, unique investigation that was undertaken by uh, the FBI. And the investigation clearly reveals that. Um, decisions that were made were made in one direction. If there was something that was inconsistent with the notion that uh, Trump was involved in um, a well-coordinated conspiracy with the Russians and whatnot, um, that information was um, largely discarded um, or ignored. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that's what the facts bear out. Gentlemen, uh, it yields back to gentleman from Georgia is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Special Counsel Durham, for your time today. I yield the balance of my time to my colleague from California, Representative Adam Schiff. I thank you for yielding. Uh, one of my colleagues on the Republican side of the aisle took issue with my saying that the Trump campaign invited Russian help, received Russian help, made use of it, and then lied about it. So let's break this down. Uh, let's go to invited Russian help. Uh, Mr. Durham, you're aware of Donald Trump's 
public statements along the lines of, hey, Russia, if you're listening, hack Hillary's emails, you'll be richly rewarded by the press. Are you aware of that? I'm aware of that. And are you aware that Mueller found that hours after he made that plea for Russian help, the Russians, in fact, tried to hack one of the email servers affiliated with the Clinton campaign or family? Uh, if that happened, I'm not aware of that. I mean, could very well. You're, you're not aware of that in the Mueller report? And when you say you're not aware of evidence of collusion in the Mueller report, it's because apparently I haven't read the Mueller report very well. Um, if you're not aware of that fact. But let me ask you about something else. Sure. Don Jr., when offered dirt as part of what was described as a Russian government effort to help the Trump campaign, said, if it's what you say, I love it. Would you call that an invitation to get Russian help with dirt on Hillary Clinton? The words speak for themselves, I suppose. I think they do. And, in fact, he said, especially late in summer. Late in summer was around when the Russians started to dump the stolen emails, wasn't it? Late in the summer, there was information that was um, disclosed by WikiLeaks um, in mid to late July. I think they had spent some in June, and then there was maybe some later in October, was it? I think. But I don't, don't hold me to those dates. And, and this gets to the receipt of help. The second thing I mentioned, receiving Russian help. The dumping of those emails, by the way, just as forecast by what Papadopoulos told the Australian diplomat, that is that the Russians would help by leaking dirt anonymously through cutouts like WikiLeaks and DC leaks. I don't think that's exactly what he told the, the Australians. But. Well, he said that the, he was informed that the Russians could help by anonymously re releasing this information, right? Release what? By, anonymous, uh, by anonymously releasing information damaging to Hillary Clinton, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you read what's in the cable and what's in the report as to what the uh, diplomats uh, reported was, there was the suggestion of the suggestion that the Russians could help at damaging information as to Mrs. Clinton. Um, and By releasing it anonymously, right? And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? I, I, don't, I don't... You really don't know? I'm, I'm not sure exactly. When you say exactly what happened. Well, the Russians the released stolen emails mm -hmm. through cutouts, did they not? There were emails. It's a very simple released, question. Did I they release released. information, stolen information through cutouts, yes or no? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. That you really what, don't what, know the answer to that? The answer is yes, they did. Through DC leagues. Well, you mind to, yes. Well, Mueller's answer was yes. More important than mine, Mueller's answer was yes. Now, that information, of course, was helpful to the Trump campaign, wasn't it? I don't, I don't think there's any question, but that the Russians intruded into, um, well, I just want to get into the systems, they released information. And that was helpful to the Trump campaign, right? And the, and the conclusion in the ICA and in the uh, Mueller investigation was that the Russians intended to assist. You answer my question, Mr. Durham, that was helpful to the Trump campaign, right? That's and, and Trump made use of that. As I said, didn't he, by touting those stolen documents on the campaign trail over a hundred times? I, I, I said, I don't really read the newspapers or listen to the news. I don't really know you're, you're reliable, you're totally, so I don't know that. Mr. Irwin, you're totally oblivious to Donald Trump's use of the stolen emails on the campaign trail more than a hundred times? And that escaped your attention? I am not aware of that. Uh, are you aware of the final prong that I mentioned, that he lied about it, that the Trump campaign covered it up? It's the whole second volume of the Mueller report. I hope you're familiar with that. Yeah, that's a section of the report, the second volume relating to what's their obstruction of justice. Well, thank you for, for confirming what my Republican colleague attacked me about. 
Um, now, he also criticized the use of the word collusion. Apparently, giving private polling data to the Russians while the Russians are helping your campaign, they don't want to call it collusion. Maybe there's a better name for it. Maybe they would prefer we just call it good old-fashioned GOP cheating with the enemy. Maybe that would be a little bit more accurate description. Yeah, because this is what happened. But they seem allergic to calling it for what it is. I yield back. Gentlemen, yields back. Generally, from Indiana is recognized. Uh, Mr. Dolan, I will quote excerpts from your report describing the FBI actions in Trump's case. You call them sobering, I call them alarming. Rapid opening. Made no sense, no sound reason, no explanation, difficult to explain, no follow-up, uncorroborated evidence, unevaluated information, rumors and speculations, thin intelligent, exculpatory statements were not included, misrepresentation of the reported conversation, noticeable departure, not using typical tools, serious lack of rigor, choose to ignore red flags, unwarranted delay, ignore nearly all recommendations, didn't disclose intelligence, not in form of inconsistencies, did not give appropriate attention to facts, did not adequately examine did not receive satisfactory explanation, was not informed, never corrected assertion, never advised, never been apprised, never gave appropriate consideration, no further action, failed to make known, failed to act, failed to follow logical leads, failed to interview, failed to revise the paperwork, failed to take even the basic steps, failed to determine, failed to provide, failed to integrate, failed to fully exploit the materials, failed to critically analyze information, failed to properly consider, failed to correct errors, ignored contrary evidence, was never brought to the attention, intentionally falsified in material documents, fabricated delegation, omission of material fact, numerous significant defects, 17 material errors and omissions, inaccurate representation, deliberately shut down, told not to write and provide findings orally, incorrectly noted, missed another opportunity, omitted email, omitted information, did not corroborate, never sought to obtain records, resisted efforts, conflicting recollection, troubling failure of recollection, not in a single FBI employee, curious change in assessment, key players declined to be interviewed, lack sufficient probable cause, frustration on the part of investigators, sense of betrayal, highly unusual instruction, director was really, really shocking, and the list goes on. Dolan, with extensive connection to the Democrat Party and access to senior Russian officials and put in think tank, was never interviewed, request was denied, case was never opened, Auden instructing to cease all research and analysis related to Dolan. Leadership directed to dedicate no resources to Dolan. FBI interviewed hundreds of individuals, yet they did not interview Dolan. Dachinko failed to properly consider prior Russian counter-spionage case. FBI's validation unit raised serious concern. Management ignored and resisted nearly all recommendations and supported continued payment to him. Jonas Weidner, special envoy to Secretary Kerry Tuliba, who worked as lobbyist for Russian oligarch Deribaska, was nice to put it. Disseminated still this year to the U.S. official and destroyed his record. Deribaska was allowed to buy control and package in uranium company with extensive mining projects in the United States, approved by Secretary Clinton's State Department in 2010. The former head of the FBI's counterintelligence division in New York, McGonigal, involved with this case, recently was accused of taking money from Deribaska. Later case from your report stands in stark contrast. Lack of action, considerable caution, never open inquiry, in limbo, linger, defensive brief, and corroborating information, no effort to investigate cease and desist due to the undisclosed concern. Decline to issue subpoenas. Your concern with FBI's reputational harm. But it appears to me, using Director Sklopis' lexicon, this case has all classic earmarks of collusion and cover-up. However, not one person went to jail and Clinton campaign operatives like Jake Sullivan now have the highest national security position in our government, who's actually driving a very slow response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Do you believe that justice has been served? 
I can speak to what um, my, my team and I uh, did, which was to try Just to... tell me yes or no. The bullet has been served? We tried to serve justice to the best of our ability. Okay. I can speak you, on that. You also state Russian intelligence new still action investigation for the Clinton campaign before crossfire hurricane was open. And still sub sources could have been compromised by Russian. However, FBI have not a properly considered to the possibility that this still reports was Russian disinformation. Is that correct? Um, if we're talking about Mr. Uh, we're talking about Mr. Denchenko? No, no, just you said, and you, if this is in your report, you say that Russia, FBI never considered the possibility that still reports was Russian information and full on part. Is that correct? That they okay. didn't, do you know why? I don't know why, but I think okay. that's correct. Okay, another thing. Sanchez won FBI spy, and I'm assuming Stephen Halper, invited Page at the request of the FBI to conference in UK. Created Manafort Page conspiracy allegation and direct conflict with his recordings. FBI never fully transcribed recording. He stated the crossfire curriculum significant and proper fact on page session conversation. He didn't throw off a subpoena and wasn't employed in very shady uh, case in 1980s. In your report, you were able to establish the CHS intentionally lied to the FBI. You were not, were not able to establish why and what you did. Um, okay, I'm not sure. I, I, um... CHS man. I'm sorry. CHS one, you said that you were not able to establish that CHS one intentionally lied to the FBI. What did you do and what didn't do to establish it? You're not able to establish. Let me see. This is on page 89. Yeah, Time is expired. We'll let the witness answer. I think she's referring to confidential human source number one. Yeah. Um, you said you were unable to establish. It's at the end of your report. This is on page 243. 243. Yep. So the, the context of that is in the steel, in the steel reporting, uh, one of the pieces of information that had been used in the dossiers was that uh, Mr. Page allegedly like, had... What did, did you interview him? What did you do? We've got to move. Mr. Chairman, time, is, time is expired. We'll let the witness answer the question. We are going to have to stick close now, closer to the five-minute rule, because they're, they're holding votes on the floor until we finish today's business. Okay, so I can, you can answer real quick, sure. So one of the things in the steel report was that Carter Page allegedly had met with two sanctioned Russians when he was uh, in Moscow in, uh, in July. Uh, we were able to uh, establish that uh, that was not the, not the truth. I mean, you look at the evidence that um, that's not true, and the FBI should have been able to detect that, and they didn't detect it. But that was a meeting that supposedly occurred in July of 2016, or meetings, one of them with Mr. Session. And later, when the FBI had opened Crossfire Hurricane, and in December of 2016, uh, CHS-1 met with Mr. Page, again, recorded a conversation uh, with Mr. Page. Um, and he, uh, several days later, uh, told his handling agent 
that, um, oh, um, I forgot to tell you that uh, Paige uh, said that on his, Paige's most recent uh, trip to Russia where he uh, worked or did had business interests, um, he met with Sessions. And the FBI, when you look at the communications in the FBI, they're saying, you know, that sounds kind of uh, screwy here, but we should look at that. They apparently never looked at that. We went and got the recording of that conversation that had occurred uh, between CHS1 and Mr. Page in December of 2016. And Page never said that he had met with Session on his most recent uh, visit. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I've yeah. The overruns, I appreciate the fact to give him a chance. You're, you're definitely going to get asked. Your question would be the Republicans would be, be, be squeezed. Uh, uh, I think I think the gentlelady's time has expired. We'll now go to the, to the gentlelady from, I appreciate your answer, Mr. Durham. Uh, I think we, we understand where you're headed. Um, the gentlelady from Missouri is recognized for five minutes. Thank you. St. Louis and I are here today to set the record straight about this political investigation conducted on behalf of the twice impeached, twice indicted, former white supremacist in chief, Donald Trump. From the start, this entire investigation has been an attempt to undermine the findings of the Mueller investigation and distract the people of this country from Donald Trump's corruption. That's why it began just days after the release of the Mueller report. And that's why four years later, and no matter how much my colleagues across the aisle claim, otherwise, the Durham investigation did not exonerate Mr. Trump or any of his associates. Mr. Durham. I'd like to briefly discuss a few of the different Trump-related items that your report does not touch on. In the interest of time, you can just simply answer yes or no. The Mueller report found that Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort knowingly shared internal polling data and information on battleground states with a Russian spy. Did you find this to be untrue? I did not find that to be untrue. Thank you. The Mueller, thank you for that. The Mueller report found that Mr. Manafort shared this internal polling data with a Russian asset with the expectation it would be shared with Putin-linked oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Did you find this to be untrue? I didn't find it to be untrue, but I didn't look at it either. The Mueller report found that Russian military hackers first targeted Hillary Clinton's personal office within hours of Trump's infamous July 27, 2016 press conference, which we've heard already, where he said, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Did you find this to be untrue? When you say this, what? And Mr. Trump clearly said that. Is it publicly recorded? Did you find, the, the, the Mueller report found that Russian military hackers first targeted her personal office within hours of the infamous press conference, right. where Trump said, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails. If that was did, you find that to, did you find this to be untrue? I, would not, I did not find that to okay. be untrue. Thank you. So again, your investigation, Mr. Durham, did not undercut the basic findings of the Mueller report. Those who read your report as exonerating Donald Trump are willfully deluding themselves and the people of this country. And let's take a step back for a minute. In the chaos created by all these conspiracy theories and other propaganda amplified by right-wing hate machines, the one we continue to hear, a very simple point is getting lost. Republicans will do anything, say anything, and spend any amount of money to hide the basic truth that their leader is a criminal, corrupt, narcissistic buffoon. 
That's why we're still talking about Carter Page. That's why anyone even knows who John Durham is. That's why Republicans are still carrying on Mr. Durham's work by launching frivolous investigations that end with them embarrassing themselves by propping up obvious lies. It has always been about gaslighting the country. So instead of holding these farcical hearings about farcical investigations, I urge my colleagues, my Republican colleagues, to get serious and start legislating on behalf of their constituents instead of helping the twice impeached, twice indicted Donald Trump further evade accountability. Thank you, and I yield back. Gentlemen, I yield back. Gentlemen from Texas, recognize. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Durham, I thank you for being here today, and, and thank you for your tireless work on this, as you call it, a, a very sobering report. Uh, the American people were forced to endure years of the Trump-Russia probe, and for what? I'll tell you why. It's because my Democrat colleagues across the aisle, the Clintons, the dishonest mainstream media, and the rest of the deep state have been terrified of Donald Trump from the beginning. And their hatred and fear remains today. From the 34-count felony indictment from the radical DA in Manhattan to the most recent 37-count felony indictment in Mar-a-Lago, they just won't stop. They won't stop. Mr. Durham, I want to walk through a few things for the American people in this 300-page report on Crossfire Hurricane. For those that are watching who don't know, this was the code name for the investigation undertaken by the FBI into whether the Trump campaign was coordinating with Russia to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. Mr. Durham, it says on page 9, at the direction of FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe and FBI Deputy Assistant Director for Counterintelligence Peter Strzok, Crossfire Hurricane was opened immediately. Is that correct? That's correct. First, let's talk about who these two characters were. On page 9 of your report, it says Strzok and Deputy Director McCabe's special assistant had pronounced hostile feelings, hostile feelings toward Trump. In text messages before and after the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, the two had referred to him as loathsome, an idiot, Donald Trump an idiot, someone who should lose to Clinton 100 million to zero, and Strzok once wrote, will stop, meaning Trump, from becoming president. So here we have these two leaders in the FBI, struck clearly expressing his hatred towards Trump from the beginning, opening an investigation six months before the 2016 election. And where are these two guys now? McCabe, he's been a contributor at CNN, the Clinton News Network, since 2019, and Strzok is an expert on the Marlago raid. Strzok is an expert on the Marlago raid, both continuing to dispel lies to the American people. On page 10 in your report, within days after opening Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI opened full investigations on members of the Trump campaign team. The FBI then began working on requests of the use of FISA authorities against Carter Page. Is that correct? That's correct. Folks, let me highlight who this American hero is. Carter Page was painted as an alleged Russian agent. Carter Page served his nation honorably. He was a Naval Academy graduate, and the FBI spied on Carter Page through the use of FISA authority. Sir, do you believe that this FISA warrant against Carter Page was flawed? Yes. Mr. Durham, Section 702 of, of, of FISA expires this year, and I'm sure you're familiar with FISA and Section 702. Just for the people listening at home, FISA stands for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which was created in 1978. In 2008, FISA 702 was added. Section 702 was created for us to have the authority to spy on non-U.S. citizens, non-U.S. citizens. Mr. Durham, we all know that Carter Page is an American citizen who served his nation honorably. And yet, the FBI 
conducted surveillance, including wiretaps, based on falsified information provided by agents in the FBI, Mr. Page was an honest American, innocent man. Mr. Durham, the FBI obviously abused its FISA authority. They went after Carter Page, and it's my intent, and I hope the intent of my colleagues, that we do not reauthorize Section 702 because the FBI cannot be trusted. Finally, I want to talk about Charles Dolan and Mr. Danchenko, who was the main source of the Steele dossier. Dolan had played multiple roles in the Democrat National Committee, Democrat Party. He worked on both Clinton campaigns, Bill and Hillary. He was working with them. Friends. On page, of your, page 15 of your report, it says that in the summer and fall of 2016, Dolan and Penchenko traveled to Moscow in connection with a business conference. The business conference was held at the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow, which, according to the Steele reports, was allegedly the site of salacious sexual conduct on the part of Trump. Parents, if you're watching, earmuffs for your kids now, folks. Put earmuffs for your children. Mr. Durham, was this salacious sexual conduct? What is that? Um, the allegation was that... Um, okay, don't, don't answer. I will. Okay. Think about this, America. In the game of politics, it gets dirty and nasty. And the people will say anything to beat their opponent. But this is the government doing it. Even the director of the FBI, Comey, said it's possible Trump was with hookers peeing on each other. Christopher Steele said an infamous Trump pee tape probably exists. Alleged pee tape incident was the only sex Trump party in Russia. You want to irritate the suburban mom at home five months before an election, tell them the Republican leading candidate is peeing on prostitutes. We are aware of the member of this committee having an alleged affair with a Chinese spy. I refer to as Yum Yum. But this is a new law for anyone. And I would hope Mr. Swalwell would agree with me. Imagine if somebody would have said and taken it a step further, Mr. Swalwell was peeing on Yum Yum. Time and the gentleman. It's unacceptable. This has got to stop. The FBI needs to... Time and the gentleman has... I yield back. Um, the the gentleman... Mr. Chairman, I ask that the last comments be stricken. With respect to Mr. Swallow. All, my, my point is this. If you're going to say the President of the United States was in Russia peeing on prostitutes or vice versa, I'm just saying, could you imagine how that would affect any member of this committee? It would affect you. You're going to pick up a primary opponent, I'll guarantee that. That's a little different than making a specific allegation about a specific individual on this particular committee. Uh, the chair, the chair, if I could, for the gentleman from out of the chair, has been very lenient in things being said. Previous speaker from the Democrats called the former president of the United States all kinds of things. And we sat here and let it go. Probably should have said something then. Maybe everyone should be careful about what they say. Um... And the gentleman from Maryland is recognized for his five minutes. Uh, but, we have to move fast. Before we get to that, Mr. Chairman, those rules don't cover, the rules that govern this committee don't cover statements about I'm talking about decorum. In, I'm they just talking about cover, general decorum. They, they do cover statements about members of the committee and members of the House. And I've admonished, the, I've admonished the gentleman, you should watch what he says, just like other members should watch what they say about the former president of our country. The gentleman from Maryland is recognized for five minutes president, The former president is not a member of the committee. I, under, I, I know that. He's by the House rules. I understand that. Govern these kinds of statements. I understand that. The gentleman is recognized for five minutes to question the witness. Well, Mr. Durham, good afternoon. I uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, well, I'm sure... As you expressed earlier, there are probably other places you'd rather be. I, I did want to follow up on your prior testimony about um, uh, the trip that you and the attorney, the attorney general Barr, took to Italy. 
Um, and I wanted to ask you uh, about the, to elaborate on that, um, is it, I, I take it that was at the point prior to becoming special counsel, but not by much. Is that right? Um, it was uh, prior to that. I think I think it was um, a while before. Um, the the dates I've got, just to help out, August 15th and September 27th, 2019. Does that yeah. sound about right? Yeah, I was appointed special counsel in October of 2020, so um, more than a year before that. Okay, and why did you go on that trip? You know, I want to be careful as to what I'm authorized to, sure. to say here, speaking outside um, the report. I think uh, members are probably aware of the fact that there was a particular person who supposedly had provided or had made statements to Papadopoulos. And Papadopoulos, not when he talked to the Australians, but when he was interviewed by the FBI, attributed information he had to this particular person who was a European. Um, there was reason to believe that that person was in Italy or had been in Italy. All right. And, 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 and let me ask just to follow up on that. Why, why did the Attorney General come with you to investigate that? Is, it, is, this is my understanding. I mean, these weren't communications I had. But the Italian authorities wanted to deal with a person at an appropriate level, not with me. And so that's what that was about. It, that's my understanding. All right. But was it unusual for the Attorney General of the United States to uh, go on trips to uh, interview witnesses, whether overseas or even domestically? Yeah. He didn't, um, to my knowledge, uh, the Attorney General didn't interview any witnesses. His, what he was, my understanding was that in uh, accordance with what the Italian authorities wanted, he was going to go over, did go over, and um, introduce me uh, to them so that they would work with us to see if they could be of assistance in our locating a particular witness. All right. So he, he personally traveled to Italy in the pursuit of this uh, investigative lead. In opening the door for our group. To pursue an investigative lead. Yes, All right. And then you said you've been at the Department of Justice for 40 years? I have been. All right. Do you recall the Attorney General of the United States ever taking a step like that uh, to travel overseas in pursuit of a lead in an investigation. No, I, I, I don't know. It may happen all the time. I can only talk by my experience. This is the, fair the enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. And I take it that whatever investigation was done over there in Italy didn't lead to any type of prosecution or investigate uh, 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 convict convictions in in your investigation. That's correct. All right. I want to yield the remainder of my time to Mr. Schiff. Mr. Durham, did you uh, seek? Uh, communications pertaining to someone named Mr. Bernard uh, from a federal district judge? I'm not. Assuming that um, prosecutors go to judges for certain kinds of orders, they are typically sealed proceedings. I'm not speaking. Did you uh, seek an order to your question? But I'm not going to comment on anything that I believe is under seal. Did you seek uh, a court order to obtain personal communications? Turning to Mr. Bernard. I'm not going to speak beyond the uh, report on that point, and I'm not going to violate any Were you, sealing orders. I don't think it violates any sealing orders to tell us if you sought personal communications by court order. Did you? Again, it's beyond the report. Well, well, let's not even subject a sealing order. Person, did you seek court orders to obtain particular records, and were you denied by the judge? I think the question is, you know, well, that the, the question is what I, I don't the want to something I'm This is what I asked you, Mr. Durham. You get to give the answer, not the question. The question is, did you seek a court order to get records from a judge pertaining to private communications, and were you turned down by the judge for lack of a sufficient basis? 
And I've told you yes or no. It's beyond the report. I don't think I'm authorized to talk about it, and I'm not going to violate it. It's not beyond the report. It's not beyond the report. Do you see anything in the report about that? Uh, yes. Did you seek an order? And were you turned down? Okay. And then did you seek to go around the court order by going to the grand jury? No. You'd like to know what that was about? What I would like to know, Mr. Durham, is did, did Mrs. Danahy, who resigned from your team, raise ethical concerns about your trying to go around the court order? To my knowledge, no. Then why did she leave? I told you before, previously, that I have the highest regard for Ms. Danahy. Um, Ms. Danahy and I are friends. Um, Ms. Danahy, um, like you, you know why she left, right? I, 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 I'm not. You sure know the answer to the question. You know why she left, right? The time the gentleman has expired. The chair now. Uh, Mr. Mr. Chairman, if I might ask unanimous consent to offer sure. uh, two articles for the record. Uh, the first is uh, by Charlie Savage, Adam Goldman, and Katie Benner. How Barr's quest to find flaws in the un in the Russian inquiry unraveled. Objection. And then the second is Anna Mamigliano. Sorry, Italy did not fuel U.S. suspicion of Russian meddling. Prime Minister says. Both from the New York Times. Without objection, the gentleman from North Carolina is recognized for five minutes. Mr. Durham, I've got a number of things I want to ask you, but do you have a do you desire to address what was being raised just now in fairness? Yeah, apparently, um, Mr. Schiff's questions are from. Um, an unsourced New York Times article written by Charlie Savage. I don't believe that there's anything in that article that is attributed uh, to Ms. Danahy. And my recollection, I could be mistaken, but my recollection is that Ms. Danahy did not comment, um, wasn't quoted in any way, in that article. So to the extent that the New York Times wrote an article suggesting certain things, you know, it is what it is. All right. Was Danchenko's status as a paid informant, a confidential human source, Concealed from you for any period of time? Um, I'm not sure that it was concealed. We, we found that out. Uh, we were once. Uh, when, when, the, when did you learn about it? When we started to um, the investigation and the uh, how long it took for the FBI to identify this principal subsource and why the principal subsource wasn't identified earlier. That's when we came across Danchenko. We then asked the Bureau for, uh, we found out he was a confidential human source. We asked the Bureau for his informant file, and that's when we um, gleaned that uh, information. Okay, so it was from his informant file once you got that from the FBI. Was there any delay in furnishing that to you? Um, not that I recall, no. Do you have any recollection? You were investigating, you said, from May 2019. He was a CHS until October 2020. Yes. you know when in that period of time, roughly, you learned that he was a CHS? Um you know, probably halfway through there, but I, 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 I would, I'm not, I'm not certain. Okay. But why didn't you interview him while he was a paid source for the FBI? Um, let me see. So with respect to um, Mr. Denchenko, he was um, interviewed by the Bureau in January 2017. We had brought the, the attention of the new administration and the FBI, Mr. Denchenko's circumstances, including the prior espionage case that they never resolved or uh, addressed. Right. I understand uh, all those details. I'm asking why you didn't, why you didn't interview him. So when um, uh, we were dealing uh, with that section, Mr. Um, Danchenko was uh, represented by counsel. Um, Mr. Danchenko, as you may know, in the normal course, um, you have to advise people whether they're subjects or targets of investigations, and we uh, did not arrive at a point in uh, where we could interview Mr. Denshank. Uh, FBI made um, 
Danchenko at CHS on March 7, 2017, after the factual predicate for crossfire, crossfire hurricane in the steel dossier uh, or, or, uh, had collapsed uh, in January 2017 in his interview because he could not corroborate the dossier, and he revealed to the FBI that he was not a Russian-based source, nor did he have a high-level network of sources. The next day, March 8, the FBI finalized talking points drafted by Lisa Page on direction of Andrew McCabe for use in briefing the Gang of Eight in Congress. Uh, and Congress was briefed prior to Director Comey's testimony on March 20. Now, Attorney General Barr told the nation in December 2019 that you were examining the continuation of the investigation beyond the January collapse of the supposed factual basis and looking at irregularities, misstatements, and omissions. Yet your report makes no mention of the March 8 talking points prepared for Congress. Why? Um, you know, aware that there were talking points, it just wasn't part of uh, the crux of the central portion of what we were reporting on. I want uh, the uh, clerk to put up on the screen uh, what is uh, my submittal mark, mark number seven while I'm asking you this question. These talking points emerged into public as a defense exhibit in the Sussman case. They contained lurid allegations about Manafort operating high-level contacts with the Kremlin through Carter Page, that Steele had a primary subsource who was Russian-based, and that the primary subsource had a network of high-level Republican uh, of, of, uh, subsources. Same garbage that Danchenko had, had debunked in his January interview. These talking points were circulated among senior FBI leaders and Department of Justice leaders, more than a dozen passed on them. Did you interview them all about how this could occur or consider this material as the basis of prosecutable offenses? We, uh, we identified and uh, interviewed uh, many uh, people in the FBI. Um, I guess I would have to know who this uh, particular email was circulated to to be able to tell you whether we interviewed uh, each of those persons or not. Um, last point, I guess, because I'm about out of time. Uh, you... Uh, identify the failure of the FBI to interview Dolan as sort of inexplicable. Totally agree. As I go through your report, look, there are people who declined to be interviewed. Uh, not only Dolan, Danchenko, McComey, McCabe, Priestat, Strzok, Page, Glenn Simpson, among others. Seems inexplicable to me that you didn't be, you didn't uh, compel their testimony. Can you explain that? Sure. Um, first, let me make it clear that. Um, it is um, as disappointing, perhaps more disappointing to me and my uh, colleagues, that these people would not agree to be interviewed. Um, you know, some of them had a lot to say publicly, but they refused to um, uh, be interviewed by our folks. Let me explain. I'm not going to speak to any particular person because I don't want to violate any, any rules. But let me give you the general kinds of considerations that go into these things. First of all, the only way in which you can compel, as it were, a person's testimony uh, would be uh, to get a court order after somebody has asserted the Fifth Amendment privilege. So one factor, and there are multiple factors I'll go through here, but one factor is um, that a grand jury subpoena doesn't give a federal prosecutor the authority to simply force people to talk about things that the pr prosecutor, or in this instance the investigative reviewers, might be interested in. In order to properly use a grand jury uh, subpoena, you need to have an active um, grand jury investigation that's ongoing and a reasonable belief to believe that the person you want to have come in has relevant information about that information. Otherwise, you run up against claims that 
grand jury abuse or claims of, uh, you know, trying to set a perjury trap or other bad faith uh, reasons. So you can't just subpoena people to make them talk. You can subpoena people when you believe they have relevant uh, information. So that's a factor. You also take into consideration if a person has previously refused to cooperate, they won't cooperate with you um, on matters, even matters that they previously talked about. Um, and in on prior occasions, those people have repeatedly said, I don't recall, I don't uh, remember, and so forth and so on. You have to make this sort of prudential judgment. Well, okay, if you were to subpoena a person because you can make an argument that they have information that might be relevant to the investigation, is it going to be worth the effort to have them come in and then repeatedly say, I don't recall, I don't recall? You look at the most sensitive piece of information that you all saw in the classified information, right? That, that source. Mr. Comey was asked about that in a congressional hearing under oath, and he didn't uh, recall it. So you make the decision, okay, are we likely to get something Mr. or not? Chair. Yep. Are we over? Yep. All right. Gentle lady from Vermont, our newest members recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Durham, thanks so much for being here. I know we've been at this for uh, hours now, um, but I'll, so I'll get right to it. Um, nothing in the report that I've heard so far today or, or that I've read exonerates Donald Trump. Um, you didn't find that his campaign did not overtly flirt with Russia. You didn't find that he did not attempt to overturn the 2020 election. And you also cannot exonerate Donald Trump for the things he does in the future, obviously. Just as you cannot control the agenda of Congress or um, what we do here in our hearings under Chairman Jordan. And now, Mr. Durham, I don't necessarily agree with the origins of your investigation nor the conclusions that you reach in the report, but I do absolutely respect your position as special counsel and the actions of the DOJ as an independent entity. So, Mr. Durham, I think it's really important for us to establish, do you agree that it's important for the Justice Department to be independent from the rest of the executive branch? Yes. And it was Obviously, the, the Department of Justice plays some role in connection with the But must be independent. Decisions. Must have some independence. Right. And it was important to you that Attorney General Garland did not interfere with your special counsel investigation, correct? Correct. And in fact, as we mentioned earlier, you thanked him for giving you the latitude to operate without his involvement or interference. Correct. Correct? But Donald Trump has consistently eroded the barrier between the DOJ and the rest of the executive branch. And during his administration, the Trump interfered in Mueller's prosecutions, such as when he criticized Roger Stone's sentencing recommendations as, quote, horrible and very unfair, which resulted in the DOJ overturning its recommendation and all four career prosecutors handling the case actually withdrew within hours of that decision for ethical objections. Um, are you familiar with the Roger Stone sentencing recommendations? Do you follow that at all? I'm sorry, the Roger Stone sentencing recommendation? Yes. Um, no. I mean, I know there was one made, but I don't recall what it was. Okay, so regardless of um, the sentencing recommendations, is it appropriate for any president, president to interfere with a special counsel's prosecutions? No, the special counsel is supposed to be independent of the Department of Justice. That's right. Not appropriate. Never appropriate. 
And Donald Trump has promised to do more of this if he's reelected. He has said it publicly on numerous occasions. So, Mr. Trump, should the DOJ continue to operate independently from the president, again, any president? Yes or no? I'm sorry, can you just repeat that one? Should the DOJ continue to operate independently from the president? Yes or no? Yes, the, the Department of Justice should operate uh, independently. Thank you, Mr. Durham. And as I said, Donald Trump has made it clear that if he is reelected, he wants to use the DOJ to go after his political enemies, regardless of the facts. And he has shown that he is willing to dismantle American democracy if it will put him on top. He has demonstrated his willingness to do this as president, and he's promised publicly to continue to do this if he is reelected. Taking apart our institutions is a refrain that we have heard over and over again from some of my Republican colleagues. And we even have seen um, a subcommittee created under Chairman Jordan that is essentially tasked with um, rooting out examples of our government being weaponized and that you know, those branches of government and those um, those agencies within government that are trying to hold people accountable should be dismantled. And I think they're essentially being accused of weaponizing specifically because they're cho choosing to hold people accountable. I find that deeply disturbing as an American, um, and I think we all should be alarmed by this trend. I yield back. Gentlemen, I yield back. Gentlemen from Texas, recognize. Mr. Chair, if I could, I have um, some documents to ask to you do it quickly. We, we, they're going to call votes. We want to get moving. Yep. I ask unanimous consent to enter into the record William Barr's February 6, 2020 okay. letter. Um, and I ask unanimous cons consent to enter into the record order number 4878-2020 from October 19, 2020. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chairman, is, can, can I just add one thing? Sure. I, I, I um, to be sure that I understood your question. When you say the department should operate independently of the, of the White House, um, and, I, and I think in investigations and so forth and so on, that's absolutely true. The Department of Justice obviously plays a role in the executive branch of the government, represents the president on occasions and so forth and so on. And so I was talking about should the White House interfere with criminal investigations and the like, and the, and the answer is absolutely no. But in terms of them operating completely independent, of, um, of the White House, that would not be accurate. They're part of the executive branch. Yeah. Gentlemen's recognized. Thank you, Chairman. Mr. Durham, uh, October 3rd, 2016, the FBI offered Christopher Steele a million dollars to provide corroborating evidence of the allegations in his reporting. Is that correct? Yes. Was that paid to him? I'm sorry, was that what? Was that paid to him? Uh, that money was never paid out. There was right. no corroborating Mr. Steele relied solely on a single unnamed subsource, correct? Um, he said that he had a primary subsource who had a network of subsources. On October 18, 2016, the FBI submits the application for Pfizer surveillance relying heavily on the Steele dossier. No corroboration, correct? And no corroboration for the substantive claims in that. But they knew Steele was a signed up paid informant. Could have asked for sources, never did. Said he was reliable. No record of reliability, correct? Mr. Steele had provided information in other areas, not in this area, prior occasions. FISA application relied, according to your report, at least in part on the Clinton plan intelligence, correct? I'm sorry, can, 
It made the FISA application relied, according to your report, at least in part, on the Clinton plan intelligence, correct? Yes. And they knew Steele had been hired by Fusion GPS, and Fusion had been hired by a law firm on behalf of senior Democrats, and that HC was aware, correct? At various points in time, those things became known to the FBI, yes. And at December 2016, the FBI determined that Igor Danchenko, a Russian national, was previously subject to FBI investigation to be Steele's subsource, correct? Yes. They do not talk to Danchenko before the next FISA application, correct? Correct. January 12, 2017, the FBI goes back to renew the application for FISA surveillance, correct? Yes. Coincidentally, one week before Trump is inaugurated, correct? Correct. They then, after two trips to FISA, finally talk to Danchenko, basically determine it's all crap because they've been relying on a Democrat, Democrat operative, Dolan, correct? Well, part of that is true. They um, uh, clearly had relied on the information in the Steele dossier. There was a portion of one report from Steele that was definitely tied to Mr. Dolan. Then in March of 2017, Jim Comey testified here on Capitol Hill that the FBI, under its counterintel authorities, has investigated Trump for collusion with Russia and people might get indicted, correct? Correct. Is it normal for the FBI director to talk about Pfizer-related investigations publicly? Um, as a general matter? I would say a general matter, I would say no. Right. And again, knowing full well the uncorroborated allegations and knowing full well the genesis of said investigation was tied to Hillary Clinton's campaign, which the FBI director would have known. People in the FBI knew that. Correct. April 2017, they go back to FISA. They report they've interviewed principal source and that the source is credible, but they leave out the entire fact that it's only credible and making clear that they relied upon before was total garbage. They continue through the summer of 2017, correct? That's correct. Under federal law and FISA rules, once they know there is an error or some material fact is incorrect in previous applications, you're supposed to correct that, right? That's correct. Was that done here, yes or no? Not at the time. Was Deputy Director McCabe in charge of this investigation? Uh, Deputy Director McCabe had um, uh, direct involvement in the investigation. Was Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok heavily involved in the investigation? And was FBI Director Comey briefed on the investigation? The evidence that we, just, uh, uh, um, um, that we came upon was, yeah, they were definitely, that this was driven by each, the seventh floor. Each FISA application is a verified application, and there's a Woods file with every factual assertion kept in a file, correct? Correct. Is it reasonable to believe that senior FBI leadership and indeed senior leadership of the DOJ did not know all these failures to ensure truthful facts were used for each FISA application, an application directly focused on an American presidential campaign? Is it reasonable to believe that senior FBI leadership and indeed senior leadership of DOJ did not know these failures? Did, um, I would distinguish between what the FBI knew and what the Department of Justice uh, knew. So FBI leadership knew it. The FBI, uh, people in the FBI knew this information. Not everybody knew everything, but they had all of this information. So two final questions. In the fall of 2021, our colleague, Mr. Schiff, said in an interview, but at the beginning of the Russia investigation, I said that any allegations should be investigated. We couldn't have known, for example, people were lying to Christopher Steele. Is it remotely, remotely conceivable that the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and the lead prosecutor of the impeachment of President Trump was uninformed that this investigation was kicked off based on a Clinton campaign Democrat-funded report with a witness, Mr. Steele, claiming facts that were uncorroborated and that ultimately came from a subsource of Democrat operative, Mr. Dolan. Is that conceivable? Um, and is, in fact, there evidence out of the House Intelligence Committee that directly contradicts that and that he did know, in fact? I'd, yeah, I wouldn't know what Mr. Schiff would know. Um, at the time. Finally, a final question. For the average American watching this, besides being fired, 
Have Jim Comey, Andrew McCabe, or Peter Strzok been held accountable for these glaring violations? Have they been hauled before a grand jury or charged in any way? And if not, why not? So they have not been, um, well, I'm not going to talk about matters that occurred before the grand jury because I can't. Um, but with respect to have uh, any of those individuals been charged, the answer is no. Yield back. Now the gentleman inspired the gentleman from Texas. The other gentleman from Texas is recognized. Thanks, sir. Thank you so much for appearing today. I really appreciate it. I want to tell you about how my friends, neighbors in Tomball, Spring, Texas, and of course Americans across this country are feeling today after listening to this. They feel that we have a two-tiered justice system in this country, and it's terrifying. So I applaud your work. I actually find you to be sincere in working on behalf of the American people, and I recognize that. Um, but I also feel like we need to hold the people accountable who are participating in this sham of an investigation. I'm going to tell you why. What happened in 2016 was unprecedented. The same government agencies that were investigating President Trump and his campaign were looking the other way when it came to the allegations against the Clintons. At the same time, the Clinton campaign paid for the Steele dossier, the DOJ and FBI were helping to cover up Clinton's crimes. We know this to be a fact. 33,000 emails miraculously disappeared. Phones were smashed with hammers by the FBI. Even CNN fact-checked this, and it turned out to be true. Yes, CNN. They refused to prosecute her. This selective prosecution doesn't only favor the Clintons, though, as we have seen in very recent history. Sir, I'm sure you are familiar with what's going on with Hunter Biden's plea deal and his refusal to pay his taxes and the separate agreement to dismiss his felony gun possession, both of which were announced yesterday. You know that, sir? Yes. Hunter Biden will likely serve no jail time offenses, and, and yet there was no early morning SWAT raid on Hunter's home in coordination with the media either. The American people are sick and tired of this two-tiered justice system, and as a black man, I'm tired of seeing this kind of discretion used to favor people like Hunter Biden because he's white and a son of a president. While Hunter Biden will serve no jail time for these charges, black men across this country are in prison for years for the exact same crimes, and I'm not surprised. Because I guess this left justice shouldn't become as a surprise to anyone in this room. Because after all, Joe Biden was one of the authors of the 94 crime bill. One of my all-time favorites. And we could see what that has done to black men across this country. But back to this report. This report concerns one of many investigations into Trump that led absolutely nowhere, wasted vast amounts of resources and time, and spread lies, rumors, and innuendos about Trump across this country. What we know is that the Clinton campaign and the DNC paid for the Steele dossier, which was used as a basis for the FISA warrants to spy on an incoming president. Correct, sir? Paid much of that. The dossier was paid for from the campaign uh, through uh, Perkins uh, Cooey's hiring of Fusion and Fusion's hiring of Steele. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, sir. The biggest problem that I have with that is that none of the, none of the significance has been prosecuted over this sham investigation, and and no one who participated in this investigation is serving any jail time today. I think we've kind of heard that resonate throughout the halls of this room today. 
But meanwhile, the DOJ, the same agency that is responsible for the Sony investigation in 2016, is at this very moment seeking to put Donald Trump in prison for over 400 years over a document issue. And last I checked, President Biden has a bit of a document issue himself before he was even sitting president of this country. And again, another example of this two-tier justice system. My colleagues on the left talk about democracy. Well, here's what I know about democracy. In 2016, Donald Trump was elected by the American people to be their commander-in-chief. But he wasn't allowed to serve in that capacity because he and his administration spent four years responding to Democrat-invented scandal after Democrat-invented scandal. And here we are, seven years later, still talking about President Trump and this Democrat-invented scandal. And this does not look like a democracy to me. As a West Point graduate and combat veteran, I've fought abroad against authoritarian countries. I know what they look like, and I know what, what those countries do and how they treat their people, and I also know what democracy looks like. And my fear is that this looks like the death of democracy. It's up to us in this room to do something about it. Sir, I cannot thank you very much for your time. Thank you for hanging in there. I really appreciate it. I yield back the rest of my time, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman yields back. Chair recognizes the gentleman from Wisconsin for five minutes. Uh, Mr. Durham, did you see evidence of collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign in 2016? No. So the American public that has been uh, told this hoax for years, it was just that, a hoax. Is that correct? Our investigation showed that there were a lot of failures in the FBI and how they did this investigation that did not disclose or reveal information uh, evidence concerning any conspiracy or collusion between Mr. Trump and Russian authorities. Um, by the way, I hope you'll give me a full five minutes, um, Mr. Chairman. Um, are you familiar um, with the January 5th, 2017 meeting that ha was held in the White House? Uh, President Obama was there. Vice President Biden was there. Susan Rice was there and others. Are you familiar with that meeting? I know that that meeting occurred. Um, do you know that uh, FBI Director James Comey was there? That's my understanding. Um, did you get access or try to get access to uh, Director Comey's notes? Um, we reviewed, yeah, in connection with our inquiry, we looked at um, phone records, notes, those sorts of things. I don't, I don't recall seeing any notes of uh, Mr. Comey's from, from that meeting. They could exist, but I don't recall having seen them. So, Special Counsel, you were authorized to investigate whether any federal official employer or any other person violated the law in connection with individuals associated with campaigns and individuals with the administration, including Crossfire Hurricane. Do you think this wasn't relevant to go after these notes? January 5th, 2017, we're in the process of the transition. Um, weren't you um, um, inquisitive about that? Yeah, as I, as I say, I don't know. We had um, sought from the FBI uh, all such records. What I can't tell you is that uh, there were any records. That, that's what I'm saying. Could you repeat that last answer? Sure. When um, I think as we were, uh, set out in the report, the Bureau produced in excess of, uh, I think it was uh, 6,800,000 pages of records that were reviewed. Among the records that we sought from the FBI uh, were relevant um, notes, records, uh, 
telephone records and the like. What I can't tell you is whether, and Mr. Comey uh, being one of them, um, what I can tell you, because I just don't know, is whether or not there were notes of Mr. Comey's from that, uh, from that meeting. Are you aware that in 2017, prior to the Department of Justice filing a motion to dismiss the case against General Flynn, they interviewed Mr. Priestap? Um, yes. During that interview, the Department of Justice found Mr. Priestap's notes, which suggested that the FBI was trying to entrap Mr. Flynn. Why didn't you, um, why didn't you interview Mr. Priestap? Why do you think it wasn't relevant to subpoena Mr. Priestap to gather information on his involvement with Crossfire Hurricane, especially the Attorney General at the time said they were trying to lay a perjury trap for Mr. Flynn? Sure. So as I relate specifically to uh, Mr. Priestap, and it's reflected in the report, uh, Mr. Priestap did agree to talk to us with regard to the Alpha Bank matter. So we interviewed him um, uh, on that matter. He was not willing to talk uh, beyond that. Um, as previously indicated, um, we were disappointed with some of these decisions on the part of high-ranking members of the FBI not to cooperate as, as you are. But there are reasons. You have to, when, if you're going to subpoena somebody to the grand jury, um, which is one of the more powerful tools that you have, you've got to look at a number of factors to determine whether or not it's appropriate, whether it makes sense, whether it be productive. And in, in this case, not speaking to um, Mr. Priestep's situation, um, alone, but one of the decisions was, okay, does Priestep have information that would be relevant or likely to be relevant to the matter, criminal matters, not the general inquiry into what happened in the investigation of the campaign, but the criminal matters the grand jury is looking at or not? Mr. Durham, I only, I only have 30 seconds here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we're very disappointed also. I keep hearing this term disappointed all day long. Let's sum it up. Vice President Biden and President Obama knew about it. Hillary fabricated it, the FBI orchestrated it, and the media sold it to the public, and it's still out there. The question is, who watches the watchmen? The FBI has become a Praetorian guard here, protecting the nation's capital, but not the people of the United States of America. It is going to be up to us as Republicans, and solely us as Republicans, starting on this Judiciary Committee, to get accountability to the FBI in the United States of America. Gentlemen, yields back. Uh, I, I apologize, Mr. Durham, but we are going to have to. I apologize, my colleagues. I was wanting to get this done before votes, and we've been working with the floor, but unfortunately, they have called them. Uh, so we're going to recess. It'll probably be 30 minutes, more or less, um, and then we'll we'll come back and we can obviously make yourself comfortable back in the in, in the area. Then again, I apologize. Our our team here was hoping to get able to get through that. We'll be back in approximately half an hour. Many stands in recess.
Committee will come to order. The chair recognizes the gentleman from Kentucky for five minutes. I yield 30 seconds to the gentlelady from Indiana. A quick follow-up on CHS 1 from page 243, who, according to your report, created conspiracy allegation in direct conflict with his recording and misstated significant material fact to the FBI, among other things, and you are unable to establish his intent. Would you be able to provide to the committee a recording of your CHS 1 interview on April 6, 2021, for page 192, and any other interviews in your possession? Yes or no? Um. Did you refer to page 43? I'm sorry if I can just find them page 43. Hey, would you provide recording to the committee that you list? Yes or no? The recording with confidence in human source one, I think, is what she's asking about. Oh. And, and um, she would like that provided. She's asking if that could be provided to the committee, Mr. Uh, Mr. Durham. I mean, it's a piece of um, evidence uh, that belongs to the FBI. I think probably that's better directed to the FBI. Okay. Re reclaiming my time, uh, Mr. Durham. This seems to all started with one person, but I don't see his name in your report. I see it in Mueller's report 89 times. Who did Mr. Papadopoulos meet with that, that gave him this supposed Russian information? When Mr. Papadopoulos was interviewed by the FBI, um, he had identified Joseph Mifsud um, as a person who had provided him that information. Did you interview Joseph Mifsud? We attempted to um, interview him. Uh, we pursued um, every lead that we had. We talked to a lawyer that he had in Europe, but we never were able to actually make contact with him. We could interview him. Do you think he's a, a, a Western source? Is he associated with Western intelligence? Um, it's hard to say who Mr. Mifsud is associated with. He was tied up with Link University. Um, Mr. Scotti, who had um, involvement in the Italian government, and um, they were Appointed. Um, it's hard to say who Mifsud is. I'm, I'm going to yield the remainder of my time to Mr. Gates. Hard to say who Mifsud is. He's the guy who started the whole thing. We've known it for years. Go ahead and play the video. When the special counsel's office interviewed Mifsud, did he lie to you guys too? Can't get into that. Did you interview Mifsud? Can't get into that. Is Mifsud Western intelligence or Russian yeah. intelligence? Can't get into that. Well, I'm reading from your report. Nipson told Papadopoulos, Papadopoulos tells the diplomat, the diplomat tells the FBI, the FBI opens the investigation July 31st, 2016, and here we are three years later, July of 2019, the country's been put through this, and the central figure who launches it all lies to us, and you guys don't hunt him down and interview him again, and you don't charge him with a crime. Maybe a better course of action is to figure out how the false accusation started. Maybe it's to go back and actually figure out why Joseph Nixon was lying to the FBI. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. That's exactly what Bill Barr is doing. And thank goodness for that. That's exactly what the Attorney General and John Durham are doing. Well, Mr. Durham, was that what you were doing? I'm sorry, is that what? Was finding out who Nixon was what you were doing? We pursued um, that avenue, yes. Right, but was he... This whole thing was an op, Mr. Durham. This wasn't like a bumbling, fumbling FBI that like couldn't get FISA straight. They ran an op. So who put Mifsud in play? You don't know, do you? I do not know that. I can't give you the years. You had years to find out the answer to what Mr. Jordan said was the seminal question, and you don't have it. And it just it just begs the question whether or not you were really trying to find that out. Because it's one thing 
to, to criticize the FBI for their FISA violations, to write a report. They've been criticized in plenty of reports. Some have referred to your work as just a repackaging and regurgitation of what the Inspector General already told us. So if you, if you weren't going to do what Mr. Jordan said you were going to do in that video and give us the basis for all of it, what's this all been about? Well, I'm not exactly sure the import of your question. If, you, if your question is that we try to locate in the interview Mr. Mitchell, the answer is yes. Why didn't you subpoena him? We expended... Wait, why didn't you subpoena him to a grand jury? I'm sorry, why not? Why didn't you send him a grand jury subpoena? Mr. Mitchell? You'd have to find Mr. Mitchell before you can serve a grand jury subpoena on him. You guys were out in Italy. Was it you and Bill Barr looking for authentic pasta over there or Mitchell? No, we, uh, we not. Um, we were looking for information that might help us locate Mitchell. But you know who I think could probably locate him? The features of, uh, of Western intelligence and possibly our own government that put him in play. Like, your report seems to be less a, an indictment of the FBI and more of an inoculation, lowercase i, of course. And like many inoculations, it may have worse consequences down the road. I, we'll have some time to discuss this matter further, but it's just hard. It's just hard to like pretend as though this was a sincere effort when you don't get to the fundamental thing that started the whole deal. I yield back. I was away from my family for four years, so essentially doing this investigation. This, in my view, is a sincere effort. The fact that you can't find somebody overseas. Um, should not come as a big surprise. Could you find out? Reclaiming my time. Is he alive or dead? We don't know. Gentlemen's uh, time has expired. Uh, Chair now recognizes the gentleman from Arizona, Mr. Biggs. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Durham, isn't it true that Danchenko admitted that information he provided to Christopher Steele in June of 2016 was, quote, rumor and speculation? Correct. And Danchenko himself estimated that he was responsible for 80% of the intelligence and 50% of the analysis in the Steele dossier. Is that right? That's correct. Do you, do you agree with his assessment or his estimate of his participation uh, in the dossier? Yeah, we have no reason to doubt that. I mean, Steele um, identified him as the primary subsource or the principal source of the information. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. He, he, Steele used that rumor and speculation to build his dossier. Um, and we, uh, we've, we've wandered all over this. There's none of those statements were uh, corroborated at all. And, and yet, Danchenko's reputation for veracity was considered bad. He was considered a boastful man uh, who had low credibility, right? There was information that the Bureau had along those lines, yes, sir. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and in fact, when he lost his visa, his work permit, uh, he used a Russian business as a front uh, to basically fraudulently get a visa to work in the United States. Is that right? Page 128 of your report. Yeah, he went to work for a company in the United States, and Steele was paying him through a cutout uh, through that company in the United States. Yeah, most of us who look at that, that area of the law regularly, like I do, would say that's immigration fraud. So, um, and it's also true, we talked about this, it's true uh, there was an FBI counter-espionage investigation into Danchenko 2009-2011, 2011, and that was a result of him approaching some a Brookings Institution co-worker trying to essentially uh, uh, solicit espionage on behalf of the Russian government. And then, even though the Washington field office is right there and he lived just a few miles from the Washington field office, the, the case was closed on Mr. Danchenko, that investigation, right? The, the Danchenko investigation was being done by Baltimore, uh, the Baltimore field office, but that's right, he stayed where he, um, 
And nonetheless, you lived around. I live out there. I know. I live around the corner from there. So, so let's, let's take a look at Let's boil this down. After determining that nothing that Danchenko told Steele could be verified, it was all a pack of lies and innuendos, innuendo and rumor, after further determining that he had attempted to solicit espionage for Russia, and he had himself been the subject of an investigation by the Bureau, and after having committed immigration fraud, the FBI hired him on as an informer and paid him 220 grand and, and proposed an additional 300 grand to be paid to him. And that's all. That's your testimony. That's in the report. It's all there. And that's even after the, the validation management unit had determined that Danchenko was a concern and likely had cons- connections to Russian intelligence. That's in your report as well. Correct. And very special agent Helson knew most of these facts, but uh, continued to endorse Danchenko's recruitment and payment as a confidential human source, right? That's correct. So I'm going to give you these things, and, exp- and, and I think you understand why so many of us uh, are over underwhelmed with some of your recommendations for the FBI, but overwhelmed by what's going on here. The FISA application, we've talked about that, where that came from. We've talked about that the FBI has conducted million, millions of unconstitutional backdoor FISA 702 searches. A disparate treatment of Hillary Rodham Clinton, which you discuss in your report. The sweetheart Hunter Biden plea deal that would send normal Americans to jail for years. He's getting nothing. We have 50 intelligence officers signing onto a letter saying they would rather have a job in the Biden administration than tell the truth to the American people. The Hunter Biden laptop suppression. Uh, the DOJ targeting parents at school board meetings. Uh, a federal prosecutor setting a quota, essentially, on additional two, um, January 6th uh, uh, individuals. So he's got to get 2,000 more. That's a quota. That's a bounty. DHS targeting Catholics at church. Hoaxes, villainizing border agents while the border cells are under attack. That's all from this from this agency. And I understand that you're loyal to, the, to your, your institution. I get that. But Ms. Sparks gave an excellent enumeration of all the things that you found in your report. And that's why people like me, and I don't want to speak for anybody else on here, we're baffled, just utterly baffled that more people have not been held accountable for their crimes. These are crimes. What's gone on in this country, the division in this country today, I can trace back to one thing. It isn't Trump going down the, the escalator. It is the steel dossier paid for by Hillary Clinton through the cutouts, and that's caused the division in this country today. I yield back. Witness can respond. I'm not sure there was a, <clears throat> a question at the end. Okay. No. no, I'm just giving you opportunity. I, I didn't get that. Yeah. Uh, the gentleman from Florida is recognized. Yeah, I, I agree with Mr. Biggs. You've given us testimony today that you're disappointed that the FBI didn't cooperate more, right? That was your testimony. You said that. Yeah, so we're disappointed too, but the difference is when regular folks do things that are wrong and unlawful, there's typically greater effort to try to get those people before a grand jury to, to utilize criminal process where appropriate, not not for other purposes. And it's just like, oh, well, Bill Priestep, the guy who might have set this whole op in motion, he just didn't want to talk to you about certain things, and you were real accommodating to that. And then Mifsud, the person who juices Papadopoulos to create this predicate that you find improper, you guys, you, I mean, did you ever know who his lawyer was, Mifsud's lawyer? 
Tonto is the lawyer in Europe. Not in, I don't know. If so wait, you could find the guy's lawyer, States. but you couldn't find him? We uh, contacted uh, somebody that we knew had rep had represented him and it part of the effort to try to locate him. And you got the lawyer. And then now you're, you're sitting here in front of the judiciary saying you could find the guy's lawyer, but you couldn't effectuate the service of a subpoena because you couldn't find him? Well, first of all, as you may or may not know, we wouldn't have um, the authority to serve a subpoena overseas. Um, the lawyer didn't know where Mifsud was. He was in communication uh, with him, but he claimed not to know where he was. And we were trying to arrange um, an opportunity to talk to Mifsud. Did you take uh, possession of two BlackBerry phones from Mifsud in any way? There were phones that were provided to us by so you could find the person's lawyer. The guy, right? Do you see how silly this looks? Like you found the lawyer, you found the phones, but the actual dude who got ordered by Western Intelligence to go start this thing you couldn't find? It, it, it's it's kind of laughable. It seems like more than disappointment. It seems like you weren't really trying to expose the true core of the corruption. That you were trying to you were trying to go at it another way. Yeah. As we said in the um, report and as I said in my opening remarks. We pursued the facts as best we could. Well, how about this fact that we have? Okay, how about this fact, Mr. Durham? The entire Mueller team does a hard reset on their Apple phone in synchronization to wipe away evidence. Did you investigate that? I've read that. Well, why didn't, did you investigate it? Who gave the order on the Mueller team to, to wipe the phones? Yeah, that was not something that we were... Um, asked to look at, and we didn't. No, that's that. not true, Mr. Durham. That is not true because I'm holding the document that authorizes your activity, and it specifically says the investigation of Special Counsel Robert Mueller. It's in Mr. Chairman, I think you know, consent to enter into the record the order that says that you're supposed to enter, investigate these things. It's so like whether it's the Mueller team, Mifsud. How about Azra Turk? Azra Turk. What's Azra Turk's real name? Do you know that? I'm not going to be disclosing the names of FBI personnel that are oh, otherwise unavailable. But, but an FBI, so the FBI sends somebody to go honeypot George Papadopoulos. Who gave the order to do that? I think that's beyond the scope of what's in the report. It's literally the scope of what your charging order is. Who put it in motion? We get after it was put in motion, the FBI did a bunch of wrong and corrupt things. Totally understand we're trying to deal with that. But when you are part of the cover-up, Mr. Durham, then it makes our job harder. Yeah, well, if that's your thought, I mean, there's no way of dissuading you from that. I can tell you that it's offensive and that the people who worked on this investigation have spent their lives trying to protect people in this country and pursue within the law what it is that we, two, we are Mr. authorized Durham, to do. You tried two cases, lost both of them, and then the one plea, guilty plea you got, Smith. Kleinsmith is back to practicing law in Washington, D.C. today. That's beyond my control. Right, but, but the, the fact that you allowed that plea to occur, right, and, and then the punishment was insufficient, the fact that you didn't, you didn't charge Andrew McCabe, you didn't convict the lying Democrats or the lying Russians, you didn't investigate Mifsud or the Mueller probe, even though, as we sit here today in black letter, that was your charge. Have you ever heard of the Washington Generals? The Washington Generals, yes. Yeah. And, and they're the team that basically gets paid to show up and lose, right? <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm sure that the players who um, exert blood, sweat, and tears don't view it that way, but you might. I think they do. I think they do because the job of the Washington Generals is to show up every night and to play the Harlem Globetrotters. And their job well, I'm is thinking, to lose. I'm sorry, the different, I was thinking the different. Yeah, yeah, so their job is to lose. And I'm kind of wondering 
And, and it just seems it just seems so facially obvious that it's not what's in your report that's telling. It's the omission. It's the lack of work you did. And for the people like the chairman who put trust in you, I think you let them down. I think you let the country down. And you are one of the barriers to the true accountability that we need. Do I get to respond to that or comment on that? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever investigated a crime. Um, if I don't know. You, you didn't investigate these, Mr. Mm-hmm. Durham. Whether or How about not, Andy McCabe? Did you charge him? Did you investigate him? Gentlemen, gentlemen, time has expired. The witness can respond, and we'll move on to our last. last I don't know, sir, whether or not you've ever had occasion to uh, try to investigate crimes under the rules and regulations and under the Constitution that we're bound by. Um, we can gather evidence in particularly lawful ways. Um, can't charge people because we might think not just we can charge people. You didn't investigate the Mueller team wiping their phones, and you won't tell us who gave the orders because you're protecting those people. Gentlemen's time has expired. The um, the gentlelady from Wyoming is recognized. Mr. Durham, in reviewing your report, I sincerely wanted to understand the work that you did and decipher the various investigations that we have been discussing. The origins, the history, the backstory, the who's, the why's, the what's, the what ifs, and the how. I desperately wanted to figure out what happened to what was once our flagship law enforcement agencies, the FBI and the DOJ, to determine what went wrong and to evaluate how we can go forward from here. I have listened with great interest, hoping to find some answers to the burning questions of the day. And I have reached a few conclusions that I do not believe are subject to dispute or debate. Now, I truly appreciate your regard for the agency you have dedicated your career to. I am sure that as your investigation progressed, you must have been truly saddened by what you found. What you have exposed, however, is that we are dealing with something so corrupt and so rotten that no amount of face paint, deflection, or whitewashing can fix this. You have been asked lots of questions about predicates, protocols, the Steele dossier, the Australian connection, Mr. Papadopoulos, Mr. Carter, the FISA court and Crossfire Hurricane, among others. Your responses have been enlightening, but let's get to the brass tacks. None of those people or documents or reports were relevant to the FBI when it identified Donald Trump as public enemy number one. What do I mean? The accuracy and veracity of the Steele dossier was irrelevant to the FBI. The accuracy and veracity of the reports coming from the Australian Embassy were irrelevant to the FBI. The fact that the Russian experts in the CIA, FBI, NSA, and other agencies had no evidence of any kind of relationship between Mr. Trump and Putin or Russia was irrelevant to the FBI. And the fact that there was no verifiable evidence, such as testimony, documents, videos, or recordings of Russian collusion was irrelevant to the FBI. Nothing, and I repeat, nothing that the FBI did was designed to show that Donald J. Trump was a Russian asset. That wasn't the purpose of the entire charade. How do I know this is true? Because they told us so. The very people who cooked this up are the ones who ran this entire operation. Strzok, Lisa Page, Andrew McCabe, Kleinsmith, Steele, the DNC, Perkins Coy. It was never their purpose to prove Russian collusion And in fact, from the very beginning, they knew that no such thing actually existed. They knew that the entire Russian collusion narrative was fabricated by the Clinton campaign to deflect attention from her mishandling of classified materials and destruction of official emails. They didn't need to prove Russian collusion. They just had to keep the investigation alive. 
And so long as they had a complicit press, and so long as they had people in this very body who has been here, one of the gentlemen who has been here much of the day, who would go on TV every night and lie about the smoking gun, they could further their personal and, personal and political agendas. And no, the purpose of Crossfire Hurricane wasn't to prove Russian inclusion, it was to destroy Donald J. No, the purpose of Crossfire Hurricane wasn't to prove Russian inclusion, it was to destroy Donald J. Trump. And they told us that with the text messages that are set forth on page 49 and 51 of your report, 49 and 50 of your report. And then, if they failed at blocking Mr. Trump from being elected as president, well, they had a backup plan. They had their insurance policy to use Strzok's terminology, which was to make it impossible for him to govern. To use whatever tools were available to tank his presidency, the legitimacy of his election, his ability to work with foreign leaders, and to make everything about Russia, Russia, Russia. And how has this corruption and rot manifested itself in our everyday lives? in our national culture, in our ability to solve the problems we are facing, it has destroyed some of the key foundations of this country. A foundation built on equal protection, on the belief that justice is blind, on the belief that you will be held accountable if you commit a fraud of the magnitude of what we have been discussing here today. On the belief that due process, justice, and constitutional rights are more than mere words. It has left a smoldering, hot, volcanic mess where the soul of this country used to be all because a few people in the FBI decided they wanted to destroy a political candidate and ultimately a president and anyone associated with him. While these folks set out to destroy a presidential candidate and later a presidency, the fact is that they destroyed so much more and that will be their ultimate legacy. One casualty is America's faith in our institution and another casualty is the erosion of a justice system that is supposed to apply equally to all Americans but that has been weaponized to protect the favored few elites the Clintons, the Bidens, while targeting political enemies. That is the current legacy of the FBI and DOJ. Mr. Durham, here's my question. How long do you think that this country will survive? Mr. Chairman, the uh, time has expired. You can't ask a question. A two-tier justice system that seeks to persecute people based on their political beliefs. Witness may respond. Generally, time has expired. I, I don't, do I respond? Sure. I don't think that um, things can go too much further with a view that uh, law enforcement, particularly the FBI, the Department of Justice, runs a two-tiered system of justice. Um, the nation can't stand under uh, under those circumstances. Well said. Gentlemen, yields back. Uh, this concludes today's hearing. Uh, Mr. Durham, we thank you. Could I put, with unanimous consent, could I put two documents into the record? I take that back. That, the hearing is not over. The gentlelady may make her unanimous consent request. Don't miss the most damning Durham finding and six documented instances of systematic pro-Democrat FBI corruption. Not objection. So, uh, so and, um, again, Mr. Trump, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for a long time being here. Uh, six hours is, is uh, almost six hours is, is, uh, is, is a lot of work, so we, we appreciate that. Without objection, all members will have five legislative days to submit additional written questions for the witness or additional materials for the record. Without objection, the hearing is adjourned.